everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 413. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span and Bix. After uh, quite a few 2000 shows lately, it's time to go back to the 80s. 35 years ago this week. Yes. We go back to 1988. Yeah, it's a nice change of pace, although we figured out a better way, I think, to do the. Well, you did to do the 2000 shows, although they can still be a bit. Yeah, but yeah, but just have three out of I think three out of four weeks. <laughs> well, that too. It's kind of that kind of just like ah. So you need you need you need that uh you need to get back uh, to your comfort zone here, and uh, in I mean, doing it helps that, with guests though, which is nice. No, you get a different pool of guests on 2000 shows as you can get on these shows. So when we go to these types of shows, we always have to go to our uh, to our um, long time oh, guest friends. Get here. Yes. Oh, far no, the long time guest list here. Okay. The, the the regulars. Yes, and we are joined by one of our favorites, and uh, he's always got a lot of interesting stuff to say. Brings a lot of great research. One of the best wrestling researchers around right now as he has books to prove that and also a great website and podcast we are joined by our dear friend the duke of new york al gets al welcome back hey guys thanks for having me uh, although i think you guys called me an old fart just a little bit that ago was big, not me that's okay. I am I am an old fart. I readily admit it. And uh, yeah, the eighties were my wheelhouse. Let's see. Uh, I was seventeen years old uh, when the week we were going to discuss occurred. I was eight, almost nine. <laughs> and Bix was a, a baby. So uh, yeah. Well, and also all, if you know, if you're already in the wrestling business when our guest from two weeks ago was born, then you're old. <laughs> well, Colby Carino is a you know an interesting case. So sure. he was in the did, did he talk about Blues Clues at all? He used to love <laughs> Blues Clues. <laughs> no, I think he, he he it was more about the Teletubbies. I think that's what uh, what we had with Colby. <laughs> okay. No, I, I remember I would I would uh, I would go see Steve in uh, North Carolina and. Uh, Colby was plopped in front of the TV, dancing along to the Blues Clues thing. <laughs> How about that, folks? That's when you know you're old is when the kids of wrestlers, you know, who are your contemporaries are now full-time professional wrestlers. So between Colby and uh, there's a couple others. It's like, yeah, I, I you know, I was a peer of your dad. So Mike I am Wayne, old. Jazzy Yang. Yeah. Wayne, yep, Jazzy. Yep. Amber Young. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, David Young was kind of, you know, a little bit older too, though. So, you know. But anyway. So yes. Anyway, what? I'm Al Getz and I'm old. <laughs> Al gets old. That should be your uh, your your tagline on your podcast. <laughs> Hello, I'm Al Getz and I am old. And just nobody and, and gets old reason? like Al gets old. Like Al gets gets old. <laughs> And the research you you've been mainly focusing on lately in the early seventies stuff that makes you age too. <laughs> Believe me, because I I mean the research I do as well, you know, it kind of puts you in that mindset. You know, you read all this stuff and you kind of 
immerse yourself in that era and that's the kind of stuff that you start attaching yourself to more you know yeah that's very true that what you spend the most time on. They also say, as far as the music goes, your the your favorite music when you were 13 or 14 years old, to you, that's the best generation of music there ever was. And I think in many ways, it's the same with wrestling. Uh, when you were a teenager, the, the wrestling that, that you watched, you will forever equate that as the best time for pro wrestling, whether it was or not. Uh, you know, so in my case, that's, you know, mid eighties, uh, which is probably true. I certainly have spent the last few years focusing on the early seventies. So I've grown, but that's not out there. We don't have footage of that Harley. Exactly. And that's, and that's why I do what I do because we don't have that footage from the early seventies. So this is really the only way to tell the stories of what was going on. Yeah. If, if they're going by that 13, 14 thing, then that means mine would be 1993. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so no, Eastern, I mean, Eastern Championship be... Wrestling, Belomo, <laughs> Santana, <laughs> Snooker. Well, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 1988, and that is definitely not my favorite wrestling. Well, Bix, if you, when you, when you, when you turned 13, 14, and 97 ish, 98 ish? End of 97. 13. You're in the Attitude Era, so yeah. I mean, it's a very, a very big year of wrestling. It's uh, way better than '93. <laughs> so I go back to the, the '80s. I'm with Al, you know. But I, but I always was more mature for my age. So there you go. All right. So my uh, girls told me that. So let's go to the week that was July the fifth to the eleventh of 1988. That's bullshit. <laughs> well, we'll be talking more about him later. And then we, uh, so, so we'll start with Jim Crop Promotions. And we have Dave here, who was at the show. The Baltimore Grand American Bash pay-per-view was a good show in Dave's book, not a great show. Of the six big shows Crockett's presented of late, Starcade, Clash 1, Clash 2, Punk House, and Crockett Cup, along with this one, Dave would rate this one third behind the first Clash and the Crockett Cup second, the second night Crockett Cup, as an overall card. It's too early to tell how much they may have helped or hurt their cause for the show. Dave's heard no complaints about anybody's work rate. If he had, those complaints wouldn't be valid. Even forgetting the fact that these guys have worked Chicago the night before, Pittsburgh the night before that, and Tampa, Miami, etc., from the top to the bottom, everyone worked well above their normal level. The Heat from the Live Crowd, which is a legit sell of 14,000 fans, sold out several days early, and a $208,000 gate was exceptional. The card did peak too soon. It seemed the most heat was in the first match due mainly to Sting. Anyone watching the show, even the casual attendance, could see that Sting is the hottest act in the promotion. But for some reason, he's not getting pushed as the hottest act. They won't complain about his position on this card because since they have never done Flair versus Luger, it meant a lot more than Flair versus Sting would have in the same spot. And Dusty Rose versus Barry Wyndham is a natural matchup because they're a long-time association. And Sting would have been buried in that triple cage monstrosity, but still the Heat never hit the level later in the card that it had in the opening tag match. The question Dave can't answer is, from a business standpoint, was the ending they did with Ric Flair against Lex Luger? A wise one. From what Dave was told, the live crowd left so pissed off about the ending that you couldn't compare with any of the screwjob endings of the shows of the past. One person remarked it was the hottest a crowd had left the show he'd seen in 15 years. Dusty's idea with the ending, which is an old Roy Shire ending that we see here, out here two or three times a year, we hadn't seen anyone use in nearly a decade, was that the fans would be mad at the athletic commission and not the promotion. But Dave doesn't think fans differentiate between the two. 
and at a show like this where fans travel from around the country, a very high percentage of knows it is the promotion that's responsible for all the outcomes. They accomplished what they set out to do, keep Flair as a champion, and make it like Luger should have won. Theoretically building a rematch for the fall with the idea that in your hometown, the commission doesn't stop matches for blood. If the match is in New York City, then Luger would be the champion today. Dave has to think a lot of the pay-per-view fans have the same feeling of being screwed with the ending when all signs are pointed towards title change. Also, looking at the ending, what made it even harder to buy was that Luger wasn't bleeding much at all when they stopped the match. Everyone sees more blood in the Memphis studio once every week, it seems, and Luger had on him when they stopped the match. The cut then looked dangerous enough for the ending. We'll talk about the match when we get to the match on the show. But um, it is interesting to know here what Dave talks about, how they plan on coming out of this match for the rematches with that mindset. You watch the promos for the, the rematches around the horn and they come off with that gist that there is, you know, no athletic commissions to worry about in, in a lot of these other places. So now, you know, Luger's got a better shot if he, if some type of blood happens and it's also no surprise that those rematches around the horn drew pretty damn good business. Yeah. Well, Very also, it wasn't just the rematches. It was also the Midnight's Horseman matches, too, as the semifinal. Yeah, that was support. So, yeah, you had to do that in there as well. But, Al, I mean, this is 1988. So the athletic commission isn't nearly what it used to be. But what are your thoughts on, you know, that psychology that would that was used back in the day being put into 1988 wrestling? And it's not so much the year as it is the method of, of distributing the show. Like when it's a live house show where someone is there and they see the screw job and then watch TV, a new wrinkle is added, a new stipulation that will negate whatever, you know, led to the screw job finish the week before. That's what gets people off their couches and buying a ticket. But when you're passively ordering something from home and watching it on TV, it's not that same call to action. Uh, and, you know, it's one thing if it's, you know, your local referee or, you know, rules, some rules in your town lead to the screw job. It's now some faceless uh, person in a state that you're not connected to. And I think this is a, a problem that a lot of these companies had when they're stop running shows in the same markets every week. And I, I think I've said this before, but it's why Vince and Vern were the most well-positioned uh, promoters with, with a national expansion because they were already used to not running their towns each and every week. And some of the other territories had been slowly moving towards that, but still booking wise, they were thinking of a weekly cycle and a weekly loop. And so here you lose that call to action. And yes, they did draw well uh, in the rematches, but I, I think they're just so loaded with talent, even aside from just having a good semi-main, you look at the talent on on this pay-per-view and any house show is is going to be structured as, as really loaded up and in a major city should draw well. I think it's just a matter of not understanding how to do these types of angles on pay-per-view versus just on the dark house shows. But they well, were the drawing other. at this level on the road, though, before the bash finish is the thing. It's this did actually pop the houses relative to where they were going into the pay-per-view. 
Well, then it worked, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. So there you go. That just goes to show you. Yeah, it's not like they were on a hot run. Right. It's that business picks up here. What was this? Was this because they started running more? Uh, what you know, all hands on deck shows as opposed to split crews or no? Uh, it's, it's the fact the promotion got hot. Okay. I mean, because you're coming off the Midnight Rider, um, they, you, you do the Wyndham heel turn, which that that's a catalyst for a lot. Yeah. yeah. You got, I mean, the Dusty Wyndham feud's a hot feud. Um, so you have hot feuds going. You got three hot feuds going here. You got Flair Luger. Midnight and Horseman's about to start up, and Dusty Wyndham, and Sting's a hot act. And Sting, yeah, Sting is, yeah, that, yeah, everything uh, Dave said in the first paragraph about Sting is totally tracks. We just just rewatched the the pay per view last night uh, to refresh my memory, and yes, they they were they were hot for Sting, and Sting was hot. Yeah, so I mean, so you got that, but the thing too that Dave brings up. That's an interesting point in all this, not just the pay-per-view part of it that you brought up, but this has now become – this promotion in, is, in general has now become the show for destination where wrestling fans from around the country will meet up and go to these shows. Yes, the uh, pay-per-view de- – or the WCW or NWA pay-per-view deadheads as they would be called sometimes. <laughs> yes. So you have this group of people that are coming around. And going to these shows from all over the place, this isn't your your local yokels no more. Right. So no Beulah in the front row. Yeah, exactly. Although we're gonna see her later. We sure will. <laughs> all right, so let's go to the show. They had one match for TV camera started rolling, which had uh, Dick Murdoch and Rick Steiner beat Tim Horner and Kendall Wyndham, which would air on television. It aired on the main event. Um, I think in August of '88. So that match would eventually air. The pay-per-view show in which lasted a healthy two hours and 24 minutes began just as they were introducing the NWA tag title match. And we start with that match. Oh, great Tully production, Blanchard. huh? <laughs> yeah. Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson retained the NWA World Tag Titles going to a 20-minute draw, which actually lasted 20 minutes, 7 seconds, against Sting and Nikita Koloff. They opened a real hot for the first 90 seconds with a four-way. Sting did a Tiger Mask light dive over the top rope to the floor on Arn Anderson. During the opening, like Starcade, the camera blew the move, which was once again the highlight of the card. WC everybody. Or Jim Carpenter promotion everybody. After Sting did that move, the crowd went crazy, and Sting had them for the rest of the show. Nikita came in at 92nd mark and did nothing until Sting tagged in at four minutes. Sting did a few New Japan-style acrobatic moves. And worked a good pace when the match slowed down the middle. Nikita went for a pin on Tully after suplexing him into the ring, but JJ Dillon pulled him off. Nikita went to JJ and started pounding on him. Then went for the sickle on JJ Moon, and Nikita sickled the ring post instead. The next several minutes were spent working on Nikita's left arm, which got great heat. Arn did an awesome DDT. If you watch the tape, you'll find one thing funny. Arn was working over the injured left arm for a while, but when Tully came in, he worked on the injured right arm. Oops. Sting came in with two and a half minutes left for a hot finish. It was really good, but totally predictable. Sting had a scorpion on Tully for the last 20 seconds before the bell rang in the match. You know, it'd be a tremendous finish as if just once they work a match exactly like this, call 10 seconds left, etc., and had the guy actually submit one or two seconds left. Whoops, sorry for that hallucination. I forgot completely that wrestlers don't submit nowadays. I was having flashbacks to my childhood. Overall, this match told a story better than any other match on the car. Nikita was terrible until he hurt his arm, but he didn't do a bad job of not moving while Arn arm, 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 arm barred him. 
The other three were about what you expect from them on a big show, which is darn good. Three and a half stars. All right. Um, this is the era where on the babyface side of things, on tag teams, you have the Fantastics. Rock and Roll Express has been back, but not the same as what they were. Um, and basically, you have this revolving cast of characters who would team up with each other. Sting and Dr. Death. Sting and Nikita. Nikita and Dr. Death. Uh, Ricky Morton and Nikita after Robert Gibson leaves. Uh, Ricky Morton and Brad Armstrong after Robert Gibson leaves. Um, you just had these uh, just different guys, different mix-and-match combos that would team up and face Tully and Arn. And it basically, that's, that's what <clears throat> really led up to, you know, Midnight's getting in there, you know, because of uh, the Bayface tag team situation. But it is interesting. As far as I know, they never really did fantastic against Arn and Tully. I don't know why, because it seemed like it would have made sense, but I don't remember that happening. Clark, Clark. But anyway, Al, you, well, yeah, that's the only time then. That means because they didn't have no house show run. No, uh, uh, you just they watched were actually this. they actually had two Crockett Cup matches together because they also faced off in '86. Eh, different era by this point in time. Uh, Al, you just watched this as you said last night. So, uh, what were your thoughts on the match? I, I mean, I, I forgot how amazing Sting looked just physically, and how well he handled himself, even though he's clearly limited in his repertoire at this point. But, uh, you know, as I've said this before, it's all about knowing what you can and can't do and, and not doing the things that you can't do well. And, and that's a lesson that sting seems to have learned by this point. Uh, but yeah, he's, he absolutely looks phenomenal. I, I could never get into Nikita with hair. Uh, I was a huge Down. fan of bald yeah. Nikita, not hair Nikita, which I think is the opposite of what FTR is. <laughs> which one we like it, which one, you know, which one, which one we don't. But uh, I, 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 Nikita with hair, I just can't even, and just babyface Nikita in general, aside from when he first turned after that, there was nothing to it. It was, it made sense to turn him then and there. Uh, but then after that, he just becomes a guy and he's certainly completely outshone by Sting here, and I think at this point Nikita knew it. So not only is he taking a backseat, but he, you know, he has no choice, and he just willingly says, "All right, I'm just gonna let Sting do his thing." And, um, but yeah, this was a this was a high, and the the crowd made this match. It's also interesting the sequencing of the matches on this show really hurts the Midnight's and the Fantastics to have them right after the other tag team match. But but there's no other way. <laughs> They could structure this card because Dusty and Wyndham have to go on after the Tower of Doom. Yeah, of, I mean, it's just, the, it's just it's so, it just it sucks for the Midnight's and the Fantastics um, having them coming right after this really hot, really good tag team match. And another thing about Sting in this era too is this is Sting as a character being the most natural that he ever was as a character. You know, I mean, he gets where on the promos where he get where he, he, you know, he just does these different style of promos. You know, he's just being natural out there. And 
the, the it's organic with the crowd. I mean, the crowds are so into him. And this is coming off the stuff of Flair, um, you know, where he had the Clash One match, and they've already worked many house show matches around the horn. But it's just the fans are into Sting. He is a character that you want to be behind. Yeah, he's 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 different than most of the work rate rest, you know, wrestler guys in this territory. He's nowhere near as cartoonish as anybody in the WWF at this point, but he's just cartoonish enough to stand out here. And, well, and that's, he works. He, yeah. it's, a, it's a late. I mean, he is a product of the late eighties. Right, and it's him. Like you said, like so many of his promos, he comes off as a California dude because he is a California dude. That's just him. Well, like that's we him. said before. You watch some of the promos he cuts in this era. He's a better promo before he becomes a better promo than he is after he becomes a better promo. <laughs> because he's not—he's not trying to be something he's not. Yes, here he—he he just comes off endearing at this time with all the nervous energy and stuff. And it's not like Doctor Death, you know. It's—it's it's a different style of doing it because Doctor Death would, <clears throat> you know, have his problems on promos where he get tongue tied and says. You know, I'm I got I'm sorry I'm tongue tied. Sting would do that too, but it'd be like endearing. It wouldn't be uncomfortable. Right, just be like, ah, I'm so excited, Rossi. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, really, really strong match, and Arn and Tully were, were great in this era together. So And yeah. Tita has more important things to deal with. Yeah, but you know, I, I will say this I will say this for this Nikita return. Um when he first comes back back with the hair i mean he he he. those were some hot angles with him and 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 all the baby face against the horse especially windham's turn and stuff where they had like you know the little standoffs and stuff like that but yeah as the year went on you just yeah it's just not the same all right midnight express reclaimed the u.s tag titles being the fantastics with jim Cornette in a straight jacket and hoisting the cage above the ring before the match began, they had the expected and predictable bit where Cornette begged not to be put in the straight jacket or the cage. You know, it's been a bit that's been done a million times. <clears throat> Cornette deserved an Emmy Award for his performance. As good as Paulie dangerously is, and he's great, he's not even in the league of Cornette as an overall performer. I bet Paul loved that. Uh, not even Jimmy Hart in Memphis was this good. Well, let's not go crazy. The match itself consists of mainly of new spots, most of which are pulled off great, and a few of which look like they need another run, though. Well, the rest of the crew, particularly the world champion, their normal routine. These guys have up a new match, a lot of which was Japanese style. The Hot crowd moves. wasn't into this match. <laughs> the crowd wasn't into this match as much as the first one. In fact, none of the matches got to eat the first one did. Plus, because they did so many different spots, and fans didn't know how they would end up, so they didn't know how to react to them. At the end, they doubled up on Tommy Rogers for a while until Bobby's attempt for the rocket launcher misfire when Rogers stuck his knees up. Fulton Tad Dan was doing a Mexican style cross body block headbutt move to the, when the referee took a bump. Bobby Eaton got posted and was on the verge of defeat when Stan Lane gave him a chain, which he KO'd Fulton with. And then a hilarious twist in, into the ending, put the chain on, in Fulton's trunks and referee Tommy Young, who remember the second, best, or second or third best performer on the entire card, count the fall and title switch at 1623. After the match, Fantastic got Young's belt and whipped Cornette 10 times. Cornette was doing an interview with Bob Carter, which unfortunately nobody heard. When the Fantastics came out, it came out again, but the camera missed whatever. If anything, came out of that one. Easily the best match on the card. Four stars. It's been a while since I've watched this, but I always felt like it was not at the level of their other matches. It wasn't as good as the, t- the title change. Or the class. And that's what, 
Yeah, you know, Clash too. But I mean, the title change is always the one you're going to look at. You know, okay, that's like of this era, Midnight's Fantastics. I mean, that's that's the standard. But uh, yeah, you, yeah, but, but a bad a bad Midnight Express Fantastics match is a lot like cold pizza the next day. It's still pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, a bad Midnight Express Fantastic match is uh, a great, the greatest match between some other teams against each other. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't really go wrong. And Cornette was tremendous in 88. I'll give him that. I mean, that's one of his best years. You know, yeah, I around. think here Dave's really talking specifically about the spot of getting into the cage. Uh, he just, it, it's such an easy spot and the fans have seen it before, but Cornette does it so well. I, I got to tell you, you could, you couldn't pay me enough uh, as an indie manager to do, to have, to be in a cage that's raised above, you know, above the the floor. What about a straight jacket? <sighs> depends, depends on where and what kind of security and guardrails <laughs> there, there were. If it's, you know, if it's like action where there's no barrier, you know, at all, uh, you know, that, that's a tough one. I, I don't even think I ever did something where I was handcuffed at ringside to a baby face or a commissioner or a woman or a little person. I don't think I ever did anything like that. Um, but no, to, to have a cage and raise it above, above the, the ground. Hell no. Although that being said, if my choices are to do what Cornette did here and what Tommy Young does in the next match, and I have to choose one, I'm getting <laughs> in this damn shark cage any day of the week. <laughs> now Tommy Young didn't shit his pants 17 times during the Triple Tower of Doom matches uh, beyond me. Oh, because he's just up on the edge operating the trap doors and stuff. And right? anytime someone runs into that top cage, it shakes. And Tommy is literally holding on for dear life every time. It's amazing he'd have his career-ending injury that night. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, wild but, uh, wasn't there. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you're going for the bullshit type stuff, you got to have the guy that do the bullshit well, and Cornette did it well. Absolutely. So Yeah. And they really dragged it out here. Doesn't it last like 10 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, it goes for a piece. All right. So, next we get the Triple Tower of Doom, which went almost 20 minutes, 1955, but the babyface is winning. What Dave was told from someone who saw both, this came off better than the one World Class did. I'm shocked. Truthfully, the wrestlers did deserve credit because all seemed to be working hard trying to make the gimmick work. Fans of ringside couldn't see most of the match. Fans of Hope were beset with problems because camera work was distracting. It's hard to vent the cover. Nobody was clear on what the rules were. They kept on Mrs. 10-minute enter, five leave, and Dave never re- recalled hearing about these two-minute periods, a lot of war games, before the guys could enter. Even worse, when they got to the bomb cage, which was the only one with a mat, that's the only one they could work in, they basically would do a move, and then everyone would escape. The finish itself was excellent, but the match lasted too long leading to it, and it seemed the only crowd reacted when the road warriors beat on the heels. They could have worked this card a lot better by putting Jimmy Garvin and Kevin Sullivan in this gimmick alone. And they have it last about seven minutes at the most and putting the Warriors in another match. Except Dave realized there's no match they could have put them in at the present. That would have meant deadly squat. But all the focus of the buildup in the match was Garmin, Sullivan, and Precious. And the rest of the guys were bit players. It might as well have been Jimmy Valiant as far as everyone was concerned. 
for the record, the Bay Faces were Road Warriors, Dr. Steve Williams, and the Garvins. The Heels were the Varsity Club, minus Rick Steiner, Russian Assassin, Angel Death, Ivan Koloff, and Alperez. Okay, and then, the, of course, Jimmy Garvin and Kevin Sullivan, or excuse me, Jimmy Garvin and Kevin Sullivan. And Precious, Patty, unlocked locked the door for Jimmy to get out, and Sullivan shot Jimmy out, got the key from Precious, and locked the door. So Precious was trapped in the cage with Sullivan. Sullivan chased her around while Jimmy Garvin and Hawk climbed the ladder and made the save. Finally, Sullivan got a rope and started choking Precious while Jimmy and Hawk jumped down from one cage to another. Hawk gave Sullivan a flying clothesline, basically beat him to death while Jimmy whisked Precious out of the cage. Dave's still trying to figure out what the logic is and having Hawk make the save and beat up Sullivan. Dave supposes it's been so long since anyone's seen the Road Warriors beat up someone that they figured this was the time. But let's face it, this was Jimmy's save to make, not Hawk's. Two and three quarter stars. I mean, we'll watch this, but I can answer that immediately. Clearly, Dusty or whoever had the idea of the save spot needs to be Hawk coming through the roof of the bottom cage with the clothes on. Well, let's watch it. Sullivan is going to be hard pressed. David, get to his feet to crawl out to the floor. It's a great move by gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Make sure the man cannot walk. There's no way to walk out. Brain buster time. By the way, I hate that the only reason that she's in the cage is to set up this angle. There's no reason for her to be the keeper of the key inside the cage instead of outside, other than to do this angle. Yes. That's a, it's a bit much, but... Also, it's insanely creepy looking back on this 35 years later. I mean, yes, the baby face heel lineman is correct, but it's like... The angle here explicitly is that her abusive ex-boyfriend is kidnapping her from her husband saving her and beating her up. Sounds like, sounds like a lot of real-life overtones to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how often does that happen in today's life? I'm, you know? How often has that happened with Kevin Sullivan? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm serious, hey. though. Like, Dark Side yeah. of the Ring. Like, you know, the Benoit episode. Like, the way I, they I mean, that. were they... Were they trying to make fans? I, to me, I, I you know, I I wasn't sure if Precious was you know going to turn or not. So I think that's the idea: is that her being there at the end when it comes down to Jimmy and Sullivan, the fans don't know what Precious is going that's to do. That's the way the TV was built. Yeah. So they did, so they right. did a great job of building that up as you don't know if Precious is going to go because she started wearing all black. I mean, it, it was a lot of stuff there that you just didn't know what she was going to do. I mean, you can do that without having her in the cage, though. Well, You yeah, can have her got... unlock the door and slam it on Jimmy's head if she was turning, which she's not in. No, but... I know, but, but this right here, you kind of have to do inside the cage. 
Mm. Anyway, he did. Sullivan's crawling towards her. One thing I'll say for how well this was thought out, though, the knee injury makes it that he's having difficulty getting to Precious. Yeah. So this is not him just weirdly menacing her for a few minutes or him beating the shit out of her for a few minutes, which would have been way too much in either direction. It it makes sense out of him only being able to get to her right before the save, that he's very incapacitated. Yeah. Some rescuing process from the clutches of Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan looks like he's trying to rip her clothes off. Sullivan is deranged. Oh boy. Because, oh yeah, we didn't mention when that. He, when, when he, he got eliminated, cage, he, left. he went to the back, yeah. Yeah, he went to the back. Hmm. hmm. And uh, who's at ringside for uh, the heel team? We got uh, Rotunda, we got... Uh, no, manager-wise. Oh, Gary Paul, Hart, Jones, Paul, Paul Jones, Jones, Gary Hart, yeah. Who uh, ends up giving him some of the money. Right. Yeah. Gary Hart. Yep. Um... Okay, so uh, Precious had a wardrobe malfunction that she covered up very quickly. Probably the yes. first in the history of uh, this company's pay-per-views. Um, I'll say this. You watch how it plays out and also know how some similar angles were done later. I think it's deliberate. It's not just the clothesline. I think it's Hawk makes the save so Jimmy can go to Precious immediately and whisk her out of there. Yeah. It's it's like the Jericho Michaels angle, where Jericho goes to punch Michaels, Michaels ducks, Jericho hits Rebecca. Michaels doesn't go after Jericho. He immediately rushes to his wife's side as Jericho runs off. 
I think this is supposed yeah. to be the same idea. Well, yeah. did they do singles matches on the house shows for a while after this? <clears throat> well, Garvin and Sullivan, yeah, they yeah. had a run. So I that, mean, so that's the other thing is that you know f- fans will now want to see the singles match because Jimmy never truly got you know his revenge well, on Sullivan. I mean, they've been doing matches for months before this. That's the thing too. So this is like the the ultimate payoff. Of their of their feud, uh, so to speak. Um, I'm trying to let's see what kind of singles matches they did. Um, um, they did blindfold match. They did my more blindfold matches. Prince of Darkness. Um, really, really. I mean, they do tape fist matches. But they're, they're, but Jimmy, I mean, Jimmy's working with Sullivan in a lot of places, but he's also working with different people, too. Oh, shit, I forgot they did Tower of Doom with the Omni. Did you go? Uh, that ma- uh, no, that match was, no, I would remember that one. That match was Garvin, Dr. Death, Nikita, Brad Armstrong, Ricky Morton, like a Sullivan, Rotunda, Rick Steiner, Ivan Koloff, and Al Perez. Hmm. So a different crew of baby faces on that. But um, I mean, yeah. So, so they kept this thing going for a minute. Yeah. So maybe, so maybe that's another reason why Hawk was the one to you know to do the most damage to Sullivan. Well, the, the, they did the big angle with the center block. I mean, Kevin Sullivan breaks the center block over Jimmy Garvin's leg on on in, 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 uh, on TBS, which is basically the end of Jimmy Garvin and Crockett. Yeah. Because that's when Andy Gilbert comes in to replace him. So, yeah. All right, but but I will say that I mean, Dave, we're trying to compare this with world class. This t- triple tower doom. This was a much better setup. Well, yeah, no one could do anything in the triple dome of terror. It, it's it's a cage. The cage was in the ring with a lower ceiling there. Yeah, it's just you can do anything. You could obviously tell that Michael Hayes had the early idea of what Kevin Sullivan wanted to do and use that, and then Kevin Sullivan tweaked it right. <laughs> two months right. later. Saw so, so how it went and what, what was wrong with it and how to make it you know better. Let's say, oh, we did it first. Yeah, you did it first, but we did it better. And who yeah. was it that actually had the idea first? I always forget. Oh, um, Sullivan. It was Sullivan... Sullivan had the idea, Hayes learned about it from Sullivan while he was in Crockett, and then tried to do it first while he was booking in Dallas. Yes. Okay. All right, uh, next match. Barry Winham retained U.S. heavyweight title being Dusty Rhodes in 1555. The early portion of the match consisted of Dusty's regular spots and lots of stalling. crowd was into this match less than any other match. Really, the first nine minutes were mainly spent with them outside the, wings, outside the ring stalling after they would do a hot spot. Finding that nine-minute mark, they went to a five-minute spot, which consisted of a four-minute claw hold, 10-second break of the claw, then another 55 seconds of the claw. About a minute later, we were heading for home. When the ref bump, Barry missed Superplex. You didn't think Dusty would really take that bump, did you? And Dusty had Barry for a Superplex. So instead of Superplex and Barry, he body slammed him while standing in the middle of the road. So he didn't have to take that bump again, which forced Barry to take an incredible bump. Dusty went for the big elbow and win the, had win the pin, but the referee was not there to count. And then Ron Garvin came in. All right, we're going to pick it up with Dusty doing the slam off the rope and uh, Ron Garvin's ultimate form of treachery. 
Diddy. I, I need to see that again because I have never seen someone take the entirety of their bump more in my life. <laughs> All right, here we go. One more time right here. Just a few moments. But right here, you're going to see 
It was all over. Ronnie, Gar Ronnie Garvin did that. The claw had really no consequence at the end. Well, your winner and still U.S. Heavyweight Champion is Barry Windham. The knockout punch for Ronnie Garvin was a decisive factor in that. And one can only wonder what happened. You know, during the Tower of Doom, Ronnie Garvin got out awfully quickly. And then, of course, we didn't see him again. But right now, Bob Cottle is standing by. Let's go back to the dressing room. All right, and while we're waiting to try to get some words as to just what happened with Dusty Rhodes and Dusty's feelings about this, Ronnie Garvin, which I'm sure really surprised the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, just like he did all of the fans here in the arena and the fans worldwide. Nobody expected that from Ronnie Garvin. Least of all did Dusty Rhodes expect it. It was a sucker punch all of the way as far as the American Dream was concerned. And, of course, staying with that... With it goes that United States Heavyweight Championship belt. And Garvin getting the money. He evidently did it for money. That's no other reason that Garvin would do anything like that to get that money to land that punch like he did on the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Still the United States Champion, of course, is Barry Windham. All right, let's go back to ringside. Well, not a, not a very pleasant decision. Aww. <laughs> well, it is the network, Bix. Um, okay. Watching the TV, and we'll have a clip later. There was little things going on with Dusty and Ronnie Garvin that was kind of teasing this was going to happen. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, the turn, <clears throat> you look at it, kind of makes sense in in other ways who was ronnie garvin's tag partner not that long before this Barry Barry Wyndham. Wyndham. yes um who you know had been the world champion overshadowed everything by dusty Rhodes, ronnie garvin um you have stuff there which explains why this happened but the problem is with this angle al is that Ronnie knows what the deal is, what's going to be coming up, and is gone after a month. <laughs> well, yeah, and also, so you were there. You know, Dave says here you're going to have a three-man team at managed by heart of Al Perez, Ron Garvin, who took you know who took money, and Larry Zbysko. So would they have been called the Bore, Whore, and Snore connection? <laughs> That's very creative, Al. I'll give, give you credit on that one. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I'm looking up some ages, by the way. Yeah. For all we talk about how people used to age a lot quicker. Yeah. I feel like Ron Garvin is kind of the exception for his era. He always was. Yeah. Garvin looked young, younger for years. I, and I haven't seen him lately. Bo could probably tell us. But, yeah, Garvin always looked good for his age. It seems like what, he 80, took. He's what eighty-seven in in nineteen eighty-eight. <laughs> he's uh, forty-three. Do you know Ron Garvin was the opponent in Jack Briscoe's first ever uh, pro match uh, at a TV taping? I mean, uh, he that? debuted early enough that wasn't he a Bummy Rogers for Jack Pfeffer? Yeah. How about that, folks? So this is the only the, stuff you'll hear well, on this show. Well, and also that I Garvin? mean, Harley Race at the same time is forty-five and looks thirty years older. <laughs> Well, it's interesting with Garvin Briscoe. I wonder if there was ever a time when a future world heavyweight champions debut match was against another future 
world heavyweight champion. That is a definite what yeah. if. Uh, given that there yeah. were a handful of world champions back then, and there's 872 of them now, probably you know more likely to happen more recently. But that that just fascinates me that Briscoe uh, and Garvin, uh, you know, wrestled one another in 1965 or six. Okay, yeah. so do I don't want to get too sidetracked, but do we count Paul White or do we consider his real first match the NWA New Jersey match or? Whatever I would, I I would count his first match as his first match. You know, whatever. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Al. It doesn't diminish the achievement of being booked to win the world title from Hulk Hogan in your first real, sure. so to speak, match. But your first real match. Yes. Are, are you saying NWA New Jersey wasn't real, Bix? Oh boy, you no. Because <laughs> we're we're going to hear from someone later in this episode who uh, <laughs> might might disagree might have disagreed with you. I don't know if Dennis, Frank Finnegan was a uh, quality opponent for uh, Dennis Paul. Dennis is going to uh, back him from the dead for you, Bex, so, so you're very careful. <laughs> <clears throat> he's going to put the heebie-jeebie on you. Nah, he's yeah. going to haunt Paul before he ever haunts me. <laughs> but um, the thing, too, about this is that Dusty, Dusty was at this point where in some places he's red hot and in some places he ain't. And it seemed like on Baltimore this night, that was not the case. That's Baltimore. Yeah, what, was, Hud, was Hudson and Prazak and crew at this show maybe? Because <laughs> there were a lot of people cheering when uh, when Garvin turned. Yeah, I mean, you watch some of his Carolina shows and some of the Georgia shows, the, the TV tapings. I mean, the Dusty Windham angles are red hot, man. The fans are chanting Dusty and everything, even after the Midnight Rider bullshit. But I guess Baltimore and that smart crowd being there, they were not into this at all. No. And, and, and I think a lot of it, too, with Dusty at this time period is he was not in – the best of physical condition. He was looking out of shape. So I don't know if that, you know, played into that, but, uh, yeah, he was not looking great at this point in time. Now, as for the match itself, I think Dave is a little hard on it. Like it is kind of slow and ponderous, but I feel like, it's done in a way where the storytelling is good enough and Wyndham is great enough that it works. Yes. Well, Wyndham's amazing. I mean, well, Wyndham is the best wrestler in the world at this point. If he ain't number one, he's up there. But really, I mean, we didn't read Dave's thoughts. Match itself was bad. Wyndham took the incredible bumps. The slingshot on the floor. And this seemed surprised everyone. On TV, they showed the angle and uh, the three-team deal. So there's that. One and a quarter star rating for Dave. Yeah. Well, you know, a few years later when uh, the Bullet and Dick Murdoch have a similar match in Smoky Mountain, Dave, you know, gave a much better review of it. I don't think he gave it a great review, but, you know, he said, you know, Mur you know Murdoch and, and Bob totally had the crowd in the palm of their hands. Here, for the most part, it's not too dissimilar from that. The, the crowd is into it. Um, you know, this is, it's you know, it's just not to Dave's, what it's Dave nasty. was wanting in, in 1988 out of a wrestling show. It's well, and it's a long claw hold match too. And long claw holds and nerve holds are always going to get a certain kind of response from the newsletter crowd. Yeah. Yeah. It's dusty. I mean, and it's dusty. 
it's dusty. There's that. I mean, there's that too. You can't escape. Yeah, unless Eddie Gilbert and Paul were booking it, you know, we're booking Dusty. <laughs> Dusty Could you imagine Dusty working in a promotion booked by Eddie and Paul? Working Alan Martin and drill uh, <laughs> <Joe> instructor. <laughs> oh, Kyle. my D.I. Bob Carter. <laughs> Bob Carter, yeah. Oh, my God. Just imagining Dusty in a book promotion by Eddie and Paul. Dusty, you genius, sir. I would like you to teach breakdancing Mark Young how to appeal to the black population. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So let's get to the main event. Ric Flair retaining the heavyweight title in 2313 when the Maryland State Athletic Commission stopped the match due to Lex Luger's bleeding. Dave thinks the best way to put this match is if anyone but Flair had done this match, he'd say it's a very good match. However, it was the same clash of predictable spots, and Flair's offense is predictable, and so are his bombs. Luger, on the other hand, had his offense limited to just a few moves. Hip toss, bear hug, press slam, clothesline, and he screwed up some of those spots. To his credit, Luger went 23 minutes of decent to good pacing, and never blew up, so he's gotten a lot better shape. He showed some leaping ability once or twice that we've never seen from him before, but he's still a long way from even being an average quality wrestler, and his timing and moves in several spots are that of a green wrestler. What? At one point in 19 minute more, Flair went to the top row for his predictable bump, but Luger didn't get up, and Flair had to stand there and look like an idiot for 30 seconds, waiting for Luger to toss him. The whole thing looked sad. In other spots, it was like two independent guys who were trying to imitate a Flair match, but just not getting the moves down right. Also, a Paul Lee match. Still, there was good heat, good pacing, although not great. Individually, Flair was his usual great self that we all take for granted, but don't you wish he'd do a different match every once in a while? The finish saw J.J. post Luger, who bled. A few moments later, Luger had flared up in the human torture rat when the commission stopped the match. Even though Luger was actually bleeding very little, the crowd did think the t- change, title changed hands several of the Bayface wrestlers. Steve, the key of the dock, ran to the ring to celebrate before the official announcement was made. Two and a half stars. Okay, before we get to the clip, it's so obvious, by the way, just how much of the Luger coverage and the Luger, the tone of everything about Luger, is influenced by wrestlers fetching to Dave about how much money he's making. Well, who's probably the number one guy probably doing that? Uh, that would be, hold on, I have to pull the soundboard back up. Um, Thomas Edward no. Gilbert Jr. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, not him, because he's not there. Well, he had been, but... He's not there. It's it's Richard Morgan Flair. Well. I mean, Flair, I mean, it's obvious that Flair did not want to drop his title Lex Luger no matter what. No. And, you know, good Lord, we did one of the very first Exiles on Bad Street. In fact, show number two or three or one of them was me, you, and Dylan when we discussed the the, in the Jim Carr promotions and one of the key parts of that whole show is the fact that Flair would never drop the title Luger. Because Luger was so red hot as a babyface, especially coming off of this, that him not doing that was one of the major mistakes in that company. Yeah. You know, at the end. And this is before Flair and Sting had their little thing going on, well before that. Right, so he this doesn't just, have that think, excuse. Yeah. He doesn't have that excuse. He just... He wasn't going to drop, I, and, and you know, and probably because they were scared he was going to go to the WWF, which is a very real thing that's going to come up 
you know, in the next two months. Because everyone's contract know? gets breached. Well, and he's the guy that was rumored to be at SummerSlam as Brother Love's guest and all those stuff. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much there that, and then and then the sale happens, you know. So that goes into effect, and Flair's not giving the title up in that. Flair's a key part of the sale. So there's that. But Luger, I mean, Luger should have won the title in this time period, whether it was on this show, whatever. He should have won the title in this era because, I mean, they had him built up for. Luger was as hot as he, he was ever had been. Fans loved that man. Well, let's hear how much they love him and go to the clip. That's right. As uh, we start with Flair trying to introduce a steel chair to the match. The chair, Tommy Young. Putting Flair back to the ring. Dylan. J.J. Dillon with a cheap shot. Luger's taking two shots. To the head on a steel post. The champion of the world. Wrestling on one leg, but Luger has been busted open here. Not only has he been busted open, Jim, that is that same cut in just about the same place he suffered outside in Miami. You were there and you saw it. There's no way he had time to get fully healed in the same basic area. But Luger has been busted open here, and the state athletic commissioner standing up here. This is what's he doing over here, Tony? The commissioner and the doctor are standing up. I mean, here's the thing. If they did not point out the blood, you would not notice it. That's something I was going to get into after we watched the clip. Go ahead. But it's it's worse than I remembered. Like, we, everyone well, remembers this being a bad finish because he's barely bleeding. He is bleeding even less than I remembered. Yes. in the forehead of Lex Luger. Supervising Inspector Ray... Oh my God, that one girl screaming. Yeah. Nucci and the attending physician, Mr. James Cochran, have stopped the match. The winner and still world heavyweight champion, Nature Boy, Rick. 
eviscerations stopped by the ringside physician and the commissioner. A lot of pandemonium here, a great deal of confusion. Referee Tommy Young was told to stop the match by the state athletic commissioner as appointed by the state of Maryland. The athletic commissioner and the doctor sitting here at ringside, I saw them conversing. They got up and they wanted, and the crowd here quite obviously, very, very distraught. But the commissioner stopped the matchup. Luger had it. I thought Luger had the championship definitely in his grasp. A lot of states, they will not stop a match under these circumstances, Tony. That's right. In a lot of areas. But in Maryland, the athletic commission is so stringent here that with the, the blood and, the, and Luger busted open that they had to stop it. That's their, that's their state rules as far as our athletic commission is concerned. So there is the Warrior, seconds away from being the world champion, and all of a sudden it is over right now for him, at least for now, because Ric Flair is still the world heavyweight champion. Now, you talk about the laceration. Well, there you see some of the fans here. Here is how it happened, and it was at the hands of Dylan because when Luger went down, after that, he came back up. He was a different man. You got to really feel for Lex Luger in this situation. He had the nature boy in his in the human torture rack. It looked to me like Ric Flair was submitting. That was in my opinion. But Luger came back against all odds. James J. Dillon involved. Ric Flair. I mean, Flair was at his very best tonight in this situation with Lex Luger. We'll take a look at it right there. I'll tell you something. These people here are not very pleased with these athletic commission's uh, decision here, but uh, that's something that we're going to have to live with. Lex Luger's going to have to live with it the rest of his life. As soon as Lex Luger stood up, the commissioner was standing up, calling for referee Tommy Young, and then, of course, the decision was rendered. Everybody thought that Luger had won the match, but still, when we had looked, we had noticed that really the commissioner, or Tommy Young, had not checked with Flair that much to see Flair to submit. Well, I want to tell you something. Another, 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 another thing about here's all the people that have made this broadcast possible. We really do appreciate everybody's great support. Tommy tremendous Edwards. production staff done a great job here. It's too bad this match was in Maryland. If it had been in many other states, then Luger would now be the heavyweight champion of the world, in my opinion. Well, it's been a great night here. Glad you could join us because Ric Flair is still the world heavyweight champion. Barry Windham still the U.S. champion. Still world tag team champions. Tully and Arn and new U.S. tag team champions have been that express. For Jim Ross, I'm Bob Cottle. I'm Tony Schiavone. Okay, what a couple things I will say in their defense. One, Luger does gig himself, they convinced him to do it, and someone clearly told him to make sure he gigged right over his eye. Yeah. It, someone must have had an inkling this could happen, so they made sure he cut himself in an area where you could argue it's the location of the cut, not the amount of blood. Yeah. The other thing is, and they hammer that home at the end that we just heard, they make it fairly clear that the commissioner is making the call to stop the match before Luger's comeback really gets going. Yeah. So it's not, the commission is not screwing him in the middle of the torture rack. It's that it's taking time for them to communicate it to Tommy Young, but for all intents and purposes, the match had already been stopped before Luger really made the comeback. Yes. Do they but necessarily the thing, do a good enough job communicating that? I don't know, but go ahead. But the thing is, Al, the thing that's going to remember the most for this match and that finish is the fact they did it and Lex Luger's trickle of blood 
is what caused the uh, the finish. Yeah, he clearly wasn't chugging uh, aspirin before before the match, <laughs> like I saw Tom Pritchard do at the Super Bowl of Wrestling <laughs> in Smoky Mountain. Uh, I had just gotten in the business. I didn't quite know what he was doing, and Bo, uh, no, Bo wasn't there, but I think somebody iggied me. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, this is just such. Again, it's such so different from how the WWF approached their pay-per-views at this time. You generally have finishes in the main event. So WrestleMania earlier this year, obviously they had the double whatever with Hogan and Andre and also one with Jake and Rude. But by the by the end of the show, you forgot about that and you're focused on uh, you know, Savage beating DiBiase. Well, the main face always goes over in the end and WWF pay-per-views in this era. Right, right. I mean, and, that's just the natural. Yeah, or even just having, you know, clean having pinfall finishes relatively you know relatively clean by the standards of the era and finding other ways to keep certain feuds still going or creating new ones as opposed to using the a screw job finish uh, and again this is just the difference you know when you're doing things for a passive audience watching at home versus when you've got them you know right right there at, at you know live in the arena and you know you'll be back very soon just a different way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's just if you're gonna do that finish, you better have the blood to back it up. I mean, he should have been out there fucking, you know, <clears throat> looking like he just wore Carlos Cologne. <laughs> should have taken mean, his niacin too. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I mean, he yeah, all been out there just drenched in blood. That way, the fans can go, "Oh, okay, I can understand this." Right. You know, just having that little trace of blood, that wasn't going to do it. I mean, Dusty so, at Starcade 84, it's not a huge amount of blood, but the placement is so perfect. I mean, it looks like a guy who is bleeding directly into his eye, and they can't stop it, so they stop the match. And who is to say that these people from Baltimore hadn't been to shows... That have more blood at it. Well, I mean, that won't that won't stop. Chris, what's one of the main reasons that they're outdrawing uh, WWF in some of these northeast cities? Yeah, blood. Yeah, but Baltimore, you know, though, is known for having you know that little athletic commission situation. Right. So it's and and you could have called an audible here, except the representative from the commission isn't you know probably going to be able to be clued into that. So, yeah. so, so, would it, were it not for that aspect of it, particularly the, as you said, him, you know, f- trying to get Tommy's attention while all this is going on, th- there's no possible way to, you know, stop, you know, change it, change it up somehow, and and go, you know, to something else where, uh, you know, Flair, you know, sticks his knuckle into uh, the eyebrow or something. Yeah, it, it's just. The circumstance of the of the lack of blood with that finish is the key thing that plays a part in it more more than the finish itself, you know, because yeah, it, because it look, it's looked at differently if we have a whole bunch of blood, but we don't, and it's not. So yeah, um, I mean, also it is kind of realistic that it wouldn't happen right away though, because like I guess this is more of an issue with MMA than boxing because of the way the rules are written. But, you know, in, in a lot of states, oh, there are the fireworks starting outside. Um, <laughs> it's not even the fourth. <laughs> no, I'm recording this. It's not yet. But what do you expect? Um, 
you know, in MMA, a lot of states, you can't throw in the towel. You have to have someone in the corner get on the side of the cage and or call for the inspector to go on the side of the cage and get the referee's attention. It's a whole thing. So th th that there is a weird layer of bureaucracy slowing things down, I mean, that's realistic. And it yeah. did draw us. So at the end of the day, it worked. It's just from a fan perspective looking back, it's like, that's it? That's the blood? It's on pay-per-view, million, I mean, millions, but people around the country are watching it. So, Well, first pay-per-view with full clearance, we should say, too. And without yeah. WWF competition, because this is the first pay-per-view distributed by Turner Home Entertainment, which was able to stop all the WWF bullshit. Yeah. So. Now, did you know there was another way of uh, being able to know what was going on? So aside from being there live... Or order on pay-per-view. Do you know what the other method they were pushing on TV to fans? Called the uh, hotline. hotline. Yes. So what was so what was the hotline per minute back then? 99 cents a minute. And so they were saying it was going to be live play-by-play. -play. So imagine they did on the, being on the phone for two hours and 24 minutes. That would be $144. I've wondered well, that about that, like on those pay-per-view nights. Who's actually calling to hear like... The alternate commentary, like, you know, the Lance oh, Russell and Friends. It's worse. I mean, they advertise for house shows. Well, you, you know, know what the kicker is on weekend, that? Every weekend. Every weekend. You know what the kicker is on the house shows, though? Lance, because he's also the one in charge of the hotline, is going to all these house shows, and he's like, gosh darn it, these guys are doing the same match every night. So he started calling different spots than were actually happening in the matches. <laughs> yes. He was recreating. He was going the old uh the old school baseball radio announced deal. Well what was, he was, what was recreating? Lance, what was Lance Russell's first really notable broadcasting job? Doing Super Bowl well not Super Bowl, like World Series recreations and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the way he the way Lance would describe it is like the fans of Frank Psycho who could hear him would look at him like he had two heads. <laughs> yeah so wait at this point is it it's what are they calling it the nwa wrestling hotline or uh it's something like that yeah and well is it 900 909 or is it a different thing i don't remember i don't remember what the exact number was but but yeah i mean and that thing goes on for many years the hotline stuff so there you go so I, that reminded me of something else that's completely tangential, but it's, it's fascinating, and I learned it recently. Um, when Crockett used to do TV in Raleigh in the early 70s, yeah. while it was happening, they did two separate audio tracks recording it live to tape at the same time, I guess sitting at desks on opposite sides of the, of the TV studio, one for the Raleigh version and one for the syndicated version. That's just amazing to me, uh, you know how they how they did these logistics uh, in the days before satellites and you know syndication and cable and all that. How they you know band-aided all all this stuff and 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 just you know MacGyvered it. And it's definitely better than Steve Stack and Rapido standing right next to each other as they talk <laughs> in two different languages. Right.
and with Crockett, they had multiple TVs. I mean, and yet the High Point had their own TV tape. Right. I mean, at that point, they had three, but I believe the Raleigh one was the one. So they had Raleigh, Charlotte, and High Point, and High Point served Greensboro, Winston Salem. Um, yeah. I believe Raleigh was the only one that w- was bicycled out to the other markets. I'm not positive, but I believe that was it. The- was it was. So the Charlotte and the High Point ones were just live to tape and just aired in in that respective market. And until they went to Charlotte yeah. in eighty one, yes. Well, I think I think at some point they got rid of High Point in seventy five or seventy six. Yeah, it's when yeah. they became Mid Atlantic and worldwide. Okay, so that would be I seventy think. late seventy three. Yeah, basically, basically the George Scott era. Yeah, is when the when High Point went away. So. And High Point right. was the one that they taped like in a converted hotel ballroom or something, right? Um, I think it was a TV studios. I think it was a TV studio that was a converted hotel ballroom or something. Well, that may have been. There you yeah. go. It may have been. All right, Dave's final thoughts on the show. Good points of the show were the work rate of the wrestlers, as stated before. Camera work was better than the previous big shows, although the Triple Tower match, the camera work was distracting. Although one person understands TV a lot better than Dave did, said that would have been virtually impossible to do justice to no matter what. With the session of the first match, they didn't use their uh, pat predictable endings. And the fans had to be surprised each finish. So the booking was well thought out, at least in theory. Dave still wanted to finish the last match wasn't a negative in the eyes of the general fan. As he writes, the reaction to the show was really positive, although nobody was raving about it being the best card of the year or anything of the type. Dave hopes they nuked that triple tower. Ironically, they're bringing it back on July 30th for the Capitol Center for the Warriors, Sting, Luger, Dusty, Horseman, Sullivan match, which is a horrible idea because you can't work a good match in that thing. And putting on the big names in it ruins the undercard. And you get your best heel workers and Hans Bay face in a match where they can't do much of anything in. From what Dave was told in the Philadelphia area, they had a pay-per-view malfunction, so fans in that area didn't get to see the show. Well, that's not good. That's one of their hottest markets. They think they should have used Bob Collar for backstage interviews between matches, particularly while they were building up and taking down the tower. Actually, the tower wasn't supposed to take that long to put up, but there was a malfunction with the door to the top of the cage. They also should have film clips built up the history of Flair and Luger and interview both while they were lacing up their boots in the dress room to build up the heat for the main event. Tactile change called for a cornet post-match interview, and they should have done a bit, lot better job with Ronnie Garvin in the heel dressing room, and that should have had an interview as well. He's right on that. Dave really thinks it would be nice if the guys had a day or two off before a big show like this to freshen up. Yes. Although nobody, was, although nobody was complaining about anyone's work rate. Since Dave hasn't researched any pay-per-view figures yet, he did think a good job. Did do a good job on TV these past few weeks building up the show. This Sunday, uh, been on TBS acting like it was a telethon and showing all those numbers of cable companies nationwide was such an ingenious idea that it couldn't have come from the Crockett's. Unfortunately <laughs> for the Crock, well. Guess what, though? Unfortunately for the Crockett's, the Brace baseball game went 13 innings and 45 minutes of their last-minute height was preempted. Oops. Doing confirmation, everybody. The time limit announcements were negative. Well, that's so not already- their fault. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's just what happens to them. Uh, TBS. Uh, the, yeah, TBS, everybody. The time limit announcements were negative. Several have already called this one. This is not something Dave come up with a nitpick. That's just the way it goes, Dave. All the matches had adequate time. No were rushed, and the show was certainly long enough to where nobody felt ripped off. The five matches had almost exactly the same amount of total time as the 12 matches combined to WrestleMania 3, for example. However, they could have announced 45-minute time limits for the early matches because 20 minutes seemed too short. Of course, that wouldn't necessitate come on a new finish for the opener. Uh, yes. In the Flair-Luger match, they, they should have announced a 60-minute time limit 
So it's a time limit was a moot point reality system. We're going Broadway with it. Same TV time limit made this sound like a TV tape rather than the big show of the year. He's right there. If they felt they couldn't do that because everyone knew the second show was beginning at 9.30, they could have just announced that the match goes past 9.30 they had to delay the second show in a few minutes. Since they weren't going to do it anyway, they had no problem with satellite time, etc. For those who were wondering, yes, Tommy Young was scared to death on top of that third cage. Dave let the announcer rather the announcer both in the last minute hype and also on the card, although it seemed today that at times Jim Ross was trying too hard to sell every match as a legendary classic, particularly the Triple Tower match. Well, that was Jim Ross at this era. Yeah. And, and finally, they got to make a change in world champion. Ric Flair's the greatest wrestler of our time. Although right now, Dave would break him number three in the world behind Owen Hart and Ted DiBiase. And nobody will deny he's been a tremendous champion for most of his past seven years. He's still the best worker in the NWA. However, unless he makes a major change, meaning a Bayface turn, he is so still in his current role against the same contenders working the same match and always getting beat but keeping the title on screw jobs that the title simply doesn't mean what it could. Dave had thoughts that Luger wouldn't have been a bad replacement short term, but he's not ready. He's approved the where he's passable. Apparently, his stamina is no longer a problem, but even against the best wrestler in the world in a singles, he's not capable of producing a great match needed from world champion. Dave's not sure Sting is the great worker that a lot of fans think he is. He still needs to add moves to his repertoire. Would that be hot moves? He does great work when he's in with good people. But he is a lot better than Luger. And he should be the guy thrusting the championship spotlight unless a flare turn is made, which at least would enable Flair to have fresh matches with Wyndham, Tully, Arn, and Ron Garvin. Well, Flair desperately needed to, to be freshened up. And... My the one I always point to, point to for years, what they should have done, but they didn't do, was even though it worked because Luger was great as face in this in this year, but they should have done the Horseman split, and had Tully Blanchard Enterprises split off, versus Tully Lex and JJ, and then you have Flair and Arn, and then maybe do a reconciliation with Oli. Well, you know? Tully's about to be gone. No, I mean in Invasion Seven. Oh, right. So they had established that Luger was originally part of the group as part of Tully Blanchard Enterprises and blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. So, but that would mean Luger would ha- would have had to retain against Dusty instead of Dusty winning the U.S. title. So and for I mean the longer time fans in the core Crockett markets too, you have the extra heat of this guy who kind of came off as a discount flyer when he first showed up. Stealing player spot. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that would have to been done to make it work, but I think that would have been a. You had the Warriors go over on and Tully win the tag titles. You had Luger keep the U.S. title. I mean, there's a lot that could have went in there, but it would have made it work. But it wasn't going to be done. So there's that. All right, and Dave has a lot of good points here in his uh, post show report. So the overall verdict, it was it was a good show on TV, excellent show live. At the same time, Dave didn't see any coattail effect from the show, any positive momentum other than helping alleviating their cash flow problems. And Dave, this thing for a big preview show, that deserves a real ending to the main event, which is what we talked about earlier. All right, so we'll flash forward here as Dave does have the numbers. Baltimore Bastards, somewhere between 350,000 and 400,000 homes of pay-per-view nationwide. Three and a half to four percent buy rate, which makes the gross somewhere between five point five and six million dollars, which is roughly what was expected. All three companies which carried the show within forty eight hours all agreed to carry Crockett's next pay per view show scheduled for December. 
Starcade, which again means they'll have at least 10 million addressable homes cleared and pretty much ensure some success. Outside the three Vincent Man shows, Mania 3, 4, and Survivor Series, and a few boxing matches, this is the highest gross event in the industry's history. Most events like boxing matches, non-media glamour events, or concerts that go on pay-per-view nationally do a national 1% buy rate, and 2% is considered exceptional. Although in reality, the show did no more and no less than what was expected. Buy rate very greatly depends upon the area of the country that also was expected. It did exceptional in the Carolinas and throughout the Southeast, where it actually beat out the numbers of Mania 4. It did threes in pretty much the rest of the country, but did poorly in Los Angeles, a one and a half, and not so well in New York, 2.2, which is the key media markets. Okay. I'm assuming Dave amends this in the coming weeks because the number that Jason Campbell has recorded on pro wrestling history is 2.2 by rate. That's a big difference. Yeah. So also, so we're saying... This was the first. I mean, this was the first report. Yeah, so if we're going with the so the universe he's giving, allegedly, we're saying what one percent equals a hundred thousand buys. Yeah. So okay, so if we assume that number's true, which the two if we're going with the two point two, I still think that's pretty good for their first effort and. Especially as a company that's been putting more marquee matches on TV lately. So it dilutes the pay-per-view thing a little bit. I don't think that's bad, do you? No. Considering. Now, granted, though, like we've talked about before, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know how much we can trust even like the like more updated pay-per-view numbers in the newsletters in that era, or... Because we rarely hear about them past the first few weeks after the show. Yeah. We'll get like maybe a preliminary week over the next week. Then maybe we'll get another number a week or two after that. And then that's it. And we know this information took forever to come in. So I think there's an argument that basically everything we were getting was probably at least a little low. Well, it's, it's hard it's, to know. Yeah, yeah, it's not an exact science. In this right, area. but but if all the numbers we have are all based on the same short window, then in theory, they're all relative to one another are accurate. In theory, but it's not in like theory. everything would always... Um, and still, if it's 2%, that means one out of every 50 homes in the U.S. that could order a pay-per-view ordered this one. It's yeah. still pretty good. Yeah. I, I so I right you know right now I live I live in a I live in a complex with 279 units so but you know going by that right that means five people that you know live you know within you know in in my building would have ordered this that's that's you know that's a lot one out of yeah. fifty is pretty damn good uh-huh. yeah you know when it's like how you put it into perspective like you look at you look at especially like the share that SmackDown is doing these days that they're doing like an eight or nine share most weeks in 1849. You know, like what else is doing that on TV other than like live sports? Uh, nothing. (laughs) Nothing really. Yeah. I'm trying to see, did we have a Paul Kagan associates number for this show? I don't think we do, which probably Uh, would have been on the higher side anyway, but, 
We still have a lot right. more, though, as we, uh... Well, we have this yeah. first, actually. Yeah, apparently those in power in the NWA recognize how hot Sting was at the Bash. So after the Bash, they'll be pushing a feud against Wyndham, which would be the co-featured all the Flair and Luger matches. Yeah, this is a weird part of this. All right, so we have the Dusty Wyndham feud. Garvin turns, but Dusty is, is and Wyndham don't really feud anymore. Dusty's now feuding with Gary Hart and Gary Hart's associates. And Wyndham's going to stink. But we really, I mean, we didn't get a Dusty Wyndham blow off. We never no. got it. No. And Sting's put with Wyndham for a little bit, and then Sting and Dusty are teaming up at Starcade against our, uh, the, um, the Road Warriors. That's yeah. when, and that feud starts up. Yeah. yeah so I, there's so much, there's so much going on in the booking in this era. Well, changing so much. I just realized something, and I can't believe I've never, I can't think of this ever being floated anywhere before. So we talked about how Dusty's popularity is waning and all that. In certain places, yes. Makes you wonder if he specifically wanted to feud with Gary Hart with the idea of being, well, Gary Hart's the first person who really helped me get over as a babyface. I was working with him. <sighs> I think, I, I think that is more of Dusty knew now what his limitations are, and it's time to go feud with guys who he could work better matches around. Now, I mean, do you agree and, with that? Uh, also, he's much more likely to be cheered against Gary Hart than if yes. he's against the Horsemen and you know, yeah, Kevin some Sullivan, of, right? Yeah. Some of those guys. So that that might have been it as well. So you know, it might have been several factors all coming to play. But that is a good point that you know, Gary was uh, early in Dusty's career. Gary was a, a big, you know, part of of that. So it could be going back to something he was familiar with, some, something he knew. But you um, also you also had the situation though where. You know, they did the term with the Road Warriors, and of course, the fans are going to cheer the Road Warriors. Well, that's so, uh, yeah. that kind of backfired in that way. But anyway, all right, so let's get to a letter to the Observer from Steve Beverly, who Matt watches out, but this is, you know, a concise version of his thoughts. Well, and also, Matt Watch has just started. We're about, what, like a yeah, five, six weeks in? It's nowhere near in depth as it would become. Um, Steve says, I'm neither sky high nor am I lowly disappointed as after watching Mania 4, but the best I can describe about the Great American Bash show is it was an adequate show, but nearly 18 hours later, I'm thoroughly disgusted with the ending of Flair and Luger. On the plus side of the show, a good side of a match, got a crowd pumped for Sting, but if there's any doubt, him being a top star in the NWA, it must belong to those who think the Titanic didn't sink. The best announcement of the day, Jim Ross, Ross analysis in the key areas, seeing the key to really teaming previously, contrast to Tommy Rogers taking the pounding in the Midnight's Fantastics, match to Bobby Fulton absorbing a beating in the Fantastics U.S. tag title victory match, his ability to make some semblance of order in a confused Tower of Doom match, and he stored his Chivalry Flair's career versus the Rising Star, only three years as a pro. Plus, Ross can throw out some of the best lines in the business. Dusty may not be the prettiest dog in the fight, but he's got the sharpest teeth. If this had been any other state in Maryland, Les Luger would have been the world champion. Ross's overall knowledge is so superior to any other announcer, it's almost frightening. Much better use for close-up camera, which gave an in-ring closeness. Though director Tommy Edwards missed the best move of the night, Sting's leap on Arn Anderson, particularly during Flair and Luger. 
A fine ringside mite that allowed us to hear a lot of Jim Cornette's best pre-match histrionics. Excellent lying around the ring area. This may have been the best lit Crockett show ever, even though it was poor in the dress room area. There's three, three quite acceptable matches. Even Flair Luger was fine. When you consider Lex didn't embarrass himself and go in 24 minutes. On the minus side, the crowd desperately needs to learn scene setting and the use of pre-taped clips to do so. This crowd. If you're going to tell people that this is spectacular, you need an opening that grabs your emotions. An opening of the skyline of Baltimore, followed by slow-mo camera close-up shots of the key contenders with Ross setting the scene a la Jim McKay at the Olympics would have really illuminated this for the TV viewer. Boy, boy, is it not obvious that this guy had the ear of TBS executives a year later? Yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. I'll cue it up. They needed three hours. Why? We barely used the dressing room sequences, which would have made use of Bob Cottle talking with Flair and Luger and watching him warm up for the big match. Instead, Cottle was wasting a bad camera angle. No post-match interviews. Cottle could have run the emotions with a post-Doom reunion interview with Garvin and Precious. For the TV viewer, it was dead to watch the Tower of Doom construction for eight minutes with synthesized music and no announcer voiceover. Yeah, that happened. Oh, God, I forgot <laughs> that there was no commentary. <laughs> yes. Here was where we could have either gone to the dress room, shown pre-tape recaps of the feud with Garvin and Sullivan, while the Ron Garvin turn saved the near-dead match with Dusty and Wyndham. The post-match situation in the dress room failed for two reasons. One, why does your former world champion have to resort to taking a payoff when he allegedly was making world championship income less than a year ago? And two, watch your tapes. As Ronnie left J.J. and Gary Hart, he walked out to be joined almost arm-in-arm by Jim Crockett, which killed all credibility. Editor's note. Dave believes it wasn't Jim Crockett, but Doug Dillinger, who's Crockett's head security. The Tower of Doom battling the narrow camera and either ch- a, a cherry picker on a crane. The top cage is almost unwatchable. The ending of Flair and Luger. I think I'm angry about this. Than I was about the three judge fiasco at Clash 1. I figured it out early in the match because of all the talk about the Maryland Commission. All observer readers remember reading about how the commission doesn't allow blood. But the commission was never mentioned during last year's bash telecast from Landover. Plus, <laughs> I've lost a lot more blood from a cat scratch than Luger lost. It was not more than a variation of the Flair Dusty ending from Starcade 84. Only then, Joe Frazier was the Maryland State Athletic Commission. One five scale here are the ratings. Quality matches, 2.8 out of 5. Uh, average in 5. Announced in 3.5. Not quite as good as Clash 1 because Caudill was non-existent and Shivani was weaker. Camera work, 3.3. Better than usual, but far from spectacular. Audience assignment, 3.8. I'm told the live crowd was really hot, but it came across better in Greensboro. Overall production 3.0, taken off with no interviews and poor scene setting. And the total rating equals a 16.4. Clash rated 22.5. One reason I've been hoping for a Ted Turner by the NWA is that he has experienced television professionals, as opposed to the group Crockett employs. Uh, <laughs> and on a big car such as this, it has to look better than a souped-up version of Worldwide Wrestling. I'd have liked to see what Glenn Diamond at TBS could have done with the show. Or dare I say how the show would have been with Eddie Gilbert as producer. Signed, Steve Beverly, Radio TV Department, Auburn University. Okay. Um, Chris, in the early issues of Matt Watch, what promotion is uh, Steve complaining the most about as far as production values? Continental. Who is the producer of that show? Oh, no, you tell me, Joey Styles. Oh, that, of course, would be... Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr., professionally known as Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. What the fuck? 
and we're going to play Continental Clips later on the show just to, uh, uh, you know, make that point look even bigger how shitty their production is. But well, Glenn Diamond, Glenn Diamond, for those who don't know who that is, mm-hmm. he was the big guy behind the Braves telecast on TBS and well, did I NBA think- stuff too. Um, Forever. So I queued it up. So just as a reminder, Steve said, if you're going to sell people that this is a spectacular, you need an opening that grabs your emotions. An opening of the skyline of Baltimore, followed by a slow-mo camera, close-up shots of the key contenders with Ross setting the scene a la Jim McKay at the Olympics would have really illuminated this for the TV viewer. Now, it's not exact, but keep that in mind. Here's the opening of Bash 89. Welcome to Baltimore, Maryland, and the high-intensity action of glory days, in contrast to the serenity of the thoroughbred farms of Worthington Valley. Here in Baltimore, the Inner Harbor, one of the great reconstructions of a major city in the United States. Then it's to the action in the Baltimore Arena. Let's go there for World Championship Wrestling. Thanks, Lance Russell. And then, of course, we get the great Bash 89 theme over a montage. Lance, Lance and his uh, radio voice there, his non, I mean, non-Southern. I mean, it's his, he's from Michigan originally, so that's it's his, that's his uh, original accent, I guess. But I wonder if Jeff Carr gave some uh, directions on how to produce this opening. <laughs> well, I mean... You obviously get a lot of Steve's ideas here, don't you? So yeah, yep, 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 yep. But that Eddie thing—it's like Jesus Christ. Did he get off the phone with him right before writing the letter? <laughs> did Eddie dictate it to him on the phone? <laughs> it's just so obvious. And I love Steve, but my God, oh. <laughs> Could you imagine if Steve was doing his newsletter now with all the the punk and elite stuff? I mean, could you imagine him in that? Good Lord of mercy. No, I mean, what are you talking about? Punk doesn't talk to newsletters. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the elite. Well, That's on this. I mean, he has a lot of good points here. It's just a lot of other points. But this is Eddie Gilbert thing at the end. Just hits you over the head with a hammer. <laughs> goodness gracious, gracious goodness. What else can you even say? It just it's it's so much more glaring though, because it's the summer of '88. Yeah, and, and he was talking yeah. specifically about production values. He was not talking about the booking when he said that. No. All right, well, let's talk about the non-bash stuff. Let's go to the house shows. Not much in the win, else in the win news here. July 5th, Miami drew 4,500 fans for the bash. As Mike Rotunda pick in the Wyndham, half star, or star and a half, excuse me. Rock and Rolls of the Sheep Herders, two stars. Jimmy Garvin and Kevin Sullivan tape this match, dud. Ronnie Garvin went to a 15-minute draw with Dick Murdoch. Fantastic over Midnight's and Corny in a bunkhouse match, excellent. Sting and Dr. Death over Tully and Arm by DQ, very good. Dusty and Lex over Flair and Wyndham by Canal, and Road Warriors over Russian Assassin and I would call off in the scaffold match. A.K.A. the scaffold matches that are happening because the powers of pain quit because uh, they did not want to do scaffold matches. 
That's correct. Rightfully, they were like, we're huge. You want us to go off scaffolds every night. We're going to blow out our knees. Yes. But nobody got injured in this series of scaffold matches, so. Well, that we know. Actually, how insane is it that Sheldon went off the scaffold? (laughs) Yeah, and it featured the Angel of Death, for God's sake. Well, you know what, though? He's taller. So when he's dangling, he's coming down from a lesser height by a little bit. Well, let's be honest. He is the angel of death, so he's, you know, he has powers that uh, the powers of pain didn't have. Poor Ivan Koloff, too. All right, July 6th at Tampa Stadium had a disappointing crowd of 4,400. In the stadium. stadium. They're expecting 15,000. What do you think it costs to turn the lights on there? Uh, but Tampa Stadium, that's a that, that is a big stadium in that era, the big sombrero. Yeah, because it's a forty three thousand dollar gate for the show, and it's tall. That's the it's 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 a tall stadium. Um, Dusty Luger, Nikita, and the Warriors won the War Games over the Horsemen and Kevin Sullivan. Alvarez over Kim the Wyndham, Bugsy McGraw over Conway Jr. That's a match. Sting, Ron Garvin, and Ron Simmons. Be Ivan Koloff, Russian Assassin, and Larry Zabisco. Rock and Rolls over Sheep Herders, Fantastic over Millions and Cornette. Murdoch went to a draw with Jimmy Garvin. And returned over Dr. Death by DQ with a dusty finish. Then Raleigh on the 7th, just saw 8,000 fans. As Ken the Wyndham went to a draw with Rick Steiner over 10 minutes, two stars. Brad Armstrong from the Cool Cruel Connection at 40 seconds, one star. Ronnie Garvin, Mighty Wilbur over Larry Zabisco and Alvarez when Garvin KO Larry Z and Wilbur made the pin. Two and a half stars. Jimmy Garvin and Dick Murdoch in a match with all rest holds. Dud. Rock and Rolls over Sheep Herder, star and a half. Return over .net by reverse decision. Rep bump DQ to Dusty Finish. Two and a half stars. Fantastic over Midnight in 15 minutes. Three and three quarter stars. Road Warriors over Russian Assassin and Ivan the Scaffold. Half a star. And the eight-man cage saw Luger Sting, Dusty, and Nikita over the Horseman. 17 minutes when Luger pinned Arn. Three stars. No, wait, wait, wait. Before we move on. I don't think I realized Dorton Arena was that big. Yeah, Dorton Arena's a big building. Okay, it, I thought it was a little smaller than that. So at the $101,000 gate, too, for the sellout, which I gotta think that's the building record, right? Um, Well, Budro and Flair had the building record. Uh, that, right was, that was, I think, a little under 60000 Then Pittsburgh on the 8th drew 5039 to $79,092 gate. As Chris Champion went to a draw with Kim the Wyndham, Rip Morgan with double count on Blaze and McGraw, Alvarez there's Bisco B. The Lightning Express, Ronnie Garvin over Rick Steiner, Rock and Rolls over the Sheep Herders, Return over Jimmy Garvin with Sullivan spiked him, Stan Keenan and Donk over Ivan, Russian Assassin, and Murdoch when Dot pinned Ivan, Road Warriors over Tully and Arm by DQ, Fantastic over Midnight's in a scaffold match when Fulton actually took the first bump, leaving Rogers two on one, but Rogers knocked the other two off to win the main event. To win it, and the main event saw Luger and Dusty over Flair and Barry, Dusty pinned Barry in 624 double bull rope match. Then Chicago for the bash on July 9th. All these shows are in consecutive days, folks, and the pay per view is on the 10th. Oh, so wait, so uh, actually, yeah, just to be clear, so we have we have guys taking scaffold bumps before pay per view matches. I mean, they're not taking a night off. It's every night. Yeah. Uh, $6,500, $100,000 gate from Chicago. It was Road Wars, Dusty, B. Flair, Arn, and Tully in a match for the held-up six-man belts inside of a cage, and nobody juiced. 
the Illinois State Athletic Commission on that one. Luger over Barry by count out in the Texas Death Match. Flair over Fantastic over Midnight's and Cornet in the Bunkhouse Match. Sting and Nikita over Ivan and Murdoch. Rock and Rolls over Sheep Herders. Rick Stein wants to draw with Sim Horner. Russian Assassin over Kim the Wyndham. Jimmy Garvin over Kim Sullivan. Ronnie Garvin, WQ against Mark Rotunda. And Dr. Death over Alpress by DQ. So, of course, we have the Bash Review. So, what the, happens the next night? Oh, a TV taping in Salisbury, Maryland, where they have nice steaks, the Salisbury <laughs> steaks, on uh, July 11th in front of 2,000 fans for a TV taping. TV was all squashes with dark matches having Steiner go to a drop and couldn't win them. Bad. Fantastic over Midnight's and Cornet. Good. Zocking the key over Tully and Arm by DQ. Bad. Flair and Wyndham double count out with Luger and Sting. Great. And Rhodey's over Ivan and Russian in the scaffold match, which lasted two minutes. And Dave knows Russian assassinated scaffold bumps on his back. Climbs down a bit and free falls, which is a pretty impressive bump. He doesn't jump down like everyone else because of his bad knee. Oh, so he he's coming off the ladder. Like the middle yes. of the ladder into the ring. Okay. Um, I, these houses aren't bad either. Like, you know, before the... But it's also the bash. It's not the regular house shows. Yeah, they're running ambitious stadiums and shit. Well, not for all of them. For some. No, not all of them. They've, mo- they've mostly grown past that. Um, grown in terms of maturity, I mean. Well, they didn't have the great Delbert McClinton or Joe Ely or George Jones or Waylon Jennings on these on this tour. Yeah, <laughs> looking beyond our week a little bit. Uh, or Dave Allen. Uh, David Allen, yeah. The fourth, the fourteenth in Chattanooga at UTC Arena, eighty-three thousand dollar gate. Apparently, the building record at the time. I mean, yeah, I mean they were doing business. I mean, it was picking up after the bash. I mean, there's a lot going on, but... Yeah, I mean, they're doing $100,000 houses in some of their key places, like Richmond and Greensboro. On the t- I mean, the grand... You know again, what it's like, the though? Tour. Yeah. You know what it's like, though? It's like 98 WCW, where you, you're doing mm. the, they're doing the best business they ever did, but the creative is all over the place. You know? There's a lot of similarities there. Paul Ellering's training for a triathlon in September. This is when he starts doing his non-wrestling stuff. And, of course, he would do uh, Iditarod shit later on. I mean, a true renaissance man, that Paul Ellerink. All right, let's go to other clips. Oh, we have some good ones. So on the July 9th episode of NWA Pro, we have a match here where Chris Champion is teaming up with with, uh, Jimmy Gavin. And they're facing Rick Steiner and I think Mike Rotunda, maybe Kevin Sullivan. Well, uh, Chris Champion decides he's going to get a little cute with Rick Steiner. Trying to do a little karate kid action. Well, that's his gimmick that he's trying to do at this point, post-New Breed, is a karate gimmick of sorts. And he's trying to well, get it over, kind of. Rick, Rick Steiner didn't take too kindly to that. Let's watch the clip. I should probably go back a little, actually. Because it was, like, right as the kick landed that that started. So, all right. Fight over Steiner in the corner as he pounds away at him. All the way across the ring. He was really elevated down. Somebody kicked to the face. That wasn't that. Neighboring Chris Champion. That was. Just when it looked like Steiner was going to be in trouble and counted out, he came back. 
to know what the actual finish was going to be there. <laughs> I think he just got it. I mean, the original finish. By Steiner, but the battle rages on. Is there a replay here? There is. And it's beautiful. We take another look. What a karate kick. And there we thought the tide had turned. And it was going to be. And Rick is selling it. Like, he takes a, an exaggerated cross. Watch this clothesline. Watch Champion's head snap back. Tremendous percussion. What the fuck he did got, they do on that replay? He got kicked in the fucking chin. Of course, he was selling it. <laughs> he did no, 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 fucking... no, no, but I'm saying he took an exaggerated bump with it. Yeah, because he fucking got kicked in the chin. <laughs> but what's going on in this replay on. that Watch they keep his weird cutaway? Tremendous percussion. What a, what a victory for the Varsity Club. Tremendous percussion. Kicked, I mean, he kicked the shit out of him. I and mean, he did, like, he did the karate kid crane kick. He basically did the Leoto Machida Randy Couture knockout on him. And then Steiner knocked him out himself. <laughs> yeah, I want to I see the clothesline again. Let's see. I mean, he got down like on his knees so he could explode into it more. <laughs> that is the most Steiner line of clotheslines you will ever see. In America, at least. I mean, I think ever... Because the thing about... The thing that always made the Steiner line different was the way he'd kind of throw his chest into it. Yeah. And here, he sure does that. Also, he's gigantic. He's not like Mid-South's Rob Rick Steiner big, but he's huge. Oh, he's an animal. He's an animal. And oh, you can also, see also as the ref is ch- as Teddy Long is checking on him that he is uh, he is legit fucked up. <laughs> you think? <laughs> All right. So also on pro, we get a little bit of that foreshadowing with Dusty and Ronnie Garvin. So let's go to that clip. Does anyone shoot in this clip? We'll just watch the clip. We talk about excitement, we talk about it all, but we can't talk about it without talking about this man right here, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I know the bash is well underway. I know you got a lot on your mind, but you can tell the fans here, excitement is in the air this summer. Well, I think the bottom line here is very simply is I'm tired of talking about it. You go throughout this country and you walk on the wall side and they talk about legendary Saturday nights and they talk about legendary heroes. I mean, you can come out here and talk about everything you want to speak on, but Dusty Rhodes is three times world heavyweight champion. I am the legend. I have slept with the devil and I've soared with angels and I live on the end of that lightning bolt. Nobody wakes up in the morning like Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, cause the weight of the world sometimes lies on his shoulder. And Bear Wyndham, it's the story of when you were the kid and you came over and took my saddle without me knowing it. You had to pay for it. Don't take anything from the American Dream Dusty Rhodes that don't belong to you. And the U.S. title don't belong to you. So I taught you how to be a champion. I taught you how to win in public. Now I'm going to teach you how to lose, baby. Hey, Big Rod. Here's Ronnie Garvin. Right, I guess I missed it all. My plane connections. How did my brother Jimmy do? 
Right, you had a rough time, brother. I'm, you, I'm glad to see you, Hoss. I've been looking for this bash man to be on it. I've been looking forward to it. You're talking about prestige and money. Bottom line is money. <laughs> Plain connections are lousy in this country, and I'm going to tell you something. But there's one thing I know. I know you're going to take the U.S. title. I know that for a fact. All right. You know that? Yeah. I love it. Oh. Great American back. This is what it's all about. My brother, right there, baby. Yeah. All right. Ronnie Garvin and Dusty Rhodes. Here we go, fans. Back to the ring. The money. That was about the money, dude. Yeah. The actual highlight right. of that segment is Doc waiting awkwardly in the background. <laughs> in the ring. Because this is on a like a elevated stage interview. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and they didn't. They had another one the week before where Garvin was late for an interview, or late into the building. Also, you know, I love how every Ron Garvin promo has like something that makes use of his, uh, you know, English speaking uh, Quebec accent. <laughs> yeah, plain connections. <laughs> Yes. I mean, he. All right. He's the first person that we really had on TV regularly that had like the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn kind oh, of yeah. accent. Yes. Well, the Ru- yeah, he's the first, and then the Rougeos. And Dino yeah. Bravo's in there too. The, Dino Bravo and Pat Patterson and the like are a little different. Well, Pat Patterson's first. But yeah. he doesn't have the same kind of accent and patter to his speech that those guys have. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bix. You haven't watched enough early 80s WF TV. <laughs> Obviously. You have not. I mean, I Pat can see it, but it's not Pat to the Patterson same degree. Time, Pat Patterson at times, and you can, sometimes you can't really understand him. And he's speaking English. <laughs> Uh, oh god pat patterson oh yeah all right so let's go to world championship wrestling the saturday night edition of course and this is rick flair uh has a his last promo before the bash and he makes it a good one so let's go to the clip here it is the world heavyweight championship the coveted belt everyone all over the world wants it Tomorrow night in Baltimore, pay-per-view, the world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair, Lex Luger. It's going to come down. There's going One man is going to win. Well, David, always the picture of total confidence. You see, Luger had an opportunity to sit in the control room. I saw you out here tearing your shirt off, flexing your muscles, and making promises to the American public, pal, that I don't personally think you can back up. I, in turn, total composure, no vocal instrument whatsoever. I stand before you and the 10 million people that are going to pay money to see you and I tomorrow night battle for the people. most coveted trophy what? in sports. It is not the first time that I have been under the gun. Every time I got in that ring with Dusty Rhodes, the pressure was on. When I got in the ring with Harley Race, the pressure was on. When I got in the ring 
with Ronnie Garvin. The pressure was on. But the bottom line is, Jim Crockett looked at me 10 years ago. He said, Nature Boy, SRO, that means standing room only. And that's the way the American public is going to be tomorrow night. Because when that smoke clears and they hit that beach, the 2001 pal, I'm going to bust in that ring. Woo! Looking as only I can look. Luger, tonight, I'm going to find me a beautiful woman and I'm going to lay myself down and I'm going to know what I have to deal with tomorrow. You in turn will lay in bed tonight in a cold sweat because you have to beat the champion. You have to beat Ric Flair. You have got to fulfill your dreams and your promises, as you said, of a lifetime. And in Baltimore, Maryland, think about it. 17,000 people live. The building is sold out. And I'm told by the people here at TBS that tomorrow night I might make five or six million dollars <laughs> you know Diner math. Because 10 million people across this country are calling on the phone right now because they think that possibly you have a chance to become this. And my friend, in this sport, this is all there is. World Championship titles. Not words, not money, not prestige, but my friend, if you love it like I do, you live for the glory of being called the world's heavyweight champion. Only one, believe me, only one. And tomorrow night, look at it all that I can look. I will remind you of one thing when it's all over. Diamonds are forever, and so is Ric Flair. Do you want to be part of wrestling history? Call now. Let's go to the ring. Here's the thing. No. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, it's wrestling. I mean, you're supposed to be that type of outlandish pitch man to try to sell this show. Said, so listen, this is what you, you need to watch. Ten million people are going to watch this show. I'm going to make $5 million in one night and he's a heel. So I don't have any problem with it. It's funny, but I don't have any problem with, with, you know, with, with, with flair cutting those styles of promos. And he cut a lot of those promos in that era. I, I think he should have, you know, made the numbers a little bit less still over the top, but not ridiculously. So unless he's doing a comedic type thing, which he's not here. So I, you know, I, I like when the indie says there's going to be a $10,000 battle Royal, this is too, you know, yes, you're supposed to exaggerate and embellish, but that's clearly not. But that's, that's, that's different though, because the, the promotion is not supposed to be the heel. Cause I hope they aren't, you know, this is a heel saying that it's close. I mean, but he's not supposed to, it's that kind of thing is not supposed to be coming off as heelish though, necessarily. No, but he's bragging. He is, but it's also like, you know, the, 
That's five times as many people are watching that show. It's also the same man that what's up about, you know, fucking all these women, you know, and stuff, you know. Sure. <laughs> you know, in one night. <laughs> so, I mean. Well, <laughs> there's probably more truth to that than to well, the there is more truth to that. There, there is more truth to that than the $5 million. What, what figure did he put on that? I'm trying to Google it now. $5 million. No, he didn't say he slept with five million women. <laughs> no, it means he was gonna make five million dollars in one night. Oh, okay. No, I was okay. Um, he said roughly ten thousand. Ten million. No women. Oh, oh, I'm talking about uh, the pay per view audience. No, I thought we were making a comparison here. And five million dollars. I mean, fifty cents for pay per view pie. He's Nate. That's what Nate did. <laughs> All right, so uh, next we get Jimmy Gavin and Precious, and Precious has had enough of this shit. So let's go <laughs> to the clip. <laughs> Patty. Oh, it's a celebration outside. Champions will be in action here in just a few moments. Of course, we're speaking of Arn Anderson Jesus. and Tully Blanchard. A lot of things going on. We talked okay, about this I'm tower of doom. Here's gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. And Jimmy, tomorrow night is your night, brother. Tomorrow night is not only my night. Tomorrow night is going to be everybody's night. I've been choked, I've been kidnapped, I've been insulted highly. And you know what this is? This is the key and it isn't the key to my Mercedes, you know what I mean? This is the key to your life and your career, and this is the key to your life and your career. You got that? You got it, Kevin? You got it? You got it, Jim? You got it? You better have it, because I got it. Man, I don't, I don't know what to say about that, gentlemen. You guys got anything to say about this situation? Now, you better be some thinking going on here. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's let's go to the ring. Let's get to the ring right, right away. The way her hair and clothing are done up, it, 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 you're supposed to think she's turning and joining Sol. Right. Yeah. Well, kind of. But, I mean, the thing is, to me in that is... <sighs> That's a pretty damn progressive move for an 80s promotion to do with the woman character in this. Where she comes up there and says, I'm tired of your shit. I'm tired of your shit. I'm the, you know, I'm the, the you know, the shit here. You know? True. I, I really, I, that was, that is, is really what, I mean, it is a different way of how you would expect that character to be, be portrayed. And for the go-home promo... 
before the, the pay-per-view, that's the direction they need to go in. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a great promo, but it's what it needed to be here. No. Yeah, I mean, it's the way she presented herself. Yes. And also that, like, no one's acting like, oh, a woman put you in your place or anything to either of them. They're both shocked. Yeah. yeah. Because Jimmy's been a blittering idiot, you know, on TV about the whole thing because she won't talk and blah, 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 blah. Kevin, of course, being Kevin Sullivan. So, you know, he's doing his normal shit. And she was like, fuck both you guys. I've had enough of you. <laughs> and then they're looking at like, at their subway, she walks off and like, what? What was that? What just happened here? And they're, and they're both speechless, which was great. Exactly. That was the key part of it. That That is what sells you right there. Yes. That that is a that is a uh, a, a money promo. Yeah, Even though it was that, a, a great promo, it was a money promo. Right. Two guys that hadn't shut up in months. Yeah. Are now speechless. She shuts them up. Yeah. The woman, you know, which again does not happen in wrestling, in in this era, you know. So very very well done situation there. But uh, I love the video vixen hair she has there. She's yeah she's. She's definitely uh, in her Stevie Nicks meets. Um, Tony I would say Stevie Nicks. Tony no, it was no. She's not wearing the. Well, she's not wearing the Stevie Nicks stuff here, but she was heavily. I mean, that's she how was she wearing, had been dressing as a babyface for the whole run until this program. Yeah, yeah, but it's all black, so that makes it more Stevie Nicks in this era. But uh, yeah, so very well done. Now, one thing I wish that was on YouTube, but it ain't. The George Michael Sports Machine piece on Ric Flair Sunday night was one of the best media pieces on wrestler David ever seen. You know, I've always heard this feature was great, and I've never found a video of it anywhere. It's I've seen it in tape lists, but I've never seen it. It's the one national sports outlet that treated wrestling seriously. Yep, because George Michael... Uh, was a, was very friendly with wrestling. I mean, when he was the sports anchor on the NBC affiliate in uh, DC, I mean, he would show the clips from Landover, you know, on his on his sportscast. Mm-hmm. That video that just hit YouTube in the last couple of weeks from Baltimore, nineteen eighty, that was the mm-hmm. stuff that would be Landover. shown. Landover, excuse me. Landover 1980, that was what he would, that, that's the stuff he would show highlights of on his telecast. Yeah. And what he would do, and, and how he did it was, he would show parts of a match and then, and then tell the fans, you got to stay tuned. You got to come back for 11 o'clock to get the rest of the, the highlights. Well, that was so, probably airing on USA Network, though, too, because it had the gorilla. No, it was not. No, 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 not that early, not 1980. Uh, are you sure? Positive. I'm pretty sure Cap Center on USA had started. No, 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 no. It just we, we don't have ha- a lot of video of it. No, 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 no. Uh, that stuff doesn't begin until '81. Right around when he hooked up with Andrew Ridgely. Just to give you, I mean, <laughs> just to give you the gist. I mean, USA Network isn't USA Network until April 9th, 1980. It's still the Madison, Madison Square Garden network. Yes. So, yeah. But 
Yeah, George Michael was always friendly with wrestling. So, and they're in Baltimore, so it's in his neck of the woods. So of course he's going to have a spotlight on Flair and stuff. That's where the Flair Steamboat Capital Center draw. I mean, that was shot for the air on that stuff. Okay, so I mean, let's just say exactly what it was. I mean, his cameraman or whoever it was was tape trader. Yes. Um, Flair Steamboat from the Meadowlands was from his cameraman. Yeah. And there's actually, he had a ringside shot of it too that got used in one of the later features, but that never showed up in Tape Traders. Uh, night two of the second Crockett Cup was from his guy. Yeah. And so was, uh, actually, Flair, Ste- Flair Steamboat Landover might not have been from his guy. But I mean, there's the, wasn't that also, wasn't there like a closed circuit aspect to that though? Cause it's like, it's from the, whatchamacallit, it's from the, like the same Landover hard cam that's used on the WWF shows. For what I'm saying, it's, it's, it was that station. But still, that you, guy get from the station. you get the idea though. Like he, he had this guy working for him who would trade with your Steve Munari types. And that's how that stuff got into circulation. Yeah. Oh, the days of tape trading. Where have you gone? Ah, VHS. And for those of you who are interested in what was supposed to be originally the pay-per-view show, was going to have Tully Blanchard as United States champion, defending against the Midnight Rider with the mask at stake. Tully and Arn weren't originally supposed to be a tag chance, but when they turned Wyndham with no planning, they got the belts, and it was decided that Wyndham, not Blanchard, would win the tournament in Houston. It makes a lot of sense when you look at what happened. You know? So Tully would have gotten... The U.S. title. In the tournament in Houston. That's correct. Aren't Luger and Wyndham would have been the tag champs. So why you did know, they, they shoot would've... the Wyndham angle when they did then i mean they had been building up to it for like a year and a half <sighs> kind of confusing because luger and Wyndham were red hot as a team by that time made no sense even though it was kind of foreshadowed but made no sense i don't know again it goes to this era like i was saying the booking is just inconsistent it's it's changes too much for various reasons bookers burn out brother Yep, it was time for somebody else to be in charge. Like a Thomas Edward Gilbert. Junior. Junior. That's right. Oh, well, it would have been interesting to see what Senior could have done with it. <laughs> he Well, he was, uh, at this point in time, he's uh, he's got the Kansas City. Yes, oh, yeah. and is drawing terribly by even by Kansas City standards. <laughs> yes, so we could add yes. the Mod Squad as the tag team champions here then. <laughs> I think we actually have uh, that in the notes coming up. Uh, the the Gilberts in Central States. No, I missed it. It was the week after our week. So 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 Sting so Sting was here in '88, and he's still active. There yes. are two other wrestlers who appeared on TV for Crockett around that time that are still somewhat active. Ricky okay. Morton, uh, George. Oh, oh yeah, Ricky Morton. I didn't even think about him. Ricky Martin. Also George South. And yes, a wrestler who is going to be in Chattanooga uh, the weekend after this comes out as part of the Scenic City Invitational. 
Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson. He wrestled uh, Brad Armstrong on the Saturday night uh, TBS show. Mike's on TV a lot in 88. Yeah, he, he's yeah. – there are times there when you never see Mike Jackson, and then there's times where he's all over TV, and he's all over TV in this era. That's just wild that a significant number of, of, of you know, not a significant, but, you know, more more than one or two, 35 years later, are still kicking. Hey, God bless him, man. Yeah. God bless him. Well, uh, Luke Williams still works indie shows. Huh? Okay. I mean, you got to think about that, too. I mean, Luke Luke still works. Arn's not wrestling, but Arn's on TV. Right. Um. Trying to think who who else. Um, I mean, Ron Simmons ain't working, but he's still doing stuff. He's around. So, uh, yeah, I mean, thirty five years, hard to believe, but yeah, some of the some of the boys are still doing. But yes, imagine telling folks in nineteen eighty eight what Sting would be doing in, in twenty twenty three. Crazy, like nearly killing himself of jumping off la- uh, ladders and shit. So. Yeah. All right, I'll be back with us a little bit later in the show. So me and Vixen go international now. We're starting to land the rising sun. All Japan Pro Wrestling leads off. Where Ashurahara suffered a 13-stitch cut on July 5th in Kohama. And returned to action on July 9th, but he must have come back too soon because he left the tour again a few days later and won't return until the next tour. Because of that... And you, Genichiro, and Ashurahara have given up their shots at the World Tag Titles held by Yoshikiyatsu and Jumbo Shiruda. On July 29th, Takasaki will be replaced by Stan Hansen and Terry Gordy. Uh, there's probably no ton of horror got cut, probably because of uh, a headbutt or something. Knowing <laughs> that dude, because he was a hard hitter. Yeah, but he's also not long for this world at this point, isn't he? Uh, he's gone from all Japan right before the, uh, tag league. Okay. So it's a few more months, a few more tours. <laughs> yeah. Before his, uh, gambling troubles with the uh, local <laughs> businessmen come to a head. Yeah. Okay, so. Octo- October 28th is his last match in the promotion. Yeah. So we're less than four months. Yes. And... Yeah, they were a heck of a team, but got to do what you got to do, I guess. Although, how adorable was it that uh, Ishii and uh, Eddie Kingston were doing Tenruhara double-team spots at Forbidden Door? Yeah, yeah, well, Ishii's a student of Tenru, and Eddie Kingston's a huge fan of that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that was nice. Huh. All right, so um, let's go to uh, TV taping on uh, July 8th in Hagi, the Hagi Citizen Gym from 2350. We have uh, Mitsuo Momoto over Shoshikuchi, Agawa over Tatsumi Kirahara, Masafuchi over Kilikabashi, one of his early matches, Shinichi Nakano and Shinichi Takano over Haruka Egg and Matoshi Akuma, Toshikawana over Summer Teranishi, The Destroyer, Dick Byer over Mighty Inoue, then we have Giant Baba and Akira Tawe going to a double countout with Rush Kamara and Gorosh Rumi. John Tenta and Yoshiki Yatsu over David San Martino and Leo Burke. That is definitely a match. So is this one. Tiger Mask Masawa over Jam and Mitch Snow. We have Takashi Shikawa and Great Kabuki over Tenu Grichiro and Sansa Fuyuki. 
It's San Anthony Terry Gordy over here. Hiroshi Wajima and Jumbo Sharuda. Nineteen eighty-eight, all Japan uh, Gaijin is one of the most eclectic group of men that, that uh, probably ever tour for Japan in a single year. Uh, yes. All kinds of people coming in and out of there from all sorts of different places. Yeah, you had your Kansas City guys. You had your Brody Georgia recommendations. There are a lot of different people coming. Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. Um, all kinds of, you know, the, the regulars. Uh, just all kinds of people. Um, um, just a mixed bag. No doubt. But, uh, fun stuff here. And this was TV, so the last three matches aired, if I'm not mistaken, on television. So there you go. Okay. So, yes, Misawa and Mitch was a TV match. Okay, so 1988, though, because I don't know if I've ever seen any of the San Martino stuff or if it made TV. I don't know. He didn't make TV for us, I know. So, I don't know if you've ever seen any photos. Is this still the old David San Martino, or is this starting to be the uh, the lean, jacked David San Martino? Uh, he's in that uh, transition phase. Okay. In his physique. Now, um... His when he goes back in in ninety ninety one that well, then, yeah. that airs there is a TV match from there. Uh, I'll tell you which one it was. Was I go down? Did he get like a junior title shot or something? <laughs> Excuse me, ninety. It was him. It was Shinshikano, Kiritawa, and Jumbo against Hanson, Spivey, and Davis San Martino. So that was a match that aired on TV. Hmm. I don't think he had a junior title shot. If he did, it didn't make TV. But there you go. And, of course, he's here because of the Bob-Bruno uh, relationship. Uh, more than likely, yes. Yes. Um. Okay, yeah, I'm looking... Giant Baba. Yes. He, he loved Baba so much that uh, he bought him a car. Because he couldn't find <laughs> yeah. a car that was big enough for himself in Japan, so... Bruno bought him a car and had it shipped to Japan. <laughs> that's a real story. That's not just... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's some interesting matches on some of these tours. Oh, good lord. <laughs> I know you do, I know you only give usually the biggest show of the week. July 5th, uh, David Sammartino losing to Hiroshi Wajima. Yeah, I'm sure that was a humdinger of a match. Well, he's better than Tom McGee. <laughs> yeah, he was better than Tom McGee. That's a complete performer. Yes, there is that. All right, let's go to New Japan now. Let's negotiations for Anuki's return on August the 8th. It's a tag match with Ricky Choshu, team with Tatsumi Fujinami, the Gorgas, Antonio Anuki, and Bob Backlund. Nothing's definite about this one, however. Dave said, I'm often critical of Anoki, but let's face it. He's like too many who won't step down when it would be better for the promotion of Billy Younger Talent. However, he does deserve credit for at least keeping himself in condition. Anoki has some sort of blood disease, which is why his stamina is pretty awful, but at least he keeps himself looking good at 45 years of age. That does not happen, of course. It's Anoki and Fujinami in the 60-minute draw, but uh, there's the 
something about Bob Backlund coming back in 1988 for New Japan, but that happened. He comes back for UWFI or UWF, excuse me, UWF two, but not New Japan. Yeah. Um, and it's not a blood disease, or maybe that's what they're telling people at the time. It's uh, that Inoki's a type one diabetic. Yeah. Yes, and Backlund ends up returning uh, in the first Kawada match on December 22nd. So, uh, the first what match? His first, I said Takata. Oh, I first said Kawada. Oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a match I missed. <laughs> Bob Backlund against Tushan Kawada, that made quite the, uh, the matchup, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, December 22nd, 1988, so there you go. Um, now, speaking of criticism, there's a lot of criticism on Fujinami of late. He's basically put over so big because he's continually threatened to leave. In fact, he hasn't renewed his contract in New Japan, so he's technically a free agent. However, Bob and Anoki have a deal so that neither will raid the other's talent. So Fujinami can't jump to all Japan, even if he wants to. And Dave can't see him going to UWF, even though his first match against Maeda, which are on an incredible gate. But he has to do the job, and that may be the end of him. Anyway, most observers out here think it's too soon for Vader to do a clean win fall of Fujinami. And Dave agrees that unless Vader's going to win the title on July 22nd, he shouldn't have done that job since Vader's being pushed as their answer to Bruiser Brody or Stan Hansen. Also, if anything is to be salvaged, Ricky Joshi's former popularity, have him also do a job Fujinami clean, to shorten the chance of that. Joshi needed a big win after Nokia Maeda had destroyed him, but Dave guess he's relegated to being the final tag team wrestler from this point on. Dave just, I mean, I understand where Dave's thinking is here, but Vader did that job, didn't affect him none. Choshu did did his little jobs there, didn't affect him none. So it, it, I get what he's saying, but some people can, you know, can afford to do stuff and it really doesn't hurt them. Yes, although, I mean, in a 1988 context, I get where he's coming from, though, because in Japan, there are so few clean jobs. Yeah, but Fujinami, I don't think Dave really understands what they're trying to do. Hmm. Because, I mean, they're trying to make Fujinami now the unquestioned ace of the company. And they're trying to get I mean, the pieces into place for 89, too, to elevate the Three Musketeers, once that's happened. Well, that, I mean, we're a little bit away from that. I mean, we're, we're, we're just about in that time period where that, you know, be, actually becomes a thing. Well, it's not exactly the Three Musketeers, because Muda's not in Japan most of the, Mudo's not in Japan most of the year, but you get what I'm saying, though. Like the no, but they, Hashimoto, but, and especially getting elevated in 89. Well, yeah, but he's nowhere even close to that here. He's in fucking Calgary working uh, undercar matches at this point in time. Well, yes, but anyway. But but the thing is, is that they got to they got to get Fujinami to that point where he is the unquestioned ace over Choshu. I mean, that's just the way it had to be. So. Just had to do the job. And again, it ain't gonna hurt him. Ain't gonna hurt him at all. I've been watching all that stuff, uh, you know, over the past year or so. It didn't hurt him at all. I think Dave's just going in with that mentality 
of a, like a American wrestling that you really can't use here regarding that. Yes and no, but I get what you're saying. It, I mean, the fact that you go take a Noki to 60, that's almost as good as beating him. Well, that hasn't happened yet, so... I know, but it's about to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, um... They were all during our week, so we don't have any results from them. All right, let's go into UWF, and we go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. Rumors are that I care my aid is interested in bringing in Rick Steiner and Dr. Steve Williams for future shows. Who the heck is telling 1988 Wade that? Um, okay, 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 okay. I, I did the normal torch symbol. This is actually Matt Watch. Oh, okay, in our notes. Yeah. You're starting to see why I just, I, I've gotten to the point of putting the full name of the newsletter in the uh, Patreon notes. Well, the reason why was I didn't have any torch stuff, really, at all, because this is, like, the birth of the torch. Well, Matt fact, Watch also see... just started, too, but yeah. I don't even, well, yeah, I don't even think there's a torch newsletter yet. Yeah, the torch newsletter doesn't start till, uh the end of July. No, it already First exists. Month. No, it already exists. It's just... It's a not question of which stuff Wade has uploaded online. Well, not what not in the in the folders that we use and that stuff. There is none that torture. No, I know. I've I've never come across anyone that has any of the earlier stuff. So and Wade won't put it online. Probably for good reasons. <laughs> I mean, he was a child. And there was some. You go back and read some of those early torches, and there's some interesting people. Writing and saying things in there. They probably don't want out there today. The people or what they said? What they said. I mean, it's it's, it's a different time and place. It's a bit of scam. But but you completely understand why Maeda would want to bring in Steiner and Dr. Death. I mean, they totally fit what UWF was trying to do. But Doc is still, you know, New Japan. Steiner doesn't have any Japanese commitments. So he could have went, but if there was any talk about him going, he probably made the best career move not going to Japan because it would have hurt his momentum. Yes. Because this is the era where he's about to really start ascending. Yeah. And he didn't need, uh, need any of that stuff uh, interrupting him. All Japan women. July 5th, the Crush Girls won the main event of the show that they had. Um, don't know where. I think it may have been in Corkin. Don't have any results. Being the Fire Jets, Yumiko Hota and Mitsuko Nishiwaki, and Bull Nakano and Dynamite Jack, Erika Shishido upset the Stationary Bomb Angels. <laughs> the Stationary Bomb Angels, eh, Dave? What are you trying to say there? Hmm. <laughs> You want to talk about who Dynamite Jack is, Biggs? I mean, she never actually used that ring name, I don't think, so I'm trying to figure... It's... I'm assuming this is a mistranslation. It's Aja Kong. No, I was going to say, yeah, it's Aja Kong, but I don't think she's ever wrestled under any name other than Erika Shishido, or... Or Shishido, excuse me, or, um... Or Aja Kong. Yes. And we have a big hole in our... All Japan women results. Jungle Jack isn't a thing till 90. Okay, so why is she being called Dynamite Jack here? I don't know. So, at least with what cage match has 
And again, for whatever reason, people were not good about keeping track of all Japan women results the way, way they were about the major men's promotions. Cage match has nothing between February 87 as Erica and March 89 as Aja Kong. So, who knows? But anyway. I feel like I've heard the name Dynamite Jack, though, before. Why does that ring a bell? Wasn't in a movie? Maybe? Dynamite Maybe. Jack? Who knows? You know, with Dave. I think it was. I'm just checking to see if... Uh, Dynamite Jack was a video game. Oh, okay. Not to be confused with Mighty Bomb Jack? No. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, wrestling, Cap- wrestling data has... It's not a result, but a match listing from April. And in April, she's still Erica Shishido. Alright, so there we go. And teaming with the future uh, Bison Kamur. There you go. Alright, as we continue... Wait, so special- maybe the what? tag team was called Dynamite Jack or something like that. Who knows? I don't know. Or the group. Alright, just a few notes based on recent TV shows Dave seen. They had the Crush Girls versus Jump Bomb Angels, which was a three and three quarter star match. But ironically, from those teams, that's disappointing. The Angels simply haven't recovered from their WF tour and are too heavy to do the flying moves that made them famous, and they don't have the incredible stamina of me and the girls here. Oh, boy. And in fact, on the Amiya car, where they lost their belts to uh, Judy Martin and Leilani Kai, it was the worst of the four televised matches on the car, but still two and three-quarter stars. That's true, so Tachi is ridiculous because all four girls are counted out, but Martin was halfway into the ring, which is typically how they do double count-outs everywhere. But for some reason, the ref ruled since she was more than halfway in, she wasn't counted out, and they awarded the American girls the WF tag belts. The Angels did a great job of crying in the middle of the ring after losing. Crush Girls had a four-star plus match early on the card against Nishiwaki and Mika Suzuki. Suzuki looks to be a star of the future for this group. All right, let's see. So what to go over here? I mean, Mika Suzuki doesn't last that long, right? She nope. flames out after a few years. I don't know if she got hurt or anything, but... Well, uh, she changed her name. Why? She becomes name? well. She's become Suzuki Manami. Oh, duh. Sorry. Why did I? Blame so yes, yeah, yeah. Mika Suzuki flamed out, but Suzuki Manami didn't. Okay, I totally but, forgot about that. That that was the same person. Um, but Dave, uh, talking about the the angels got fat and happy here in America. <laughs> did they? I don't remember their return to Japan, you know, or any of that type of stuff, so I don't remember how they looked. Also, just with the timeline here, yes, you know, for not to cast aspersions, but it is wrestling on Leilani Kai, but that that whole story about Moolah screwing them out of a WrestleMania payoff, out of excuse me, a WrestleMania 4 payoff by tricking them into switching the belts in Japan, obviously that can't happen that can't be true because this is after WrestleMania four, and I don't think she was talking about WrestleMania five when she's told that story. Hey, it's wrestling. <laughs> Wrestlers and timelines can get funky, Vix. We know that. Well, yes. Um, okay, this this match is on YouTube on Red Fox Punk's uh, channel. And it looks to be a rip from a DVD or a classics version and not a VHS. Oh, no, maybe it is just a nice VHS. Uh, let's see. I don't want to be scrutinizing. I mean, they look normal. 
Well, do they look different? They look from when they left. It's hard to tell because they're not wearing the black gear. Okay. Well, again, that's it's just nothing Dave's dramatic. Thoughts. Is just what I'll say. It's nothing dramatic that I would think would be a huge change in their athletic performance. They had too many cheeseburgers in here, I guess, for Dave's uh, point of view. But anyway. All right. Chagusa Nagai is far and away the best performer still. Her retirement seems to have faded away. Linus Oscar is as popular as she was in her heyday, but still the second best worker of the women in the world. But we're not going to remain strong third with whomever is fourth, being a very distant fourth. Okay. Um, I mean, we're at 88. So, uh, Jaguar Yakoda and Devil Masami are retired and off to JWP. Um, which Dave is pretty clearly not seeing any of. And then, okay, who would, yeah, who would be fourth at this point? Uh, Baby Akira Hokuto is still out injured or has just come back, right? Yeah, it's, it's and a he's not at that level yet anyway. It's um, a crapshoot, you know. Right, Kong's not there yet. And uh, by the way, when did, when did American fans realize that their name was the Crush Gals and not the Crush Girls? Um, probably through the Observer. But when? I don't know. Beats me. Okay. But yeah, who would? Yeah, who would the? Who would be the next best after those three at this point? And I mean, like, at the, or at least the other, like, of the ones that like ended up like not really have sticking around and just retiring when they had twenty six. I think some have, some, but not all, have retired at this point, right? As far as like, you're like Yukari Omori, Yumiogura tier. Yeah. So yeah, that's. I, I guess he's right that it's there's not really a clear fourth after those three. It was just the time and how it was. Yeah, but the young girls are getting ready to step up though. So yeah. All right, now we come to one of the most very interesting stories of the show. Let's go to Austria. Audivance, Black Bart. Did the job for Autovance on July 9th in Graz, Austria, for the European version of the world title, CBA title. Bart was a last year replacement for Bruce Brody, who changed his mind about doing the job because he realized he would get into Japanese magazines because Japanese mags are heavily covering Austrian wrestling right now because future superstar Masaharu Fanaki is working the undercards in Austria. Why is this so interesting? Wait, is this a one-off, or would he have worked the whole summer season, basically? Um, from what I've gathered in the past, Brody was supposed to be there for a week. Bruce Brody is murdered on July 16th, 1988. Huh. Excuse me, July 17th. Well, no, I think he's so, stabbed on the 16th and dies shortly yeah, after yeah. midnight on the 17th. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And does it happen anyway? I mean, yeah, I mean, does it happen anyway? Who knows? But I mean, there's so much we don't know. Did Jose Gonzalez tell anyone? Would he have told anyone what he was planning if there was more time? Right. We don't know. 
we don't know. But we do what we do know is if he goes to Austria, more more than likely he wouldn't have been in Puerto Rico that weekend. Right. He would have come home if he was is in and probably would have stayed at home or rested. He he probably wouldn't have been just to Puerto Rico. No. After Austria. That's, that's a nice little haul. So yeah. That's a definite what if in wrestling history. Yeah. So wait, did he just take the Puerto Rico bookings last minute? Um, it probably went last minute. But how far did in advance but did he pull? He's out of also the court? well. Yeah, I remember too. I mean, he's part owner of the company. So, if you, you have know, free, if you have dates freed up, he he was originally booked for for Austria. He decided to turn it down, and he's like, "Well, I got nothing else to do." You know, I guess. Huh. Okay, I'm checking something. Obviously, this is not necessarily complete, but I'm looking. Okay. So, based on what's on wrestling data and cage match, looking at them both, um, neither of them have anything for him between. Uh, Parade of Champions and uh, the Puerto Rico shows. So that's over Brody, two months. Brody was doing a lot of um, small stuff. So there's, um, there are probably indie dates in there. He's working for uh, he does stuff for Larry Manisic a lot um, on those shows. Um... He was involved with Blackwell anymore. Uh, and think of what else. Um, oh, uh, b- 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 what's his face? Um, Bob Raskin. Yeah, he was working uh, shows in um, Connecticut. Yeah, I see that. Looking at newspapers.com. Um, Chris Adams. Ran small shows in Texas that Brody was part of, too. Oh, yeah, I see. LNA Promotions was already a thing in June 88. Yeah, I do remember that, so. Um, He's probably doing stuff that nobody really knows about. Oh, my God. There's an amazing, very obvious fake letter from Chris Adams pretending to be a woman in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Well, that happened a lot, too, with wrestlers, so that's not a surprise. Oh, no, it's... It, Oh, no, excuse me. Sorry, I'm reading it wrong. Um, I was reading it wrong. That was the response from the Betty Ann, the columnist, talking about LNA promotions. The the letter is from Cassie in Arlington. I mean, I guess this could be fake, but it's... I wonder if you could tell me what you think has become of world-class wrestling. You said it might be a little better once, but I think it stinks. And now I hear Terry Taylor say Chris has gone done gone away. Ah, help! <laughs> And then uh, Betty Ann replies uh, saying that Chris Adams, the original Hunkin' Trunks, is starting his own wrestling promotion, LNA Promotions. Okay, so yeah, his first show as LNA Promotions was Royce City on June 16th. So it's very possible that Brody was where did something for him too, but it, you know. I mean, he's listed as being on that show. That's how it came up. Well, there you go. 
right, but yeah, that's a definite what if. Good Lord of mercy. All right, uh, let's continue on now. Let's go to Canada. July the 8th for Stampede in Westlock, Alberta. Drew 300 fans in a $2,000 gate. As Gilles Defasse beat Jer- Champagne Jerry Morrow by the EQ when the Cuban assassin interfered. And Ross Hart, another Hart brother who works sometimes at spot shows, particularly when there's either an injury or a split crew, made to save. Two stars. Yang Chung, everybody Yang Chung tonight, beat Randy Thatcher. Two stars. And that, of course, is uh, Shinji Sasazaki. Cuban Commandos, Cuban Assassin and Champagne Jerry Morrow, then beat Gilles Defasse and Ross Hart in 2130. Two and a half star, star match. Japanese women's match saw Yumi Ogura retain her Japanese title, beating Miko Komatsu in 2220. And about that wasn't as good as you think because they tried to work North American psychology style and not had a clue. And that was a terrible match for made these because they did a lot of good moves. Two stars. Okay, so Yumi Ogura is still around. I mean, I can't not you can make an argument. No, but I think you can make an argument that she's the she could occupy that fourth place spot. Maybe Johnny Smith. Could the British Commonwealth mid heavyweight title going to a double count on Chris Wong will have been the best match these two worked against each other off thus far, which is quite a compliment. Four and a half stars. By the way, this is the most underrated feud as far as quality matches in North America because everyone talks about Savage DiBiase and Midnight's Fantastic, but these guys are in the same league. Match in 25 minutes and would have been a five star match, except for the first four minutes are pretty slow. Chris? Yes, I. I'm watching Stampede TV from this era, and uh, yes, they are having fantastic matches on television. They're also wrestling each other pretty much every week for months. Every week. Every week. Yes, that's what I was about to get to. I mean, because I knew you'd watch some of this. Yeah, especially if you're watching the TSN shows and seeing the whole match. I mean, they, God, they were wrestling each other every week for what, at least six to eight weeks? Yeah, I mean, different stipulations and stuff, and title changes, and yeah. But this is the first time that I would say both guys really start to look like great wrestlers. Well, they're also being pushed as main eventers. Yeah. I mean, those matches are main eventing this main eventing shows. Muck and Singh and his Moo Moo. On collar, yes. Announcing with Ed Whalen. So, no Calgary show during our week. At least no results from nowhere. Yes. So, uh, yeah. All these star ratings, presumably from Trevor Walters, of course. I would think so. Edmonton, though, we do have the, the results from there. On July 10th, in front of 350, 3000 Gate. We know that's Trent. As uh, Johnny Smith beat Beef Wellington to open up. So, not with Benoit. Uh, two, and a, two and a quarter star match. Gama Singh went to a 20 minute draw with Chris Benoit. Three and a quarter stars. Steve DeSalvo beat Steve Blackman after hitting him with his loaded elbow pad and a dud. Komatsu pinned Ogura to win the Japanese women's title. Legit title Ogura won for Bull Knock in late January. Lots of press was here for the uh, for the Japanese bags because he did a title change. When Ogura went for the super place on Komatsu, landed on top, Ogura took such a great bump, even the wrestlers thought she might have broken her neck. Three and a quarter stars. Then we have Carrie Brown over uh, Muckin Singh by disqualification at 1435 when Abdul was all through powder in Carrie Brown's eyes. Two stars. The working man's hero, Carrie Brown. The TV I just watched, Bix, is the one with the uh, the female fan gave him the lunchbox and hard hat. That's a gift. <laughs> Only a stampede. And, of course, uh, Karachi Vice hit him over the head with the 
the hard hat and the lunch lunch pail. Um, Cuban Commandos won a non-time match from Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman, who went to a rep bump. Uh, Muckin interfered and gave uh, Bruce the Karachi Crunch one star. And it's Abu Weasel. I don't know why Dave has the name wrong here. Abu um, Weasel, yes. Um, You're right. Carrie Brown babyface turn does not last long, either. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> well, because Uncle Bob's about to enter the territory in the next few months, and... Uh, Boy, what an adventure that was. Uh, yes. Yes, I haven't got to that yet. Yes, which, you know, of course features, uh, Bulldog Bob Brown and his grudge against Chris Benoit. Just the same thing he did in every promotion he worked in in this era, where he starts out as a heel color commentator, and then he starts picking on, like, the hot young rising baby face and just saps away all of his positive energy and feuds with him. Well, it started out with him teaming with that, with the young hot baby face. Yeah. That's where all that started. Then it went to that because he started, you know, in central States, he teamed with Marty Jannetty. Here though, he's critical of Benoit. I don't think they team. No, but I'm saying, but that's how he normally starts. Okay. Or used to start was, uh, working as a tag. In WFWA, who was it? Was it Jericho? Or was it someone else before Jericho? Well, Jericho was there, so... Eventually, or yeah. Or excuse me, Winnipeg Free Press is Chris Irvine. Yes. Um, Didn't he have one in Montreal, too? Like Vinny Valentino or something? Uh, I don't think that was Montreal. Okay, where am I thinking of? I don't know. Central States, maybe. Maybe. Because he turned bad babyface in Central States, and then probably turned back heel again before he left. So. Ah, uh, okay. You know, it is wrestling in the 80s. That happened a lot. All right, uh, as we continue here. Brian Pillman's back in Nash after his tricep injury, but he re-injured it the first few days back, and it's limited what he can do right now. So... Which is the Brick Bronski fight? The original tricep injury or the re-injury? Uh, I think the original one. Okay. Yes. Since Jason the Terrible is going back to New Japan in August, he may not work here until he returns. He said to get started in a few and then leave a few weeks later. Worse is they won't have a card in Calgary until July 22nd for TV tapings. Well, there you go. They're off. They're not in Calgary. Probably because of the stampede, I guess. That's not good if now the Stampede is a reason not to run. Yeah. But but now it's time for us to talk about <laughs> Ed Whalen. Dave's watching it now. After watching the latest tape from here, Dave's like, I make one comment about the announcing and producing by Ed Whalen. Now you got to understand the background, and there's a letter in the letters page which says on this subject as well. Did you include that or no? No, I did not. I think we may have read it before, but anyway. Ed Whalen is a legitimate broadcast figure in the market and in some ways has a problem with doing wrestling for the obvious reasons of how can anyone have credibility doing editorials or whatever when they're shilling, selling wrestling tickets. So Whalen doesn't heavily hype. In fact, he doesn't hype at all to protect his credibility in the legit media. He doesn't build heat or really get into the matches. Although at rare times, such as during Owen Hart's matches, he would occasionally make perceptive comments when comparing Hart with old-timers like Earl McCready and Edouard Carpentier. However, this promotion is in a position where it has to build up his characters, build heat into his matches, and etc. Today's show in Calgary last week had tons more heat than a normal Stampede card, even though Stampede card features much better matches. 
reason is WS characters are over and by large have more defined personalities and get better interviews, even though as a rule, the workers here are better. But part of the problem with the Heat is Waylon, who won't sell any gimmicks or angles because it would hurt his personal credibility. His position Dave could sympathize with because of certain promotion. Several times, Waylon's interviews with the Heels come off as bad because they pull the mic from them in the middle of their spiel when he doesn't like what they're saying or if they get carried away. He's kind of a censor to keep things from getting ridiculous, but it's that ridiculousness that often gets characters' notice. Anyway, Dave says, why I'm bringing this up, his own heart slash magic Calgary a couple months back. After the bout, Dave Lee, Muckensing, and Gary Albright held Owen. Albright was wearing a Jason outfit, but Owen unmasked him. And Gama, wearing the hockey mask, showed up. It was about to throw fire in Owen's eyes, but instead of showing us the angle, the cameras cut away to Ed at ringside, and we later saw interviews with Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman young about throwing fire and all that, but the viewing audience never saw it. Several times, Dave's seen angles simply not here on television. So I can get the promotion fired up when you are showing your angles on TV. With Owen Hart gone, this group needed something to heat it up, and Dave's not saying it's a great angle or with triple the attendance. But whoever the booker is literally has his hands tied when an angle that leads to future main events does air on the TV show. This is a conundrum with Ed Whalen because, I mean, Ed Whalen is a cultural figure in Calgary, you know? Between the TV news and Flames games and everything. So it's the trade-off you make to have someone of Ed's stature on TV. But the thing is that Dave is saying this, though, this is at the time when you have Muck and Singh now as the color announcer. So you got more bullshit chicanery going on than you've really ever had in Stampede when it comes to that type of stuff. Yes. So that that is the odd part of the of Dave doing this this uh, editorial here in my mind. Yes. But Ed Ed was like that though for many years. You know, I mean, I know you saw your share of Stampede, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it's going to get worse uh, in 89 when he just refuses to let basically the entire Bulldog split and feud air. <laughs> and why would he do such a thing, Bix? Because I'm a fucking mark for them. <laughs> he didn't want it. He just he didn't like that they were feuding. Nope. I mean, think about that. Because, yeah, he's not just the announcer. He is the producer. Yes. That's another problem right there. Yes. He had too much power. Yes. I'm not from our week, but I'm trying to find what's the closest to our week that's on YouTube. Just so people can get a taste of... Because this is probably around what Dave is watching in our week. So, I'm going to try to find a Waylon moment here. I guess with a heel in particular, right? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff is with Muckin, yeah. but Muckin's a co-announcer this time. Yeah, Muckin yeah. is Moo Moo. Yeah, I'm not sure if we have him interviewing Heels on this uh, June 3rd show that's on YouTube. Uh, I know, here we go. Let's see. Who is he interviewing here? Or did I scroll too far? No, a lot, well, a lot of these interviews are also Jim Davies, is the other thing. Well, that's why right. Jim Davies isn't announcing. He's the interview man. 
Yeah, and Carrie Brown. Oh, wait, Carrie Brown's a baby face at this point. <laughs> so I guess to get the full effect, we should hear either his intro or his outro with Muckin, right? Yeah. You gamma thing. Oh wait, it suddenly skipped back ahead for a second to the Carrie Brown promo. Okay. Yes, it was. Don't look now, but here we go. I'll tell you, we got a real great wrestling show, and I know you're surprised that I'm still here. You know something? I'm really surprised you're still here, because I keep getting letter after letter from all these people that want to no tell moon me, fucking sing, you're the greatest. I knew you were a terrific got... wrestler, and you're a terrific announcer. I get letter after letter here wailing, and they're saying, we love you. Don't ever leave it now. You're the best thing to happen to wrestling in years. I just want to read one of these. It says... Mucka Singh is a chicken. You, Whalen, are a great television announcer. He is not. No, I no, wish no, no. you could fire no, him. No, no, no. Yours truly, Carl Larson. There's your you, letters. You took There's your, your name. A, you put your name in a spot where my name was, Whalen. Get out of here. Get out of here. I got to tell you what we've got coming up on this show. I think maybe we'll concentrate on three matches. Terry Brown against the great Gamma. Chris Benoit. Oh, what a fight that should be against Johnny Smith for the Commonwealth title. And we'll have the Cuban Commando going against Bad Company. And that should be a ring-a-ding-dong dandy, too. We'll be right back. It could be worse than that. Here's the thing, though, as well, Doug. I get what Dave's saying, but Wayland was doing this shit for years. Yes. But they were hot. You know? They were hot promotion. Yes. And he's had, I mean, there are moments, you know, the the famous one, the Jason the Terrible Zodiac mask match, where he pulls the... No, but just let me say it, though, for people who aren't familiar, Jason wins, he pulls the mask off of Barry Orton, and Waylon just says, I don't know him! And then they cut away. It's just the thing is, is that when this is good... You know, it's not that bad. But if business isn't as good, now it's a problem. You know, that's that's another thing. Yes, and the letter from Trent Walters in the same Observer notes that he is probably the most recognizable media personality in the market. That's true. And that's why he's on there. Yes. For that reason. All right, let's uh, close the international. Double Double C. This is the weekend before the the Brody murder. They ran at Caguas on July 9th. Uh, We have a few matches here. Caribbean Tag Titles. The new Candace Jayhawks. Heyman by Bobby Jackers and Dan Crawford. Defended against the Puerto Rican Express, Udo Cacostillo Jr. and Miguel Perez Jr. Kendo Nagasaki and Mr. Pogo went up against the Renegade Warriors, the Unbloods. Caribbean heavyweight title, TNT, defending against Super Black Ninja, Keiji Muto. Invaders, one and three, uh, had a no UQ match against Chiki Star and Ron Star. And then our main event, shockingly enough, a little butcher against Carlos Colon. In Puerto Rico? Shocking, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. 
is now halftime. So it's a great 1988 commercials. We'll come back to halftime where we'll talk about the Patreon show, of course, new Patreon show and stuff. Then we'll uh, plug our streaming friends. We'll have our thoughts on whatever. And then we'll come back with Al joining us. And we have uh, wrestlers on the Morton Downey Jr. show. Well, I can't wait for that one. And uh, we'll have all kinds of other stuff, lots of clips and good stuff from the territories. All that more after the break. Well, Pfeiffer to go with him into the night is next on TV 33. Old Bloom and Michelle Pfeiffer will return in Into the Night. On the next National Geographic on assignment, France's best female climber tackles the limestone gorges of Verdun, known for their beauty and danger. Then, visit an African tribe whose god is a woman. Women are the only ones who can talk to God. And bring your yen for seafood to Tokyo's giant Skiji fish market. Travel the world as National Geographic takes you on assignment. Monday at 10 on TV 33. Thinking of buying a new sports car? The Mazda Dealer Information Center has a great suggestion. Come drive a Mazda RX-7. For openers, drive a sensational RX-7 convertible with three-position power roof. Or the remarkable RX-7 SE. Sticker price $5,000 less than the competition. It takes the high price out of high performance. Convertible or coupe, let an RX-7 rev you up. Come drive a Mazda. One drive will make the difference. Today, leading health authorities, including cancer research specialists, urge us to eat foods rich in beta-carotene, foods like broccoli, spinach, kale. Today, we've added beta-carotene to a new, more complete Centrum formula. New Centrum with more vitamins, including beta-carotene and minerals, more complete than any leading brand. Help support your diet with new Centrum, more complete from A to zinc. And for children, there's Centrum Junior, more complete than any leading children's chewable vitamin. Pop them in your pocket. Put them in your purse. I carry them in my case. You can carry them anywhere. 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 It's always made easier. Maxi's that are folded and wrapped. You can hold them. You can hide them. What a neat little package. Keep talking. I think I like this. Now always Maxi's are folded and wrapped into stashable, collapsible sacks. I think I love this. Do you know how much easier this makes my life? Always soft sacks with fold and wrap Maxi's. Now always is easier than ever. See what we've done. Mr. Horzak, excuse me. I know you're on your way to court. Yes. What do you think of insurance companies and other interest groups who want to deprive seriously injured victims from their day in court? Well, I think it's ridiculous. If you've been seriously injured by a drunken driver or someone else's negligence on the road or an act of medical malpractice, you're entitled to your day in court. You're entitled to be justly compensated. Don't give those rights up. Call Jeffrey Orsak toll-free anywhere in Florida. 1-800-226-2222. From the day I was born, I had, I had allergies. I went to the specialist, Chlortrimeton. Chlortrimeton was born to fight allergies. It's what allergists recommend most. I was born with allergies. Chlortrimeton was born to fight them. And when allergies cause sinus headaches, try new Chlortrimeton sinus. It's the right fit, don't let it fall. It's the sweet summer heat. 
It's hard to meet new people. That's why party hostesses are waiting to introduce you now on the Florida Party Line. 976-4400. The Florida Party Line. Into the Night will continue in just one moment. Before time began, there was fire. And thunder. And metal storm. War games play to a sudden death showdown. You must meet me in the pit. The Warriors and the Prize. Destroy your boss. Metal Storm. The destruction of Jared Sin. Tuesday at 8 on 33's Prime Movie. They've seized a building and taken hostages. One man has managed to escape and is trapped inside. That's why I get a bad feeling up there. John McClane didn't want to be a hero. Send the police now! But he's the only chance they've got. Bruce Willis in Die Hard. 40 stories of sheer adventure. Presented in 70mm 6-track Dolby Stereo. Rated R. Exclusive engagement starts Friday at selected theaters. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1988 commercials. As we pivot to the halftime seven, the show. We're beginning to about our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. And of course, as you know, we just came off a two-part special series on uh, Andrew Manis's World Wrestling All Stars promotion, which was uh, all kinds of wackiness going on there. As uh, <laughs> it's a it's a great story of how somebody who was a very smart in business for many years can get into pro wrestling and become a complete idiot. So, uh, I mean, that's basically the moral of the story. So, um, yeah, if you haven't listened to those shows yet, go listen to them. They're really good shows, different yeah. shows than, you know, what we normally do, but I mean, good shows. And, uh, you know, we got, you got some clips. So, um, especially Scott Steiner on the footy show, which was quite the experience. Yeah. But, uh, do and that. With McManus, I mean, we should say like, he turns into kind of an idiot, but it's not like his underlying business plan was the issue. <laughs> he just becomes a Mark Pro Wrestling promoter. In time, to a degree, yeah. Yes. But anyway, finals of Monkey Show access to that and more on patreon.com slash 20 sheets. And yes, we will be starting recording our newest series. That's right, another series of shows. As we're going to be looking at WCW and their history with racial discrimination. So it should be quite the shows. And the, and the first show will be coming out in a few weeks, the end of the month. So, um, yeah. Like I said, we're going to start recording after we record this segment. So that should be an experience. So, uh, yeah. It's just going to be uh, some stuff you probably never have heard of before. This will be one of the, show, the shows that we will have the least amount of newsletter coverage in. So... The all kind of information that Bix has uh, collected over the years from various sources and uh, very uh, informative. I think I think definitely people need to get need to get on the Patreon to listen to these shows because of, of anything we've done so far. Like I said, this one is the one that's the most um, out there as far as forms of sourcing. So I think you want, want to be a part of this, and you'll learn a lot. I know I'm ready to listen to it because, of course, you know, I don't – I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to do it. Uh, you know, I'm someone who I know what happened. I've followed some stuff, but I didn't go in-depth and research or anything. So this will be a lot of new stuff for me. 
So I'm definitely looking forward to this uh, this little series here. So, uh, yeah, should be something. So finals will get you access to that. All the other audio that we've done in almost seven complete years of the Patreon now. We're getting close. So uh, it's crazy to think we've been doing this for almost seven full years. So there's a ton of audio there for just $5 a month. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment. $25 gets you the opportunity to pick a show for the week. Now, if you want to do that, make sure that you have a couple of shows on your mind because the show that you may want us to do could be something that we can't do because – we may have done the show before, and all those years we've been doing this show, and you may have forgotten that we may have touched on the subject. Or it could be something that somebody else picked on the calendar already. So uh, ask one of us, follow the protocol on the Patreon website, and uh, let us know why you want to do the show, and we can try to make sure everything works out in your favor so we can get your show on the air. So uh, do that and follow all the guidelines on the Patreon Websites that you all know and love. So uh, do that and you should be good to go. $50 lesson for seven of the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. You don't have to, it's just your option. So patreon.com slash twin sheets, and don't forget the annual payments 16% of what you would do monthly. 16% of it would be uh, 84% off, and we're not doing that. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's what I meant. But sixty percent off of what uh, what you normally would pay a month. So an annual payment for a, a yearly uh, subscription at five dollars a month would be fifty dollars and forty cents. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, always great to uh, go annual. So uh, do that if you want to. All right, big Swift. This is our new indoor returning patrons. All right, we got a bunch. We've got. Oh, look at this, Danny Cookler. Thanks, Danny. William Lanham. Thanks, William. Ian Stewart. Thanks, Ian. Nick. Thanks, Nick. Don't know if Gage, Wayne, DiCarlo. Uh, Low. Yeah. Rhodes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, I mean, you, you'd be losing your mind if Nick Rhodes is the patron of this show. Yeah, Nick Low too. But anyway. Uh, Jesse P. Thanks, Jesse P. I used to work with a, a girl at the at, at the grocery store. Her name was Jessica. Her, her first name and her last name start with P. I used to call her Jesse P. Okay. Well, I'm just saying you, it. I just, uh, I just I just came in my mind. Yeah. Matthew Towner. Thanks, Matthew. William Wind. William Wind. Yes. By W I N D. Interesting name, William Wind. Thank you, William. And our dear friend Keith Harris, who uh, did a $50 pledge for a pick he's doing. So. Oh, okay. Thank you, Keith. Been a while since we had Keith on, but uh, awesome. Awesome to hear, hear, hear he's doing well. Just had a birthday recently. So happy, happy belated birthday, Keith. <laughs> yes. Yes I, did. yes, I need to talk to you about that once we stop recording this. Because I think it works, but I uh, want to make sure. Well, yeah, you need to talk to me about these things. <laughs> I didn't reply. To, I didn't. I, I didn't confirm it with him yet. But obviously, he did the pledge already okay. before that. So I'm just okay. He had some backups. It's all good. So yeah. okay, pa- Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. And yeah, so uh, check that out. And then yeah, come after uh, the WCW racial discrimination series. We will have the 
Todd is God series, going over some of the key things in Todd Gordon's new book and comparing it to what was in the newsletters and what Paul has said and all that. So, yeah, we think on your new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, patrons that have come along the way, patrons that have, you know, come, gone, left, all that stuff. We thank all of you for your patrons at patreon.com slash sheets and tell your friends. Let's get some more patrons on here. Thank you, please, and thank you. All right, Vix, our streaming friends, Fight TV and IWTV. What's going on uh, in their universes this week? A lot. I know, you're shocked. I'm not surprised. Not surprised by that. Well, we had that one week there where there was uh, really not much of nothing. Yeah. But, uh, but yes. Yes. Yeah, so... They're usually very busy. Well, and you know one of the things we're going to get to, and we'll get to that in a sec, that it is SCI week. That's right. I was, see, I, I always equate SCI week to the first week of August. Yeah. So I got to get used to that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's this year. You know, it's moved because of SummerSlam, obviously. Well, yes, which is a smart move. Yes, but we'll get there in a second. Um, H two O has another Monday night show though to start the week at eight p.m. for a show headline, and this is definitely a match. Uh, Matt Tremont defending the IWTV World, in, excuse me, Independent Wrestling World Championship against Becca. And uh, I don't know if you saw they did the uh, State of the Independence with uh, Avery Good now as commissioner or something. And uh, no more 30-day rule for title defenses in the IWTV-sanctioned titles. It's now a 90-day rule. They say, basically, so wrestlers couldn't deal with minor injuries. It also kind of feels like, to me, like the... So Matt Tremont doesn't have to wrestle every month if he doesn't want to, since he's so beat up. Cool, but we'll see. Well, my question is, what about that whole thing with Cruel coming out with the belt saying he's a champion? Are they doing anything to play off of that, or yeah, they, they, that they, no, they, they're building that up. They talked okay. about it in the in the thing. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that's the main event. Uh, other matches include Marcus Mathers against Mouse, Jimmy Lloyd against Ryan Redfield, and more. So then we go to Chattanooga for the first of four shows in the TWE arena this weekend, right? Uh, I guess so. Yes, with TWE Chattanooga presents TWE the night before 2023, Thursday night at 7.30 Eastern. Headlined by Timothy Thatcher versus Jaden Newman. Yeah, I mean, Jaden won last year, correct? Yes. So he's the defending champion. He brought Tim Thatcher in. Um, he wouldn't lose on his first night, so. I don't but know, it's, we'll it's a non tournament match, though, so. Oh, that's a non tournament match? I thought it was a tournament match. No, the night before is. Is the oh you're talking about that show. show? Yes, I said that. Oh, oh, I'm just talking. I'm just and thinking about the tournament. I don't pay attention. Well, you're talking about the indies right now, so <laughs> yeah, you take an interest in the uh, Dylan Hales uh, expanded universe. Yeah, but still, I was thinking about the tournament. Anyway, well, who's actually facing the tournament? You were. We talked about this tank. 
That's right. Well, that would ask me interesting match too. But first, there are two Thursday night shows, not even counting wrestling open. So there's three wrestling. There are going to be three Thursday night shows simultaneously this week, including wrestling open, because uh, there's also Marcus Mathers presents All I Want Two from the H2O Wrestling Center in Jersey, uh, headlined by Marcus Mathers against Zachary Wentz, but also including. Wheeler Yuta versus Austin Luke in a pure rules match. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, yes, thank you for reminding me. In theory, Wheeler Yuta versus uh, Austin Luke. Yeah, he has to record this. He injured, injured his knee on the AW show on July 5th. So, who knows? Maybe, I guess maybe Hot Sauce could take his place? I don't know. Uh, but We'll see what happens there. Uh, Speedball Mike Bailey against Dylan McKay. Mao from DDT against Brandon Kirk. Uh, Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dylan, Dylan there's any wrestler named Dylan McKay? Yes, D-Y-L-N McKay. Tony Khan, on um, whatever random episode or whatever, needs to book Dylan McKay versus Jungle Boy. Yes, of course he does. I mean, that has to happen. Yes. Or anyway. I guess he's. I guess. Oh yeah. I guess he's maybe not even Jungle Boy anymore since he's a, a heel now. So Jack Perry. Yes. Well, he was already Jungle Boy, Jack. Perry. But, yes. I know, but he's heel now, Bix. He's he's a he's trying to be a big time heel. So uh, the Jungle Boy, well, he's not coming out in the Baltimore anymore either. So you know, we're Jack Perry. Yeah. I can't wait till we get up to the storyline though, where he turns baby face after someone steals his inheritance from him using their uh, investment scheme of a new water purification s- system. Well, yeah, they are, they should bring in, uh, oh, God, I can't remember his real name, but I, I know him as Roman Brady from Days of Our Lives. Bring him in as, uh, as, a, as a character because he was uh, Dylan McKay's father on, <laughs> on, on 90210. Oh, I know who you're talking That'd be about. A hoot. Anyway. John, uh, I, I can't remember his name. But, uh, yeah, there's going to be a Cole Radrick, Bam Sullivan death match, Effie versus Stan Styles, which will be a thing. Uh, Josh Taylor. That's okay. Jimmy Lloyd versus Yoshihiko, four way women's match, and more. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, we'll guess we'll get to in a few minutes. It's going to be an interesting week for, uh, GCW wrestlers trying to have matches with the broom or blow up doll or whatever that is, Yoshihiko. But yes, on Friday we get SCI Night 1 at 7.30 Eastern, your first round, Tank versus Timothy Thatcher. And Tank has said he wants to do a straight technical wrestling match, right? He doesn't... Oh, I I believe him. He doesn't want to bring back a deathmatch Timothy Thatcher, which, yes, by the way, everyone, is a thing. When Timothy Thatcher was starting out and before he was the great Josh Barnett trained catch wrestler, he was like a California deathmatch scene guy. Speaking of which, yeah. second first round match is Sawyer Wreck versus John Wayne Murdoch. And then we've got Noah Hossman versus Manders, Rico Gonzalez versus Bobby Flacco, Alabama, Alabama, Alabama Junior Heavyweight Champion Mike Jackson versus BK Westbrook, Shaz McKenzie versus Adam Priest, Eli Knight versus Landon Hale, and Shug D versus Jaden Newman. That's your first round. Before we get to the second round, Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Action Wrestling presents the Scenic City Futures Tournament. Well, excuse me, Scenic City Futures Showcase Tournament featuring, uh, this year Jackson Drake, Rachel Armstrong, Devlin McCobb, 
uh, Chris Brady, Ryan Clancy, Weezy T, Cody Manhorn, Jay Malachi, uh, and Ishiban, plus a couple non-tournament matches. I know a few of those names, mainly the Wrestling Open ones, but not familiar with most of them. And then uh, Saturday is SCI Night 2, featuring you know, the remaining parts of the tournament, plus, as of right now, Scramble advertised for the, you know... Okay, what is it? The Scramble is either you're the alternate if someone gets hurt, or you're, you get a spot in the next year's tournament. I guess that's still the rule, no? Yes, so the Scramble would be Bojack versus Lobo Okami. Versus Bulging? <laughs> No, Darian Banks and Diego Hill, Rico Gonzalez, Diego Diego Hill, Rico Gonzalez, and the showcase winner. Which that sounds wrong though, since Rico would obviously not be in both the tournament and the scramble. So was he? A, no, he's not a replacement for anyone though. He's a. I mean, he was entered in the tournament. He's not right. He's not replacing anyone with an injury or anything. I don't know. You're confusing. You're confusing me right now. So I don't know. I hope no one accidentally gave away their booking here, because some people who lose in the first round will show up in the scramble. But Anyway, that's uh, IWTV this week. If you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD at sign up, and we will get our referral fee as long as you stay a paid subscriber each month. So, tinyurl. No, wait, what am I talking about? I mean, there's the tiny URL that autofills it allegedly, but uh, independentwrestling.tv code BTSPOD. Uh, on Fight TV, they've got the various, uh, you know, premieres of archival content that's being added and stuff. But the big thing is going to be Friday at 8 Eastern, GCW returning to the Melrose Barn here in New York for now and forever 2023. And uh, as of right now, your lineup for that show is Speedball Mike Bailey versus Yoshihiko. So yes, Speedball is going to have a match in New York with the doll. Uh, Blake Christian defending the GCW title against Mao. Commander versus Gringo Loco versus German Mao. No, the DDT Mao. That'd be a story if he was wrestling Chairman Mao. Well, yes. But yes, Com- Commander versus Gringo Loco versus RAs in a three ma- way match. Matt Cardona and Steph Delander versus Bussy. Uh, <laughs> Vance Warner versus George South. Yes. I hope, he, I hope he's selling gimmicks so I can talk to him about those weirdo Canadians that he trained. <laughs> yeah, they are weird. Yes. Uh, East West Express of Nick Wayne and Jordan Oliver against Amazing Red and Brian XL in... Uh, AEW's Nick Wayne. Well, AEW's Nick Wayne, who's debuting 48 hours earlier, yes. Uh... It says the OGs versus Los Macis. Okay, it's... Okay, they're calling the OGs. It's Homicide, Matt Tremont, and Grim Reefer versus Los Macizos and Jimmy Lloyd. Uh, Maki Ito in some form. Nick Gage in some form. That's your lineup for that show. Friday night at 8 at the Melrose Ballroom. And for Fight TV, tinyurl.com slash btsfight. That's B-T-S-F-I-T-E. And that also works for pay-per-views, so whether you're signing up for 5+, plus or getting one of the iPay-per-views, use that URL, and we'll get some kind of referral fee from that. Alright. Sounds good. 
Well, this week's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. You know, if you use incognito mode, your internet provider storing your browsing data, many times you sell it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and just ranking the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? We offer three plans for you guys. We have a regular monthly plan, eleven ninety-five a month. We can go yearly, which equals up to three dollars and thirty-three cents a month for thirty-nine ninety-five for the year. And then we have the big one: three years plus four free months, equaling out to a dollar ninety-eight a month. Seventy-nine dollars for the first three years. Yearly thereafter. 80% off. What a bargain. What a bargain. And why is that? Because there's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you take advantage of private internet's 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it after 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. Why you get that, you ask. Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash 20 sheets and try the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1994. With an asterisk. Where we'll be. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we're not talking about the, the Vince uh, trial. Yes, this that's will be what a, I said. Vince yeah. free, a Vince trial-free show. And it's still ended up being a pretty good show. But uh, we got Bash to the Beach, 94 to talk about. And big, big time pay per view in the history of WCW in many ways. We've never done it before, so we're going to tackle it this week. Well, next week. And um, yeah, so we'll have a lot of thoughts on the show, business after the show, the business of Hulk Hogan and WCW, and Hulk Hogan making media rounds before the show. I mean, a lot going on as uh, the state of WCW is definitely changing. As this show uh, comes and goes. So we'll have a lot on that. Plus we'll have other random WCW bullshit as usual. When we got all your other stuff from uh, everywhere else. Of course we have uh, news from Japan, Mexico, Puerto Rico. We got the indie scene in the U.S. featuring Heatwave 94 and ECW. A big show in uh, their history as well that year. So we'll talk about that. Also got Smokey and Memphis and other sorted indie stuff, and then WWF. We got uh, yeah, Vince on trial, but uh, we we got some uh, interesting stuff there. We got Raw to talk about. We got WF running house shows and in very interesting locations. I mean, it's there's a lot going on, so uh, it should be quite the show next week. Still haven't heard from the guest uh, guest yet, so probably looking like me and Bix by ourselves next week. Way it looks so. Uh, so, yeah, so it should be a fun, fun show. So check that out when it drops a week from today. All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show property at BT Sheets 5. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, we didn't have Dark Side this week. They took the week off for July the 4th. So I figured if we're going to do a little discourse here in this little section as we've been doing, let's talk about the way the TV ratings are these days for the uh, 
the television shows we got going here. WWE is uh, on fire right now. And on fire in demographics that haven't been on fire in years. Yeah. The young folks. What was that figure (laughs) I gave you about the comparison in terms of in terms of comparing their their young adult female demos to AEW or what or what was it? It was their women eighteen to forty nine for Raw was like seventy five percent of what Dynamite's total eighteen to forty nine has been something like that. Yeah, like they are, you look at the patterns right now. Like yes, they're doing well in eighteen to forty nine, but. 12 to 34 has picked up a lot. And who would have thought? It's TV. (laughs) You know? Yes. Now, we may not be getting those 12 to 34 numbers as much without Jobus Daily. That's the one thing. But, um, they're, I mean, they're doing well, you know? Like, when nothing else is, I mean, it's when there's no big sports competition against it. I mean, Raw and SmackDown are usually the pretty much the number one show on TV for the day. I mean, especially SmackDown, as far as originals and broadcast prime time. Um, We're always off in there. And then, you know, AEW, who the hell knows what's going on with them? I mean... It's... Yeah, it is... It is. I mean, it's, it's interesting to look at their pattern to see how things are going. Um... I mean, as the recorders collision took a big drop uh, on the Saturday before we recorded this, the Saturday yeah. before July 4. Yeah, I think the the Punk Joe show, I think, is going to be a big test of how things are going to end up. How much was le- how much was the previous one because of the holiday weekend? Did people realize it was taped and not watch? You know, et cetera. But, I mean, it did basically... Well, you have a huge thing with that, though. I mean, people has come out and said, well, that's, that's not an excuse anymore. You know, okay. I I, I mean, if you say that, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I think the thing is, is what, the one thing I'm, I want to get your opinion on, because we haven't really talked about this off air, there was a, I mean, there was a theory going around after that rating came out was... Have they turned Punk into just another guy already? I I mean, honestly, I think you can make that argument to a degree. I think even though it was a cool match and it made sense for the tournament and stuff, I think the Kojima match was kind like looking back on it now, like a couple like, you know, a couple weeks later, it was kinda of, probably too cold the first singles match back. And the other thing is, like, especially, you know, feels this way coming off of that Rampage. I mean, excuse me, that's Collision that did a basically the same number as the Rampage the night before. Becoming this guy who's only on this show that less people watch. And granted, we're not getting DVR numbers as far as figuring out how it hits the fan base as a whole, you know, separate. How it affects the EW as a whole, separate from whatever it would do for the TV rights. But if you're only on that show and you're not on Dynamite, and that doesn't just apply to him. This applies to Miro and the others, potentially, too. 
does that make you feel that come off to the audience similar to someone who's pretty much only on Rampage? I mean, listen, Saturday night, I've said, I mean, I've said this before, Saturday night is a tough night to draw television in prime time unless you are appointment viewing live sports. It just is. Um, so you have to kind of look at it, you know, in that way. But here's the problem. I don't know if you saw this because we haven't talked about it. Um, our dear friend, Brandon Thurston, tweeted out a thing about the what was airing in that spot before collision over a stretch of time. And basically, it was almost the same exact demo rating. Movies. Just random movies. Yeah. So if you get in that position where you're drawing the same as random movies, what kind of incentive does that give TNT? Uh, wait a minute. We're spending all this money, but we had stuff that was drawing just as good in a slot that we were just just rolling off the rack. Right. You know? Presumably what TNT is looking for is at least a point two in the demo. Yeah. Probably realistically their hope is probably closer to a point two five. Um Yeah, I I mean, if, if this level, if this show levels off at the, you know, at rampage levels, then it's clearly not worth it to them. Um, you know, certainly for if AEW were to get an increase, you know, which they probably, a bigger increase, which they probably would for dynamite, but for this, mm. well, also, as we, t- as we say this, we all, we still don't have the ratings for this week's dynamite yet, which will people will no. have by the time they listen. And, you know, we're coming off that, the previous week, where they fell 28% week over week in the demo. And we're not really sure why. Um, you know, the, the big thing you and I noticed, though, was once the quarter hours came out, though, it started higher than the previous week. Yeah. It was not a, because the, the the shows that were above it were like a tick above it in the cable ranking. So at first, we're looking at it and we're like, okay, maybe it's a night a lot of people weren't watching TV for whatever reason. But no, you look at the quarter hours and it wasn't that. It was people were watching and then when they tuned out, they tuned out. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we're going to find out if that was an apparition. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it, We'll see. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about AEW is where WWE has pretty much been in a steady pattern. And if they do drop, you know, you kind of, you know, no reason why. AEW has been this hodgepodge of shit where they'll do this, this surprisingly lower rating on a really solid show. They come back with a weaker show that does a better rating. It's like, it's really weird. To yeah. watch uh, the patterns of the, of the ratings in that company. Yeah, which is what... It, like, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, what what was it? I mean, wasn't the all-time example, like, wasn't it that terrible dynamite that was headlined by Malachi Black versus Brock Anderson that did, like, the best yes. rating in months? Yes. Yes. And I mean, we are talking about, like, maybe the... Not counting early pandemic stuff where they were... You know, handcuffed. Probably the worst marquee episode of Dynamite up to that point. 
um, in terms of name value. In terms of execution and how the episode came off, probably one of the worst episodes of Dynamite in its whole run. And it did a great number. <laughs> if this stuff happens, it's like, even looking at what we looked at with, with that show that had the big drop, it's like, you see where people tuned out, but it doesn't feel like it's this big reason. Like, yeah, the big, like, tuning out two weeks in a row were Orange Cassidy, Daniel Garcia tag matches. But I don't think that killed the show for the remainder of the two hours, you know? So it's like, we're, we're going to have to see what this week's number is and go from there to figure out if there's any kind of pattern or what. Because it, like, when does anyone, when do any of these wrestling shows outside of something like Collision, which is new in a weird time slot, any of these wrestling shows that are in a strong time slot have anything close to a 28% loss in a week for an established show? It never happens. Yeah, it's pretty so rare. It's a, so we're going to have to see what that means. If they bounced back this week to about normal level, who knows? Like, seriously, who knows? I don't know what to make of that. But well, they they obviously took note of the rating and booked a different type of dynamite. Yes. Uh, on that Wednesday, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's just interesting to watch, man. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's hard to say, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just. It's just an interesting time in wrestling because, you know, um, Fight Forever just came out. So you got that going on. You got, you know, all, all in, all out. You got big shows coming. You know, I mean, it's just an interesting time in, in AEW's history. And, um, yeah, it's, we're going to see how it, how it plays out. And WWE, you know, I guess they're doing big things. And, um, is they did, I mean, Money in the Bank was the largest grossing arena event in the history of the promotion. Think about that. The largest grossing arena event ever in WWE. Was it largest grossing all told or highest gate? They, or both? Paul, Paul said um, gross. Let me check the press release. Arena, not stadium, arena. Right, right, right. Which, I mean, they have not done an arena WrestleMania in almost 20 years, and they haven't done an arena SummerSlam in... what? I forget. Had they started doing it before the pandemic yet, or only since they came back? It's been a minute. So, at least a few years. So, it makes sense. You know, first time the UK has gotten, like, a canonical, so to speak, pay-per-view in over 30 years. First first pay-per-view from London, period in 20 years. So it makes perfect sense. Okay, so highest grossing arena event in WWE history, and then we'll close off this segment. Uh, okay, the weekend generated a combined gate. Oh, wait, so that's the weekend. So wait a second. Have they really... Okay, so it said the weekend generated a combined gate of 5.4 million. So I don't know how the s- ticket sales were s- scaled for the pay-per-view relative to SmackDown. I know, Paul. I, I'm just going by what Paul said at the press conference, no, you know, know. Saturday. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's impressive. And he was talking about that. And he was talking about that show. Yes. Saturday show. No, I know. I know. 
But anyway, yes, they have the momentum on their side right now. AEW does not. So we'll see what happens. AEW has some really great wrestling on their shows. And really they, great wrestling. And so. they may be on their way to having the highest verifiable attendance uh, non-dictatorship version <laughs> in pro wrestling history in several weeks. So who knows? Like how long the feathers long enough already. <laughs> They got a lot of feathers in their cap right now, and uh, it's just interesting to watch to, to watch the translation of all this other stuff compared to TV ratings and house show attendance. I mean, and, and not house show attendance, but TV taping attendance. Very, very interesting to watch all the, how all this stuff is going. But yeah, so there's that. Let's go back to 1988. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, Al's back with us, and now we go to the United States territories and others. And boy, we got a leadoff segment here. The Morton Downey Jr. show, Morton Downey Jr. show, which aired on Thursday or Friday, depending upon your market, was a waste. The worst part about the behavior of the wrestlers, particularly Dr. D. David Schultz, said almost everyone who watched it felt sympathy for Jim Wilson's side of the story. Dave said even I did, which is pretty surprising. Really, that entire show is a joke designed to aim at the lowest level of humanity to get late night ratings, and this episode was no better and no worse than the show usually is. <laughs> wow. I mean, he's not wrong well, for the most part. And, but. and, the, and the, thing, well, the thing is, is that, you know, Morton Downey Jr., he's the original of that style of show. Well, nationally. Nationally, yes. Because. Yeah, I think it's widely accepted at this point that he kind of ripped off Wally George. Yeah, but Wally George... Wally George isn't the same exact type of show, though. It's a, it, he's at a desk, he has guests next to him. It's, it's a trash talk show in the format of like a late night or like a Merv Griffin, Rosie O'Donnell type talk show. Yeah. If that makes sense. All right. Bix is going to be our guide here, as uh, he he knows this more than me, and this is a long file. Yes, so he's I've watched it several stuff. times over the years. Uh, all right, so Bix is going to guide us along here to what we're watching. So, uh, Bix, take over. Okay. None of the versions that are on YouTube have the beginning of the show, unfortunately, which is a shame because it begins with uh, Ted Arcidi carrying Morton Downey Jr. into the studio in his arms – like he's t- carrying a, uh, a a new bride over the threshold. Yeah, I can only imagine Ted Arcini doing that in his dick New England accent. New England? He's, wait, is he from New England or from New Jersey? Arcini? Ain't he from, he's from New England, isn't he? Uh, Isn't he a, 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 a Baston guy? Let's see, That's Ted Arcini. He's from Buffalo originally, at least. That's more New England than it is New Jersey. I mean, his, his accent does sound more New england you know, I'm sure we'll hear later about uh, him complaining about Thunderbolt Patterson have, having sour, guake, sour grapes. <laughs> but, okay, so we pick up with the Downey, talk, you know, queuing up Dr. D, who's about to get uh, very pointed at Jim Wilson. Oh, goes uh, just to set the scene. Doctor D is at the podium, and Wilson is on the panel. Yes, because people will go to the podium 
and address the people in the panel. Both audience members and other guests would go up to the podium. Yes. Yes. Okay, first name. Is that a real diamond? Yes, it's real. I don't wear nothing fake. Nothing's about the doctor's fake. Get that straight. Right here. Right right at front. I'm not fake. Go ahead, about tell me what fake. you're going to tell me. My diamonds are not fake. Tell I'm me what you're going to tell me. Hey, uh, this guy here, Wilson. First thing, I never heard of you. Never heard your name before you went on some news show and come out saying that wrestling's fake and all this and that somebody wanted to make love to you or some, some man or something. Well, see, I've never had that problem. You say it goes on everywhere. I've never had that problem with a man. Man never come up and ask me nothing because I had plenty of women. Now, I've been in wrestling 15 years. No promoter ever made love to me or tried to make love to me or asked me for sexual favors. I think you're a liar. I think you're a liar and you want publicity. That's all you want. I don't think you can play football. I don't think you can wrestle. I don't think you're, I don't even think you should be out here. I think you're just somebody that wanted to come up here and say, I'm a professional wrestler. There's a thousand people out here, a hundred thousand people who want to get in the limelight. And you say, you come out and say, first thing I want to know, what gives you the right to even be out here? Have you ever beat anybody? Have you ever had answer? I don't even know. Go ahead, Jim. Well, number one, uh, because of my sexual persuasion, uh, and the fact (laughs) the, the fact that I didn't want to participate. Uh, he's, been, he's been in the business 15 years and that never happened to him. How come it happened to you? Hey, maybe I mean, he didn't like him. And he's not, he's not any the prettier than you like him. Huh? I guess the promoter didn't like him that way. Did he like you? He must have. Did you kiss him? Did you ever wrestle? Did you ever wrestle? Did I what? Did you wrestle, Jim? Of course I wrestled. You Did wrestle? you win anything? I've wrestled and I've been in the business since 1968. How many matches have you had? Couple thousand. Couple thousand. Doctor D sounds like. Uh, I've never heard of him. You never heard of him. I've never heard of him. Boy, name the news show running his I, mouth. I wrestle under my own name. All right, let me let, let me ask you then. Anyone who watches wrestling knows that with uh, you know two big guys colliding in the ring, they can hurt each other. But you say that a promoter forced you to hurt yourself in the ring with a blade job. Now, what is a blade job? Well, he, it's it's not a matter. I'm glad it said blade because after your first thing, I was mm, kind of a job it was. It, it, it's, I was told that when I was in Australia, I was overseas, and because I wouldn't go to bed with this, with this guy. Again? Another no, guy? that was you? the first time. Okay. The first and only time. He told his booker to make me What'd you start say, losing hooker? matches. Did, you, did he say hooker? And did he say hooker? I think he said booker, Doc. Okay, I'm, uh, I didn't. I thought, do you know what a booker is? What uh, do I know? What a do booker you know what is? a booker is? I know what a booker is. I know what a fool is. I know what a liar is and a goof. And you're a liar and a goof. And well, I don't think you can wrestle. You never could. So I should note, as I mentioned to both of you off air when I pulled it up, uh, Jim Wilson's book Chill Cold mentions basically all of the media appearances he did that you remember, uh, except for this one. <laughs> if you search the ebook for Downey, nothing comes up. And this is one of the most famous ones. I think the problem is it becomes pretty clear he's not used to being there with uh, with like against slick talkers. Oh, the wrestlers too. Yeah. But like for example, like he talks about the 
time he and Man- Eddie Mansfield went on America's Talk, excuse me, America Talks Back on Lifetime with Luthez in the book, but it's not like Luthez is some amazingly polished talker. And, you know, the way that a Dr. D is, or even the way that a Morton Downey Jr. is. So you can see he's really flummoxed in a way he is not on 2020 or anywhere else that we've seen. I wasn't expecting the audience to be this stupid. either because they're they're just buying everything dr d says because he's yelling the loudest well they're from new jersey what do you expect (laughs) hey my my uncle is from new jersey and i think we're about to see him in a little bit i still don't know what the blade job is tell me what that is a blade job is where they want you to bleed so you're in the and i I told him i wouldn't do it and he said you're not what are you supposed to do cut yourself with the blade right exactly to produce the blood and because you carry a little capsule and break it if you want. No, that's they, that, 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 I don't know whether that ever happened or not in the business, but the way they do it now is with a blade. I think you're a liar on that, too. I've never used what you call a blade or anything else that I can make you bleed in less than two I mean, this, this is an old VHS tape, and you can see the gig marks on his head. Yeah, I mean, this is Dr. D trying to protect the business, but it's, yeah, I mean, we, it's like, all right, come on, you know. <laughs> you know, we, come on. We know. At least get someone who does not have blatant gig marks to say that. Yeah. Seconds. I'll hit you so hard. Dave, let me ask you a question. Doctor, you wrestled. Did you ever have the uncontrollable urge to carve yourself up or to cut yourself or to rip your mouth open? Do anything? No. No, any I never had ever to ask do you that. To do that. I never had to do no that. No promoter ever asked you. No, to do that. no promoter ever asked me. Then to why do is Jim Wilson okay. the only guy okay. that this has ever happened? Okay, he's the only guy. No, there's another one too, a little goop by the name of. Yeah. And my. Why are they bleeping Eddie Mansfield's name? Uh, that's I don't know. Opinion. You and him probably made love together and come on the show and try to destroy the business because you're not a man. You ought to go out here somewhere on the on the west coast. I won't mention the city, but you can go out there and hold hands with whoever you want to. But you climb in the ring, a professional wrestling ring, they'll tie your head up and stick it up your behind and send you on your way. Let me, let me, let me see. Sir, your name. My name's Dennis Carluzzo, and I'm a promoter. Oh, here we go. Dennis. <laughs> Uncle Dennis. All right, real quick. Uh... You know who Dr. D had the re- had a tag team with in the Gulf Coast area in 1978-9-ish? Would that be Big Jim Wilson? No, that'd be the Continental Lover, Eddie Mansfield. Oh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I knew that. Obviously, he's not working in NWA territory at that time. But Yeah, here's Uncle Dennis. Looking with his mustache. As always. With yeah. the stash, he's looking like... Uh, uh, looking like a lot of dudes in that era. <laughs> look, it looks like uh, Bill Kirchenbauer, in a way, the comedian, the guy that was uh, what, what was the the just the ten of yeah, us, the ten of us, yeah, yes, very Bill Kirchenbauer, <laughs> the guy well, that had all the hot, the hot kids, but looked like that. He's the original Kevin James. Is this going to turn into a showcase for his daughter singing every week? <laughs> well, all right, let's go to Uncle Dennis. 
thing. For years, wrestling has had that stigma about it with this guy's crying, but it's going to stop used people from going? No. You so what speak. are you trying to prove? <laughs> Here. And another thing, let me explain something about this guy's background. You want to expose the business a little bit? Let's talk a term about you. You were nothing but a bottom of the card jobber. You had excuses for not making it in the NFL. You had excuses for not making it in pro wrestling. And you're going to have more excuses when this falls on your face. What are you trying to prove? <laughs> you're coming out here going on circuit, huh? Wait a second. On this show, Jim's damn well entitled to say what he's trying to prove. Go ahead. Well, everybody has an opinion, obviously, and uh, these gentlemen have theirs. Uh, this is America. Well, I know all that. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> that, that's fine. Well, well, yeah, that's fine. If I could arrange a match between you two guys, would that be all right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, up the money anytime anytime no let no 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 Thankfully, the voice of reason is now uh, back to me. Yeah, yeah. Chris, have you ever seen this in its entirety? Yes, I have. Okay, okay. but <laughs> this is all within the first six minutes. Yes, I have seen this in its entirety. We had, we had Uncle Morty on uh, in Atlanta. I'm sure you did. Plus, I'm sure a bunch of places that didn't even get him in syndication got him on Channel 9 on cable. Yeah. Superstition. Paul, let me ask you a question. You've been listening to this show, stuff. Yes, I have. All right? You listen to Jim Wilson's life story. What do you make of his statement that he was basically blackballed from wrestling? Uh... <laughs> Jim Wilson was blackballed from wrestling, and that is the truth, and I'll tell you why right now. Because he was such a loser, he never drew a dime in his life, and nobody ever wanted to pay the sale. <laughs> the fact is, Mort, that the wrestling business is exactly like television. If you don't produce ratings, I'm Well, there's something that's going to be a show image this week. Voice of Paul Dangerously, pro wrestler. Pro wrestler, not pro wrestling manager. Also pro dash wrestler. Well, pro hyphen wrestler. Yes. Like snaggle hyphen puss. All Japan hyphen, all Japan pro hyphen wrestling. Yes. I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how many cigarettes you smoke. I don't care what producers you sleep with. You're off the air. Walk easy, Paul. With everybody. Uh-uh. He never drew a dime, and they said, get out of the business. You're a loser. How much money did you make in wrestling? How much money did you make in wrestling, Jim? I didn't make a lot of money. The, uh, well, you said you've had a couple thousand matches. Yeah. The, the, the best uh, trip that I had was to Australia for $800 a week back in 1973. Ooh. 800 bucks a week in Australia? Right. And they cut that, like I say, when I wouldn't go to bed uh, with the promoter. They uh, wanted... I have never. Jim, look at baby. i got to tell you, pal. You are not that sexually attractive, even. <laughs> that's why, that's why I want to go to bed with you. Hey, like I say, uh, I don't know what turns those people on. You know, uh, the, the, those people of that persuasion. Uh, I tell you what. Next, we're going to meet the world's strangest man. I think. I, I think I'll let this man say any damn thing he wants. Stand by. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> There's all business on that bench. And watch this. 
Oh, they're showing the Ted Arc CD uh, lifting clip is the bumper. He has done it again. This is truly one of the most electrifying moments in the history of powerlifting. Ted Arcidi has just lifted 705 pounds on the bench. find out about racism and all these other things that we hear about in professional wrestling. Let me introduce you to a gentleman uh, by the name of uh, Claude Thunderbolt Patterson, former pro wrestler. Thunderbolt, how you doing, pal? Very good, and you? I'm all right. You think you had a talent uh, to be the world champion, right? Yes, I do. Okay. What kept you from reaching the top of the wrestling game? Well, the promoters. Just that simple. Why? Well, what would they do to you? Promoters. I mean, uh, uh, as a black individual, you are limited. Just that simple. As a black individual, you're limited. In you wrestling. wrestled in the 60s and 70s. 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay, in the 60s and 70s, I understand you made, uh, from a quote in one of the magazines, you made fifty dollars to $100,000 a year. Well, they quoted me in making two, 225000 a year. 225000 Did you make that much? No. Yeah, how much did you really make? I made a hundred. Made $100,000. Let me see. If my memory supports me right, that would be the days of uh, Argentine Rocca, Buddy Rogers. Well, that's a little bit before. That was a little bit before my time. Well, that was a little bit before your yeah, time. Right. Seems to me anyone making hundred thousand dollars in nineteen uh, sixties uh, wasn't really discriminated against. Well, I mean, it's a matter of opinion. You know what I mean? Like, well, everything's a matter of opinion. Yeah, well, you know, like my 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 whole thing is that uh, I drew money all over the country. I mean, people came to see you. Yes, I worked in a lot of the different places around the, around the country, yeah. and I drew money. And uh, I just wanted the same chance that the rest of them was getting. Some to me, anyone making $100,000 in uh, 1960s... Oh, well, I guess now we see why this is the longest upload of the episode. It's because this repeats after 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> what would you say, about 30 seconds I should go? Or uh, 10, 15? Let's see. Uh, I just wanted the same chance that the rest of them was getting. Something that I didn't Hey, Dr. Get. D. You well, had more of a chance, D. man. I'm That's from your opinion. South. Yeah, my That's opinion. opinion. I was you were the individual. Buddy. Georgia. You, you were the individual. I was the first match, buddy. That's the right. first match. Make you it were the individual. You did not show up for the match. You walked out. You I walked out because I was mistreated, just like all the and rest of them. And just because you're black, you think somebody should kneel That's down your problem. You? No, they ain't. You went on. You was able to. Sour grapes. Sour grapes. That's all I had. Sour grapes. Yeah, my opinion. You're the one. Thanks, Ted. Was Ted awesome? Yeah, I don't know if he was blackballed. Blackballed. I, I can't get the accent down good enough, unfortunately. But well, we're gonna hear we're gonna hear more from him in a second, and it, it gets more ridiculous. What you have here? Now, what you have here? What you have here is, I was the individual. I was in. I was all over the country. I drew money. Yes. Now let's set the scene here. Yes, and Jim Wilson now, looks terrified to be sitting next to Dr. D. Jim Wilson is sitting beside Dr. D. David Schultz on the stage. <laughs> yeah, and he does not look to be enjoying this. 
amazing. I mean, in fairness, Dr. D is a guy who could go off and could handle himself. Yeah. So I, literally there is video evidence of that <laughs> not too long or prior to this a few years. Yeah, Dr. D is, I mean, he, he's a tough dude. He knows how to take care of himself and a hothead. So, yeah. Also, he's not really even in the business at this point. He's doing all this protect the business bullshit. Well, he's hiring a private investigator to try to collect information about Vince McMahon. Well, this is 1988. Yes. So, Dr. D, um, he's still wrestling on indies. Okay, not as much as he was it, it, in 85, last, 87. Yeah, the last run he had was in 87, when he was working in Canada. He working for Montreal and uh, worked some in the... Uh, the, ter- the the promotion that went against Stampede. Opposition. Yeah. But, anyway. so, but yeah, he's on the stage. Yeah, the podiums are uh, Thunderbolt and Tedrosini. Yes, I walked out. Why did you draw my... Wait a minute. No, I ain't waiting a minute. I, I no, you drew money because they give you the... I walked out they give you because of individuals they give you just like a few world champion. You blew it. Individuals just like you. Terry Funk hit you in Atlanta, Georgia, right in the middle of the And you walked out on the company side. Just because you're black, you think somebody owes you something. Nobody owes you nothing. Nothing. All I need is a chance, and I would have got it myself. Well, why didn't you do it? Because of individuals just like you. I was on the first match that night, baby, Atlanta, Georgia, 1978, and you walked out. You didn't show up. Why? Jim Barnett was a You want to hold him up for more money? Oh, you the liar! Didn't want to. No, you're the liar. He's a liar. You better lie since I know you. Just a second. Let me hear from him. Out. Why did you walk well, out? Can I say one thing before well, tell I tell you? Me why you walked out. I walked out because my money wasn't right and they wasn't treating me Whoa, right. Now you got an individual here. Right, huh? He just told you that it was his his first match in the town. Now how in the hell no, did he know so said. much about it? I kept going, baby. Because I kept he was going. Up. I worked the first match. And- okay, I can't, I can't deal with all this crosstalk anyway. So let's. <laughs> Start skipping it. Okay, wait. But, well, now we're going to get our CUD, though, so... But here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Dr. D was legitimately an undercar guy in the territory in that era in Georgia when Thunderbolt was, was on top. That's true. Yes. All right. I'll skip... I mean, not far ahead, but let's hear Ted and then... Longest man, all right? The only man to look exactly like his LJN figure in every way. <laughs> we'll say tomorrow when they saw him carrying in a 180-pound load of <laughs> Okay, I'm sure we'll, we'll beep that out for you folks. Ted, let me ask you a question. You've competed at the highest levels, all right, of bodybuilding and, uh, and now wrestling. Have you Powerful, encountered yeah. a prejudice against performers because of the color of their skin? And have you been alert <clears throat> to see if that prejudice is out there? Because there is prejudice. Okay, I'm college educated. All right, let me just drop a few names. Prejudice? No, it's a cop-out, okay? Anybody heard of Tony Alice? Yeah. All right. Anybody, right Anybody ever heard of S.D. Jones? I'm not sure if that makes your point. <laughs> well, let him, he, he, he's, he keeps going here. Anybody ever heard of Rocky Johnson? Yeah! 
Rocky. Rocky Johnson. This guy should have paid attention more in school. You would have been in a better business. Look, Harry, look, Harry, let me explain something to you, muscle. Oh, okay, just because you got muscle, oh, you went over into muscles. the professional. And I mean, that ain't the whole thing. Okay, you got to know how to wrestle a little bit. And you got to know how to draw a little money. You called Tony right, Adams. You money. called uh, S.T. Jones. Right. You called individuals just like we have in the country today that go along with any damn thing that go on. RCD had one championship in his career. Yeah, because the treatment of African American wrestlers in the in the 70s was the same as it was in the late 80s. <laughs> oh wait, here's here comes Tony Altimore out of nowhere. Oh good. <laughs> Finally, someone someone to the rescue. match in Greenville, South Carolina when this man was on top and he wouldn't even talk to me and the captain. He was a hot, hot shot main event guy. Me and the captain got six bits. If you don't understand six bits, that's $75. And that's what we got. And Thunderbolt Patterson was the main event guy. Come in 10 minutes before showtime. Exactly. And he looked at the preliminary boys and he said, are they working here tonight? I said, yes, sir. How are you? I shook his hand. I didn't care if he was black, green, yellow, orange, or whatever color he might be. But I had a tough time, and I was happy I was happy when you shook hands with me. Right. I was glad. You, and your damn color didn't mean a damn thing. Oh, you are, you are a, 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 a let's shake hands again. And me and the let's shake hands again. All right. Because there's a whole lot of individuals. And this guy that pretend. When she'll tell you the same story. That pretend. That's it. Yes, they are. Not prejudiced. Gordon now, George walked out 20, the dressing room. I spent 20 years. Down. I spent 20 years in professional wrestling. Oh, Kenny. I spent right. 28. Good. Well, yeah, you spent eight more than I did. Yeah, you spent more than I did. And it was a preliminary boy when you came in. Well, it's a whole lot of folks that I didn't talk about. Weren't the Sicilians already headliners when Cloud Patterson broke into the business? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That was just the truth think. getting away the story, Banks. And, and, and a few years earlier than this, Altimore wrote what would later become Jungle Boy's theme song. <laughs> Altimore. <laughs> oh. oh, wait, that's not the same guy? Oh, 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 oh. terrible. Da -da 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 -da. terrible. Uh. <laughs> and as far as I know, I don't, I don't think Tony Altimore and Captain Lou were for Jim Crockett. Uh, they I did. could be wrong. They did. Huh? Okay. They absolutely did in uh, 63 or, yeah, 63 or 64. Albano actually had a heart attack and uh, left the business for like nine months. Well, Patterson wasn't there, though. 
Was uh, he? Not in not in '63. Uh, yeah, Patterson debuted. Thought, yeah. Patterson debuted in '64. I want. I kind of wonder if they're getting him confused with Luther Lindsay. <laughs> so I mean, that would pretty much make Thunderbolt's case if Baltimore is is you know going off on the wrong guy. Uh, who died that, in the I, ring? <laughs> in that I mean, territory. Luther- yeah, well, that was, but that was many years later, long I after. I know, I yeah. know that was the early seventies, but um, okay. So I just pulled up like the first hit for Tony Altimore on newspapers.com in North Carolina. So Greens, Greenboro Coliseum, we've got oh, shock of shocks, the Bolos versus the Kentuckians in a logger match. Uh, Sandy and Geo period Scott <laughs> against Sweet Hands and Tony Altimore. Frank Valois, I always get pronounce his name wrong. Frank Jer- Valois. Versus Jerry Christie. Bobby Christie versus George Cryberry Cannon. And Jesse James versus Jerry Heideman. Did Johnny have a brother? Is that Johnny? <laughs> that, that That's John Heideman. And of course, Jesse James, that would be uh, Missouri Mauler. Uh, no, there was a no, Greek guy. No, it's the guy. Houston Jesse James, isn't it? Are you sure? Okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's, that's right. who. That's who I would think it would be. The gorgeous George. That's right. Cam, Jesse James. That's right. And that. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Right. If I just search for one that has both him and Albano, we've got the Bolos versus uh, George Becker and Billy Two Rivers, Penny Banner versus Fabulous Moolah in a girls match, uh, Sicilians versus the Scots, Luther Lindsay versus Rufus. Hover in a colored men match. Or, oh, Hoover, excuse me. <laughs> oh, man. Larry Hugh and Larry Hewlin versus Jerry Puckett. Okay, so they're thinking probably of Luther. If he if he's genuinely mistaken, he's thinking of Luther Lindsay or Rufus Hoover in a in a colored men match. Yeah. What year? What year was that? That is uh, January 63. Yeah, uh, Thunderbolt didn't even turn pro until uh, 64, and he was working in uh, Kansas, Iowa area. Yeah, because that's where he grew up. That's where he's yeah. from. Yep. He was working for John Deere. He had a, and he had a couple of run-ins in the, with the law before, right before turning pro. Yeah, he worked for John Deere yep. <laughs> in Waterloo. Yeah, Thunderbolt not, is not a southern man. He's from Iowa. All right. All right. Can I skip ahead or keep going or – I just let it go. You have a drive. Okay, yeah, I have to skip ahead. There's nothing even happening. That crowd's is going nuts. Oh, I guess transportation provided by Redwood Limousine. Oh, here's the captain. Uh, the captain's here. No wonder Tony Altimore's there. <laughs> All right. A new addition. A new addition. Shut up! A new addition on home base, all right? Connected with wrestling like nobody else has ever been. Wrestling's ambassador. He served as a pro wrestler, a promoter, manager, a movie star. I mean, you go on it. He's got it all. Lou Albano, the captain. Lou, you 
I've been listening to everything that's been going on in the show. Mr. Wilson here has, uh, was just applauding you. It means even he has respect for you, Well, I'm not for you, right? his applause I've never been looking for. I want to say something more. Now, let me involved. ask you, let me ask right you something, ahead. all right? Got you identify with professional wrestling as much as anybody in America right, has been. Does the discussion we've been having tonight bear any resemblance to the wrestling that you've known? Let me tell you something, Mort. The discussion that's going on here tonight is utterly ridiculous. I've been involved in wrestling since 1953. And I'll admit that today there's a little bit getting away from the wrestling, a little bit of showmanship and so forth. But to me, they're still the world's greatest athletes. When a guy comes out here like this, like this half-wit, and a guy like that moaning about black, I started in with Bobo Brazil, with Bearcat Wright, with Black Boy and Sweet Daddy Seeking. And they made something. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You. Yeah, go ahead. But look here. You started in with every one of them individuals. You stayed you stayed around. Each one of them individuals had to pack their suitcase and leave. But you no, stayed there and made the money. That's hey, not man, true. You just that cat right wrestled. That cat right wrestled. He died. That cat right died he and passed died. away. He died because Bobo he couldn't Brazil. get a job. Bobo was, 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 Brazil was used by the... Couldn't get a job. Thunderbolt saying Bearcat Wright died because he couldn't get a job. See, Thunderbolt... Thunderbolt says shit that... Fucks him, fucks his arguments up. Yeah. That that was a problem he always had. You know, he had legit claims of, of wrongdoing, but he says some stupid shit that would fuck him up. And there's one right there. Uh, come well, under different circumstances, maybe it would fuck it up. But uh, more on that coming on Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. Oh, there we go. That's your tease. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just for the record, Bearcat Wright died in '82. When he was Bearcat Wright, yeah, Bearcat Wright hadn't been in the business for many years. When did he stop working as a manager? Like mid seventies? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Would still oh, no, Matter of fact, couldn't get out the minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Because he would do that because he was there. <laughs> Just a minute. Bobo Brazil wrestled right here in the Meadowlands in the old timers day a few years ago. Wrestling was good to Bobo. He was a few years ago was literally a year ago. Well, it's wrestler's timeline, Biggs. I know. He was one of the favorite guys of Willie Gildenberg and Vince McMahon. And as far as this halfwit talking about blades, my wife is sitting out there that I've been married to for 34 years. If I were to use a, a, an object to cut my face, she'd divorce me tomorrow. Let me well, tell you, you this. Well, anytime I wrestle... sure as hell wouldn't want that pretty face. Well, you ain't kidding. No. Now, anytime... <laughs> I, I mean, you get... <laughs> I understand. I understand why why they do that. I mean, I mean, they're doing what they think they have to do to protect the business. And all the wrestlers would do. None of the wrestlers or people involved in wrestling that wanted to stay involved in wrestling were going to admit on television in 1988 that they use razor blades. It just was not going to happen. People that were divorced in the business, like a Jim Wilson, like a Eddie Mansfield. You know, Eddie Mansfield gets back into business later on. But guys like that, yeah, they're willing to say that. Not people that are active or trying to, to have some type of activity in wrestling. And I drew money. And uh, I just wanted the same chance that the rest of them was getting. Okay, I'm guessing what happened here is that when whoever this is ripped this from a DVD or whatever, that it got ripped a little funky. And some data got moved around. <laughs> but now we're back to the captain. 
Right here in the Meadowlands of the old timers, they invented Barra. Let me tell you this. Sure. Anytime I wrestle... You sure as hell wouldn't want that pretty face. Well, you ain't kidding. No. Now, wrestle cage match, and they took my fat face and ran it up against a 12-foot steel... Okay, I'm skipping ahead. This... <laughs> How is it that this type of TV show has not come back, given discourse these days? Oh, you would think that a show like this would be, you know, drawing huge ratings. I mean, even the 90s style shows. I mean, that's isn't that just Twitter? That's basically what it is, Al. I mean, it's now the fact that everybody can do it online that we don't need to need it on television. Yeah. Springer's ratings were, were down for years for his show quit. Well, the difference is Nazis actually will attack you on Twitter instead of Morton Downey Jr. having to face Wait. being attacked by Nazis in a bathroom. <laughs> we have this discourse now, but it's without a studio audience, and it's on your quote-unquote news channels. Ominously silent through all of this, well, all right? I haven't been ominously silent. I've just been listening to everybody. The, the thing about it, and, and I was applauding... <laughs> Lou and, and, and I don't want your applause. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't want to hear that. Either. I want to hear what you got to say. No, no, that's fine. What we're talking about is the money in the business, Mort. That's right. You couldn't draw flies, brother. That's right. Testify, it's, brother. He can't draw flies if you, if you, you give him You want to know something, Mort? Uh, I was in the business. Sir. I wrestled. David, I wrestled for 20 years. I never made no big money because I wasn't. Did he just call Morton Downey Jr. David? He's talking to Dr. D. Oh, sorry. Well, he's looking at. Morton, as he said. I know. That good a then I got in and started managing, and I was manager of 17 tag team champions, two in a continental and one world champion. I didn't make money at that, but as a wrestler, I was still Lou Albano. I wasn't capable of drawing money. I never made the money of the legendary Bruno San Martino and wrestled Jim. like that. Jim. What are you talking about, Morton? Oh, yeah. Jim's got something on his lap here. No, it, Don't it, read the whole damn thing to me. What no, is, no what, what I was getting to <laughs> more was the money. That's also selective on Lou's part, because no, he was not that kind of drawer close to it as a wrestler. As a manager, he had one of the plum jobs in the wrestling business. You got paid full-time as if you worked every town while barely leaving the house. Yeah, he just worked TVs and the garden occasionally. Or or if he had a rest, or match or something, yeah. That's, that's how the 70s... Like to early 80s styles, WWF managers worked. Mm-hmm. And even early in the expansion, you know, Heenan would talk about later in life. Way uh, past early. I mean, they, they're doing that into the early 90s. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, because then you'd have like the whole, oh, conspicuous by his absence, Jimmy Hart kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's somewhere in the rafters, somewhere watching. Yeah. Gorilla would always have some type of excuse for why the manager wasn't there. Heenan's there getting doing commentary, so he's getting he's getting that job. But right, Jimmy but Hart, outside of those yeah. shows, yeah, because he and yeah. Heenan didn't like it. He's like, I don't like that I'm not going to ringside at all these shows and getting heat and all that. But anyway, but that's the that was the WFA for decades. Right, but the point being though, like he made great money once he was a manager. Yeah, in the business, and the proportion amount of money that trickles down to the performers is nowhere commensurate to what all of us have been put handout? into. A handout? Is that what you want, a handout? Nobody say, wants a handout. I don't you want a handout. You want a handout. Oh, 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 you want a 
want promoters. We admit the promoters. We want to call you more angels, Mort. We'd like the boys to have hospitalization. We'd like to benefit things and all. But there's money out there to be made. If a guy's a good athlete, if he can do it right, he can draw money. There were wrestlers like, again, I mentioned the name of Bruno San Martino. They got right out there and now they didn't like him. Why? Because he was Italian. He drew money, yet I was Italian. I didn't draw no money. As a, as a wrestler, as a manager, I did my share. You know what? In the grand scheme of things, especially now that he's made that clarification, this is an unusually truthful Lou Albano TV appearance. Yeah, because the Sicilians were a mid-card team, basically. But he's saying, like, yes, I did make very good money as a manager. He's yeah, saying, well, yeah. you know what, Jim has some good points about promoters. He's not being the total shill for the business, Lou Albano, that you're expecting him to be. But he's also he's also get, you know giving Jim shit too. Yeah. Let's ask the questioner right that every American who's seen wrestling matches asks. Go ahead. Do you guys know who's going to win before the match starts? Well, I can tell you right now, I made the statement before. Every time I got beat, I got beat by a better man. I don't know what goes on throughout the entire world of wrestling, I can't say. But what I will say, they overmatch. You never see a Hulk Hogan up against a Ric Flair. You never see a Bruno San Martino against a Hulk Hogan. They know now probably David Schultz can whip my tail. So if I go in with David Schultz, he'll just beat me when he can. I don't know of any pre arranged No one ever are came to sure? me. And said are they the, sure that Dr. D can whip Jim? Yes, I'm sure. Well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Huh? I'm sure. If I, I don't promoter, think Jim Wilson if I, sure. promoter, I wouldn't have to tell Jim Wilson to lose. Because when Dr. D was ready to beat him, he whipped him with an inch of his life. That's right. And I can do it now. I'm sure. I'll do it right here in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go to a lady who's a hell of a lot prettier than you are. This is Lou Albano. You want to say something? I can be as good as witness as anyone else. Uh, Lou came home pretty bad at a lot of times, and uh, it was for real, from what I could see. He's had broken back, there you go. broken wrist. Look at the nose. His nose Cracked has been broken back so many times. Tell me that's a fake. How many and stitches have you had? Over 700 stitches in plastic surgery done, and here's my nose, no bone, my back three times, my hands broken. And let me tell you something, this guy's trying to knock wrestling, but people are still calling. Because i got to wait a minute, boss. And I that gotta... was from promoting. All right, now listen to this. I've got a number right now, 1-900-909 for Lou. And over 125 to 150,000 people a month call me on my line. And David Fernoli right there is the coordinator of that show. On WrestleMania Day, 278,000 people called the line. So the interest is there, and half foot more runs like this with the brain of a dehydrated BB. What? <laughs> do we he's buy those numbers it. at all for his mm -hmm. uh, hotline plug? Well, he's been very truthful to to this point. <laughs> <sighs> what's what's Jim have to say? Associated Press that Vince McMahon gave to the Associated Press. Supposedly, okay? supposedly it's right here. So, I mean, you believe everything you see him reading? If they really did the things it looks like they're doing to each other, there would be a lot of dead wrestlers, McMahon told the Associated. That's ominous. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, like, it is an interesting point, though, that doesn't really get talked about. Like, th when Vince would do interviews, and sometimes when Titan spokespeople would speak to media, they were more open about what wrestling really was pre-'89 well, than people realize. But Vince did it so that he could then lie about everything else. 
He would well, start yeah. with this shocking, truthful revelation to the reporter. Of course it's fixed. I'm not here to insult your intelligence. And then he would lie about everything else. Yes. Oh, here's Larry Sharp. Oh, good. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, the voice of reason has arrived. <laughs> I'm I'm sure he'd never take money unreasonably from a wrestler. <laughs> Try to take ten percent of their entire career. Sharp, he's the owner of the Monster Factory. Where some of the best some of the best wrestlers are trained. Let me come back to Jim for just a second. You claim that the kingpins of wrestling like Vince McMahon uh, and TV tycoon Ted Turner, all right. Uh, effectively blackball wrestlers who don't play by their rules. Not true. Did you? Did Not they true. throw you out of the ring? Did they what? Throw you out of the ring? In, in essence, they did. They kept us out of the ring. And what they did, Mort, in 1974, uh, and T-Bolt and I were together doing this, That's trying easy. to elevate the position, elevate the position of the performers. Number one, which is the bottom line of, of everything elevate we're talking about. How, Jim? Money, money and benefits. A shared equity in the billion-dollar-a-year pie that is not being distributed equitably. You want somebody to give you something for nothing again? No, no, we how don't, don't want to work you want to, How do you want to share it? By setting up a union? We now, wait a minute. Well, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have benefits for the boys and stuff like that. But you're not going to go about it the way you're talking about. There's money to be made out there. Maybe they can turn around and take $10 out of each boy's pay as he wrestles and have the promoter match that, sit down at the bargaining table with the promoter, and it's maybe there would be better than the boys. No, the better How idea... How come they threw him out? I the, can say that to the, a promoter. The, How come he can't? The better idea is because we are putting our bodies on the line. No, 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 You ain't put wait. your body nowhere. I've been putting my body on the line. Crying. You're crying, man. You ain't never done nothing to nobody. This guy's crying. Let me tell you. I went to the top in every league. AWA. Okay. More of this again. Um, oh, yeah, now Larry's talking, I guess. I don't know. The <laughs> guy who's trained more wrestlers, all right, more champions in your monster factory, is what he says. Hey, Doc, look down here a second. I need you, pal. Doctor, hey, Doc, I mean, come here a second now. Shut up. I ain't right. your brother. Don't, don't call me something. brother. I'm not a brother of yours. Indeed. Doctor, go ahead. Indeed is what he says about McMahon and these other guys, the promoters screwing around with these guys. Is this true? Let me tell you something. If there was... Shut up. I ain't your brother. Don't call me. Yeah, this, I have no idea how this got ripped this way. Show some wrestling holes. Guys like him would never get in wrestling in the first place. Guys like this guy right here wouldn't get in wrestling in the first place. Because I'm going to tell you why right now. Schultz was in Atlanta. 1975, 1976, I was in Charlotte. You were on top. I was training Tony Atlas. His first week in True. wrestling, he made $900. I made four. Why he got it? pushed because he was bull. Four dollars? Oh, four hundred. Four hundred. Okay. You got pushed because you were black, and I was a better wrestler than you, which is reverse discrimination, and I didn't get the job because you were black. The reason Tony Ellis made that money, it was because Tony Ellis was their boy. Was their boy? Is, is he telling the truth? Come on, is he Who telling the truth? He was a talented athlete. He was a professional bodybuilder. He was a professional bodybuilder. And I trained him. I know who he was. Are you trying to tell me that every black man who makes it, makes it because he kisses the white man's... That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you, but it's a lot. 
Let me give you some facts about that. I got the largest wrestling school in the world. David Schultz's got a school, and he can tell you, I get 1%. That's one black man out of 100 tries out to be a professional wrestler. Maybe if they had a little bit more guts and intestinal fortitude, they would come down. (laughs) (laughs) I did not remember that part. Larry, 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 Larry. Actually, wait a second. Yeah, how many black Monster Factory graduates are there of any version of the Monster Factory? Very few. Monster Factory alumni. Let's see. What should I go by? Wikipedia? Do they have a list? Um, okay, D'Lo. Okay. But actually, wait. But D'Lo's one of those where it's unclear where he got his original training, right? Because he was also an Al Snow <laughs> guy, wasn't he? That's the thing. You're gonna have a lot of people that are cross pollinated. Yeah, and then you know Tony Atlas is listed, but he's not actually a Monster Factory graduate. But Larry Shard was his trainer. Yes, Yes, but yeah, the uh, Godfather. There's one. Yes, absolutely. Well, Virgil. Yeah. Yeah, That's another one. Uh, there's another one in Memphis. I'm trying to trying to think. Can't remember the guy's name. Is the reason that they don't try out because they know they're not going to get a fair shake? They'll get a fair shake in professional wrestling as they will in any other big business or in any other sport. This guy's crying just like when uh, down in Texas, when Tony Dorsett signed for the biggest contract in the world, Herschel Walker comes in, gets more money, not Dorsett's crying. If he didn't like what he was getting, he shouldn't have took it with or without the other guy. All right, I'm skipping ahead because we're already that that is that was a legitimate thing that Larry's talking about. <laughs> I mean, are we playing more? Is this? Hold on, is there something wrong with this video? Let's see. Uh, or was this just having an issue? I was skipping ahead. Okay, I'm gonna pull up one of the other versions because it appears this version gets stuck. Oh, wow. How about that? With whatever that terrible rip, with whatever that rip they used was. So how far in were we? Well, we were, Larry Sharp was on there talking. Uh, when this guy, when we get stuck on the screen, we're about... Okay, yeah, we're all right, there's... About, yeah. Okay, as I pull up one of the other versions then. All right, so let's see. There's a lot... Oh, no, this were... Okay, this one eventually comes back. Or, okay... I wonder if this is a who knows what's going on here. Um, okay, yeah, okay. So let's go. Let's go to uh, Jim Wilson pulling out the photo of Mr. Wrestling Two with Jimmy Carter in the headlock. Here is here. Oh. Hold that picture up, camera. Can you see that? Camera, get that picture. That's a turn the camera on. Get him in the picture. He's under the Got it? All right. Okay. Who is it? Jimmy that Carter. Is, yeah, the That's opposite. a picture you know, of the Jimmy president Carter of the United States of America. Okay. He's the former president. Reagan's president now. Former. That's right. Go ahead. Come on, quick. We don't have much time. He's got a stranglehold on a guy that I was in the business with the very first time I got in. So what? So what I'm trying to say is we are in the process of unmasking the politics of pro wrestling. Shut the fuck up. I love how even Dr. D's like, come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just shit like that. I mean, 
whatever any type of valid argument that Jim Wilson or Thunderbolt Patterson could put out there, they get in their own damn way with stupid shit. Yeah. Um... Was was there a credit for someone named Zebra Davis? <laughs> Zebra Davis. Right, let's yeah, do the sign off, and then we'll give our thoughts on this. I guess. You and me, see some of the meanest, nastiest villains around today. You know what? You gotta love them. Oh my god! This guy's a bounty hunter, and he's arresting more whites and blacks. Doesn't matter whether it's real or fake. At least in the world of wrestling, unlike the world we live in, the bad guys aren't killing anyone. I'll see you, then. Senior Zebra Davis. producer Zebra Davis. I'm a nickname. I would think. I mean, there was but a writer on SVU named Speed Weed. Maybe their job. Maybe their job is to be more of a referee of, of the, all the characters. <laughs> they got the nickname. Maybe. Zebra. Maybe. Oh, that's interesting. You know who's one of the we we have associate producer Ed Glavin. Who's one of the producers on Donahue at the time of the uh, Titan Gate episode? Ed Glavin. Ed Glavin. And Doc, Doc thinks that the they can still hear him as he's talking to the camera during the credits. <laughs> oh my god! Brian Badal, executive producer. How about that? That's another <laughs> wrestling tie-in. Patreon.com/slash between the sheets. Yeah. All right. Thoughts. Everybody came off as you would expect them to come off on this show. And everybody has valid points, but everybody has stupid shit they do and say that kind of takes care of their valid points. Um, the thing is, is like, you know, like I said, you know, the, in this era, although, you know, Vince is about to admit a year later that it's all fixed. I mean, in this era, you cannot admit that the shit's fixed. You can't admit that you're using a blade. So they're keeping kayfabe. Um, Wilson, the thing about Jim Wilson is Jim Wilson not being somebody who was a name, so to speak, hurts his credibility. And the fact that he, when he was a name, it was... 15 years earlier than this show or, or I, mean, I mean way earlier than that 15 20 years earlier yeah thunderbolt of course ha, you know has been on tv in recent memory but he is somebody who always had that reputation of being that guy that they said walk out and thunderbolt was always pushed See, that's the thing that they can use against him was every territory he was in, he was pushed. Even when he quit, they would uh, he would come back two years later and he would get he would be right back in the main events because he was yes. was the Eddie yeah. Gilbert of his time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's the thing about Thunderbolt is Thunderbolt and Thunderbolt was not a great wrestler. He was a great entertainer, but he wasn't a great wrestler. It's just. Not everybody's going to be the world heavyweight champion. No, I mean, the other thing with him is he wanted an opportunity to book, or at least have a out of the ring job. 
Yes, but he never, but he doesn't talk about that. Here you he know? doesn't. No, at the, in this hour he doesn't. No, and and that's the thing when you have contemporaries of him that weren't in the same territory as him, it's like wait a minute, you were in the main events. <laughs> we was on the undercard. You know, I mean. That kill uh, that kills a lot of his his arguments right there. Like, wait a minute, dude. Well, but he's he's saying he left because he wasn't getting paid. You know, he's insinuating, and I don't know if this is what he was saying, but it sure seems like he's saying he didn't get paid the same as his white opponent in the same match, which may very well have been true, it's or probably, it's just in possible. general taking a stand for wrestler pay being horribly low compared to you know sports with unions. But but you're saying that when when he's out there throwing up the fact that he supposedly made a hundred thousand dollars a year in the seventies, in the seventies, pro I mean, athletes were I mean big time pro athletes were barely making a hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean you're like your top stars. Okay, what year should I put in just to give people an idea of what that? Would be? Uh, let's just say seventy five. As far as the year that he was on top and would have been making good money. Okay. Well, that's when he was working for uh, Einhorn. Mm. Okay, well, but he probably uh, was getting paid well by Einhorn. Yeah, he's though. probably getting paid really well. But still, we just need a rough year to at least figure out inflation calculation. All right, I'm, I'm look, all right, so I'm looking to see when he would have probably had his best. All right, so he was Florida heavyweight champion. But for what it's worth, that's over $567,000 with inflation. He was Florida heavyweight champion in 1976. Beat Brody. Yeah, Not a beat, huge beat paying hammer, territory. Frank the Hammer. Huh? Not a huge paying territory, though. Florida did pretty well. <laughs> and do we believe Thunderbolt when he says he was 100000 or is he just like every other well, wrestler? Said, the, you know, they said the magazine said he was making two and a quarter. I feel <laughs> so he, like he, it he helps his it point if he says he made less. So I feel like he's telling the truth. Kind of. To, to a degree. Still, all right, so, so that's a hundred grand a year in nineteen seventy six. The highest paid athlete in nineteen seventy six. Um, well, that's wrong because they weren't active in nineteen seventy. Okay, OJ Simpson made seven hundred thirty three thousand dollars in nineteen seventy six. Uh, Jack Nicholas earned two sixty six. In '76, uh, Reggie Jackson was making uh, making around five six hundred grand. So who 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 was who that we would know was making a hundred thousand? Who from another sport was making the same amount that Thunderbolt said he was making? All right, I got NBA salaries here. I got an NBA salary list. All right, the the top four NBA salaries in 1976. Was uh, Bill Bradley number one? Surprisingly, at three hundred twenty-five thousand. Uh, Spencer Haywood three hundred two thousand. John Havlicek two hundred fifty thousand. And Rick Barry two hundred thirty-seven thousand five hundred. The average the average salary in the NBA was one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Okay, and I just found something. The first million-dollar sports contract. Keyword there is contract was Bobby Hull in nineteen seventy-two, but that was a ten-year deal, so he's making a hundred thousand a year average annual value. Yeah. So he won the uh, he won the first season of the Ultimate Fighter with that million dollar contract. <laughs> he also won Tough Enough uh, season four as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it's 
everybody has valid stuff and everybody just hurts their arguments in my opinion. Right. Al, what, what are your thoughts? Well, and, and well, you know, what I want to say, Jim Wilson gets a bad rap. He, you know, he wasn't a superstar by any means, but he was a pushed guy early in his career. It was clear he wasn't very good in the ring. And the real, uh, let's, let's talk about the reason why he was pushed. I mean, he was an NFL player. Yeah, he played, yeah, yeah. He played yeah. for the Atlanta Falcons. So right. And also, he, he would, and particularly in Georgia, he was Vince Dooley's first All-American, too. American and Georgia. That's right. Yeah. So he has he has uh, gravitas. So, but in '71, so uh, at charting the territories, I have a statistic called the spot rating that literally is a numeric measure of a wrestler's position on the card from zero to one. Guy who's always in the main events gets a one. Um, in '71, when Jim worked in Georgia, his spot rating was a .60, which is right at the border of upper mid Carter and mid Carter. So he's a pushed guy, but he's not you know, a top star by any stretch of the imagination. And his his spot rating goes down after that. But my favorite story about Jim uh, and Thunderbolt is they jumped to All South in 74. Mm-hmm. They both quit All South and start their own outlaw. So they're starting an outlaw to the outlaw. IWL, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and this is when they get hooked up with uh, the Reverend Franklin Stokes, um, and it uh, not surprisingly ends up with Jim Wilson suing a whole bunch of people. Yeah, that's thing. Yeah, that's another thing. Jim Wilson, Jim Wilson Thunderball came off as complete malcontents. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. while we re- while we revere Frank Goodish for uh, for constantly walking out on promoters and looking out for himself, the the. The the story, you know, as it pertains to Thunderbolt, is different for whatever reason. Well, I can think of one reason. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, here's an interesting comparison point, too. In the mid-70s, Hank Aaron was making 240 grand. Tail end of his career, yeah. yeah. So, Jesus Christ, it's still daylight Why at the, <laughs> while we're recording this. Um, what's even the point? Um... Uh, I mean, here's the thing, though, too. I mean, Wilson should have realized this would not be the environment to get his points across. Oh, no. He, he's, he, yeah, he's in uh, enemy territory. And Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt should have realized he should have cut more of a promo. Thunderbolt was too serious. Yes. He should have been more like Thunderbolt and less like Claude. Right. And then he w- might have gotten a little bit more of a word in edgewise. Um... I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised by Albano, though. I, I feel like that's, like, the big surprise takeaway here. Yeah. But he's also on the outs with WWF, and he's not going anywhere else, really. And he 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 needs to be seen as a truth-teller with his hotline. Yeah. So it, it makes Maybe, sense. Yeah. But... Maybe Thunderbolt was as scared of David Schultz as Jim Wilson was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he didn't go the full Thunderbolt. Who knows? Uh, but what, 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 a, what a piece of television <laughs> history. <laughs> More than Dunning Jr. was, man. That Dennis. show was crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, you Dennis. Get Dennis, you get Paul Heyman, you get Lou Albano. Tony Alstor. Yeah. Uh, why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp. Ted Arcidi. Arcidi's like, what have I gotten myself into at this yeah. point? Crazy. Crazy shit. Well, I guess I should have expected that was going to be in its own section. So <laughs> let's move on now with the rest of the uh, U.S. here. And let's start with uh, Jerry Blackwell's uh, 
Southern Championship Wrestling. They ran July 10th at Henderson's Arena in suburban Atlanta for 225 fans. We had Ranger Ross over Chuck Allen. Buck Robley over Mr. Wrestling 2 in a Canadian Lumberjack match when Dick Slater tripped Wrestling 2. Oh, you mean uh, Jimmy Carter's emissary, Mr. Wrestling 2? <laughs> yes. Uh, Ray Candy returned to beat Roger Peterson. Peterson. Oh, returned Tommy from Rich- what? Being Black Stud Williams? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tommy Rich and Steve Pritchard beat uh, Dick Slater and Reginald Man Fernandez by disqualification when Snake Brown threw powder in Tommy's eyes. Bruce of Brody destroyed Eddie Sweat. And Ranger Ross beat Rick Shaw. Rick <laughs> Eddie Kane Sweat, you Rich- say? Yes. Ray Kane it says Eddie Seat here in the Observer. <laughs> I know. Rick Andy and Doug Sarnes beat Chick Donovan and Roger Peterson. Buck Robley and Snake Brown beat Steve Pritchard and Joey Maggs. And Brody went to double count out with Abdullah the Butcher, although it says Dutcher here. I think that's an OCR <laughs> thing. I think Abdullah the Dutcher. Uh, I'm trying <laughs> to think, is anyone th- running th- a th- cannabis-themed <laughs> promotion right now? <laughs> in a match which all of, went all over the building, leaving the place in a giant dust cloud since it had a dirt floor. It's true. Because it's a rodeo arena. Uh, kind of, sort of. Uh, heard the last match was lots of fun. Snake Brown was doing his Rama Brown gimmick. He, he's also the leading heel manager for Jody Hamilton's Deep South promotion, which is on its last legs. July 17th has uh, wrestling to and Ranger Ross against Slater and Robin in a street fight barracks brawl in a cage where the mm-hmm. losing team has to clean up all the bathrooms at Henderson's Arena, which isn't the most pleasant task in the world. Now, that's a step. <laughs> Al, that's the type of stiff that we need more indies to run. You have to clean the bathrooms of the building. Well, half the wrestlers did actually clean the bathroom, so you, know, <laughs> you really can't make a stiff out of it. Oh, yeah, I guess there's that. Biggs, um, this is a TV taping. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first half of this TV taping, I received from you many moons ago on a, uh, on a tape. So uh, you have this, or had oh, it. had, yes. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the rare Southern Chase Wrestling stuff I had that time. I've procured a little more since then. But um always loved Southern Championship Wrestling in Georgia. And uh, just fun stuff. And uh, Cool Breeze is on commentary, Rick Stewart, at this time. And uh, Robley's booking, although he's about to be on his way out. And, um yeah. I mean, a fun, fun promotion that I wish we had way more of. Yeah, yeah. We know there's more that exists. Oh, yeah, it exists. Just uh, people need to share it. I mean, I've I've got a good amount now from after this. But I, I'm talking about the, the 87, 88 AWA Southern Championship Wrestling from Georgia. And going into this area here, yes. I have a lot of 89 in the night, 89, 91. But, uh, yeah. Um, Al, how much, how much of Blackwell stuff have you seen? Very, very little. I, I was not in Georgia for many, many years after this. So, uh, it was just, you know, what I read in the after mags and, and the, these Georgia promotions didn't get as much coverage. As as they probably warranted, giving the talent that's there. Yeah, because Brody's, uh, you know, in, in. I mean, we read off some some of the names here. I mean, obviously, a lot of them are are past their prime, and perhaps that's even an understatement. But still, I mean, there's you know, there's a lot of name talent there. So where where was Henderson's Arena exactly, Chris? Henderson's Arena 
is uh, College Park. Okay, so nowhere near, nowhere near where I am now. Um, yeah, I mean, is it College Park? College Park? Oh, it's South is in South Fulton now. Ow. Okay, the yeah. city of South Fulton. Okay. Since they've changed, it was College Park, but it's now South Fulton, and yeah, it was a horse barn basically. I mean, not, not really. It's an auction barn. Um, interesting, interesting place. Um, they ran a lot of shows at Miss Kitty's. Okay. In uh, mm-hmm. Kennesaw. Yeah. Um, of course they ran the auction barn okay. uh, more often, uh, later on. In, so how uh, many, how many nights a week were they, were they running at their peak? Um, three, three. Hmm. I think they were doing Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. And then are these guys working various indies like around Louisiana? Uh, Tommy Rich. I mean, a lot of a lot of them just doing. I mean, Tommy Rich is working. He'll work some Memphis stuff on Mondays and stuff. Brody's doing Brody things. Um, I mean, Chris Adams is, was coming in at this time. So I mean, you just just doing different stuff. Now, it, but now Blackwell starts running more regularly. Well, I wouldn't say just Blackwell because. Ben Masters is running Peach State concurrently throughout the state of Georgia. So these guys, they're like uh, working with, with each other. So if they're not working for Blackwell on shows, they're working for Ben Masters on his shows. So they're, they're making a regular living working pretty often between the two promotions. Right. Okay. And Ben's got his TV in Cordell. But he's also running different parts of the state. So, like, yeah, Ben's, think about this, Alex. You know where Cordillo's at? Ben's running shows up in, in, um, fucking, uh, Rome. <laughs> that's a, that's a nice, that's hall. a hall. Yeah. That's, that, a, that's hall. a hall. Yeah. So, uh, but every, yeah. every wrestling promotion that has ever run in Georgia ran Rome. Brunswick. He ran regularly in Brunswick. Okay. That's, I mean, near the ocean. So, I mean, they were going all over the state of Georgia in different places. So they were working. They were working, just not for the same promoter, so to speak. And there were other indie stuff. There was the the guy that was running shows here every so often and where I lived. So it's just different different things. All right, let's go to Florida, and we go to Matt Watch. Matt Watch has been told that the FCW TV show featuring Gordon Soley is so poor, you don't even want to see a tape of it. But Steve does want to see it at least once. This is the beginning of that television. So, you know, what we have is mainly later, going in the 88 and in the 89, when it's, I guess, better. But yeah, you know, it's a new promotion, you know, and that happens. You know, you, they have to start somewhere. So. And meanwhile, so, uh, Global, where Gordon had been involved for what, the first taping, I guess? Yeah. The pilot or whatever. Uh, they do not take this news well and go on TV and call Gordon an alcoholic. Yes. Because he left them high and dry. Well, Gordon is on another wrestling television show at this time. And we're going to go there now. USA Wrestling out of Knoxville. And we got some clips. A lot of stuff's going on with Ron Wright and his boys, and he ain't happy. So let's go to Ron Wright. Oh, great. Oh, we got the stormtrooper. Get a stormtrooper, sir. And uh, Mr. 
right as you can see, the crowd Bobo is, certainly is uh, not in your favor. Who? Bobo Isaac Hayes, right there beside Mongolian Stomper. His name is Bobo Isaac Hayes? No, doesn't he, I mean, he looks like a Bobo Isaac Hayes. Oh, who is that, though? That's the guy that gets his leg broke on the last uh, TV show by Ron Fuller and on the Fuller Leg Lock. Oh. That Bo to, has told the story of on this show. Okay, just to set the scene, uh, Ron Wright is sitting at the table with Gordon, mm-hmm. whose immediate right is uh, Moondog Scott, the dog. The dog, yes. Behind him is the black gentleman. Bubba uh, Yes, behind Gordon is Mongolian Stomper, holding his ears because of his terrible <laughs> inner ear condition that plagued him throughout his career. Which is why the fans are making that noise. And next to him is the stormtrooper, uh, Sig Haling, waving a Nazi flag. <laughs> yeah, but, but doing it very nonchalantly, I might add. I think he has his hand over his ear, too. Yeah, I mean, you've got the, you know, Stomper is going nuts. The dog is going nuts. Ron is going nuts. And the stormtrooper is just, oh, oh I'm here. Hitler salute. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Zig Heil. Zig Heil? Zig Heil? He's very casual. <laughs> So I was saying it's very casual in this uh, Nazi thing. Are we playing this? Or... Yeah. Oh, he's voicing it over. Okay.
Bueller. On the uh, on the notes here, it says Ron Wright goes nuts on USA TV. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> that might be fairly evergreen, but th- so this is the type of stuff that I love. That I really got into once I was exposed to more wrestling other than what was on TV in New York in the mid '80s. This is just lunacy, just crazy characters running around like insane people, uh, while a manager's yelling and screaming about something, and and this poor announcer is is attempting to you know have decorum and 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 try and bring order to all this this is the stuff that i love so much oh it's it's, it's classic southern wrestling but we were talking about the the zig heil wasn't there a seinfeld bit um back in the early years when they would have stand-up clips preceding the actual episode where we were talking about how when you watch the movies there's two kinds of uh of you know zig heils there's like a more casual one when they pass each other in the office uh, versus when they're out in the field and they do the full, you know, arm thing. Yeah, I remember so this, that. This, this stormtrooper here was was doing the uh, the casual office. Uh, hey, hey, Zig Hey, Zig Hyle. <laughs> Zig Hyle back at you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a Mongolian, a dog, a German, a black man, and a hillbilly from uh, Tennessee. <laughs> We uh, how, how do they all coexist? That's like when <laughs> when when I managed Otto Schwanz, you know, when they had the Jewish guy managing the German. <laughs> it's not supposed to be like that, guys. Well, Otto wasn't supposed to be a Nazi. <laughs> all Germans are Nazis, Bix. Don't we know this? <laughs> well, <laughs> well wrestling the, in a certain era, yes. It was managed by the evil Count Grog. The evil Count Grog. Not, you know, the, the benevolent Count Grog. The evil count. Oh man! 
Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Bix, any thoughts on the run right? No. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the Dundees. They got some uh, issues with the bullet. The Dundee Awards? Yeah, yeah. This is Bill and Gumby at this time, Dundee. So let's uh, go to the clip. You know why? Uh, you know why he did that, right? Because he's Gumby, damn it! So he's depending on when this was taped. Jamie was either just about to turn seventeen or had just turned seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is first, you know, real spot in the business. Yeah. Was doing this with Bill here. I have a dumb. I have a really dumb question. Okay. So, according to WrestlingData.com, uh, mm-hmm. Jamie was born in Memphis in 1971. Well, yeah, that... Bill was not in Memphis. He was in Australia. No, Bill's not in Memphis. Yeah. Okay. So I get. So I mean. So is Jamie not like? So what I mean, is Jamie not really his son? What am I? I what am I missing? No, it's, it's, just, it's that he was it's born in Australia, and it's just a Wikipedia error. Oh, okay. All right. That's all. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. He's young enough yeah. when he moves here that he does not have an Australian accent. Yes. Right. Of course, he would have been six. A, well, of course, Bill's Five. not Australian in the first place. Bill's from Scotland nope. originally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, okay. All right. Five, yeah. Okay. I just got mildly confused for a second. It happens. I'm old. Well, I mean, it's just part of the the, the internet, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, do you want me to return to this after the break here? Uh. Yeah. Okay. Now, had there been a loser leaves town or anything in USA, or is he just strictly, he's just here as the bullet? He's always been the bullet. Okay. 
Because he's bull, bull and Continental. Because he, when he came back from Crockett, he's back as the bullet. Right. Who owns that? Bob Armstrong. Who is that over there? Scott Armstrong. And that's an Armstrong. And from now on, when you see the superstar and Jamie brother, we're taking you Armstrongs out. Because now this is personal. I don't like it. I told you I was going to do it. And from now on, buddy, we're bad to the bone, Mr. Sully. We're bad to the bone. How can you possibly, on, how can you possibly defend your... Now, your The ultimate indignity. Gumby wearing the bullet mask. As the bullets being carried out of the, the building. And hot went in the television show. And again, said it every time we do this show, this era of, of uh, wrestling on Between the Sheets. USA Wrestling is the better television show than Continental. Oh, yeah. But it's not booked by uh... Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. No, it's not. But you know what was built by Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr.? Continental. We'll get to that in a second. All right. Uh, they're building up into a hair match featuring built by Landell Wendell Cooley. Doesn't happen. The Bulls not even built on D. Oh, oh thanks, that. Chris, for including that. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I went Dave, what Dave did, Bix. Dave didn't do TV. Uh-huh. Uh, the wrestler referred to as the mercenary. Managed by Ron Wright, formerly the Mass Shogun, is now being called the Stormtrooper carrying Nazi flag. So yes, he he went from being a Shogun to a Nazi. <laughs> he's going to be a member of the Zambui Express in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I, I was going to go with he's going to be Italian next. <laughs> Jerry Law is heading into the NWA title against Cooley and Bullet, so Law wrestles a heel here, which we have we had that promo. Um. I didn't really feel like playing it, but this is one of the few instances where you get Lance Russell, where he's kind of heelish in a way. He just, you know, he's championing Lawler. Yes. So, and it's not the heel heel. It's like that, that world champion heel, you know, type of way, the arrogant yeah. type of Kind of, yeah. Terry Gordy's had an interview with Doug Furness over the Tennessee title. Tommy Rich and Hector Guerrero have departed. And uh, Tom Morton has an amazing resemblance to Ricky. Well, gee, Dave, I wonder why he's called Todd Morton. <laughs> so, yeah, Tommy was working here, too, Al, when he's working for, for Blackwell. Okay. So, again, they're just bouncing around different places. Yeah. Those, those talents. Now, let's go to Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr.'s Continental Wrestling Federation. And we go to Matt Watch. What a shock. CWF is having talks with Bam Bam Bigelow about coming in the feud with Lord Humongous, which may mean Titan has closed the door on Bam Bam, becoming a big star. Seems a sad tale, but considering he was one of the standouts late in 1987. Yeah, they had big plans for him, but fell by the wayside. And the fact he made some enemies, including Andre the Giant, which is not the kind of guy you want to make an enemy. No. He had maturity issues. And he's about to make a big enemy in Ric Flair <laughs> when he goes to work for Crockett. Mm. Oh, Brian Pillman's getting along look by the CWF as well, according to Steve Beverly Bix. Oh, who do you think told him that, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> 
Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Brian Pillman uh, getting uh, going the Continental is the Dr. Tom Pritchard going to the NWA of a year later in 1988. Well, they were actually talking or the about it. Or though. Tessa Blanchard going anywhere. Tessa, yes, yes. This is a great call. <laughs> Go ahead, Bix. What were you saying? I can think of one thing that Tessa and uh, Pillman would have in common. Perhaps their feelings about some people. Perhaps a group of people. Um, but the, I mean, they were genuinely talking, and Pillman wanted to leave over the Brick Bronski thing. So this may actually be one, the Brick Bronski thing. Maybe it's not the the first injury. It, maybe it's the re-injury is the Brick Bronski fight. Who knows? But this All is right. a real thing, though. This is not. This is not Doctor Tom going to WCW where. Doesn't seem like there. I mean, he can have us report in the newsletters. Sure, 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 sure. All right, well, we got a couple of clips from television. Lord Humongous has a match with Private Pile, and uh, he gets a beat down from some heels, including one DI Bob Carter. So let's go to the clip and let's look at the production of this television show, shall we? The same production that Steve Beverly wants into the NWA. Find their way back down to the canvas. Oh, it's lit. It has lighting. Kind of. to get Lord Humongous off, off their feet. Or to do something. There. There's a power. Lord Humongous now. It's Bob, Steve, Bob Carter. And they're all three. Where did they take this? I don't this? think they can do it. I don't think so. I uh, don't know. Lord Humongous puts three down. This man is just too big. He is too awesome. He's probably going to kill these guys. And again, here they go again. They're trying again to do something with oh, the Lord Humongous. Wait a minute. I guess that's the only way to do it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No. Oh, my God. No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I want to see this. What is going on? Just right in the face with a baseball bat right here on television. This shows the... He's hurt. This shows the... He's hurt. Oh, man. He's wearing a hockey mask. He'll be fine. I hope he's not hurt. Let's see if we can... We, it, it, I hope... What's wrong? Oh, man. Let's see if we can... Uh, this is terrible. I don't think that mask had that much protection on it. Yeah, no. No, the mask... Not for a baseball bat. No way. No way for a baseball bat. Yeah, this Bix. Is, what? He's, he's getting get up. up. He's getting up. He's trying to get up. Listen, oh, now we're shooting directly he's, he's into the light. Kind of a, a sound. Let's see if we can get up there and see see what oh, the situation sir, is. Over there, he's calling. Oh, his head is busted open. His head is busted. He's gonna make him madder. This, wait a minute. I don't understand this. Look, this is this is he is he is just going crazy. This is like an animal or something. I just. Uh, I tell you what, how would you feel if you've been hitting the, the face of the baseball bat? The man, you don't know if he's. See. You, oh my, is he bleeding? You don't, yes, he is. It is. A gash has been opened in the head with that baseball bat. And Missy, in this situation, you don't know how bad the man's hurt with that mask on. You don't. You don't know what the situation is. Oh, but he has been busted wide open. He is. He is out on the floor right now, and they're they're attending to him. This man, you don't know whether he's. He's badly hurt. You don't know whether he's just mad or, or what the situation is. 
but he can he can take a lot. He can. Th th yeah, I know. We've had bottles here hanging people, but a baseball bat hitting oh, somebody in the head with them. Look at this. He's like a madman, back down on the floor. And I just really would like to know how bad that that is. That is disgusting and and just ashamed of professional wrestling for somebody like Detroit Demolition to have three men to hold a guy, come in with a baseball bat yeah, and hit him in the mouth. Of him. It took three of them. Just to and hold still, it. But he's still not out there. He's, he's not out. He's he is, still not out. He has consciousness and he is going to the dressing room and hopefully we'll get a report no matter of moments on what the situation is on the big man, the Lord Humongous. We'll be back. Of course, Humongous here being Sid. Yeah, I want to see that baseball sh bat shot again, because that looked like one of the nastier-looking, more actual close-to-full-force baseball bat shots I've ever seen in wrestling. I mean, he's pulling it, but he's making contact. Yeah, but I don't think he bashed him over the head. No, look, watching it again, you can tell that it's he's working. He cracked the mask, though. How about, the, how, about the, how about the blur started before the, the bat hit the mask? Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, <laughs> either he cracked, well, either he cracked the mask or they pre-gimmicked it so that Sid could crack it open. I think so. Yeah. Uh, great production values from uh, Tommy Gilbert Jr. Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Ooh, now we have Al a collection of George and Tammy songs from Gusto Records. Al, uh... Your thoughts on this, what we just seen here? Uh, the the commentary was just horrible. Yeah, Charlie Platt and Missy were not a good combination <laughs> together. Babyface Missy, who's a babyface announcer now, uh, to try to take heat off of her from her losing it at concession stands. Uh, not so fast. She's a babyface announcer when it doesn't involve Eddie. Okay. When Eddie's involved, she's extremely pro Eddie. Aren't we all? <laughs> the newsletters are <laughs> but yeah yeah you, as we'll as we'll get to in a second on another clip yeah she's still pro betty so the only ad this break is just an ad for the georgia tammy compilation at a at a uh p.o box in montgomery alabama so i'm guessing this is a spot that is aired wherever the show is airing but that's the way it was i mean that, per that's inquiries, the way that yeah I mean, because anytime you see that same commercial, more often than not, it's going to be based on where the TV station is. No, but I'm saying, was this episode recorded off of Montgomery Station, or is this from uh, yes. Score? Okay, so this is recorded off WCOV. Okay, that's I wasn't sure. Yes. It was recorded off WCOV in 1988 or 1993? That I can't tell you for certain. Because the commercials are otherwise cut on this one. All right, so... Let's talk about a Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Danny Davis is supposed to wrestle him later in the show. Danny's out for a promo. Then we get a bizarre attack on Danny Davis. Let's go to the clip. Always a pleasure to welcome to the Continental Wrestling Federation microphone, the Nightmare Danny Davis. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. You know, you've had a lot of situations taking place recently in the Continental Wrestling Federation. Today, you're in our feature match. That's Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Oh, yes. You know, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert with Paul E. Dangerously. You know, both of them are putting up 
$25,000, and there's nothing I would like better than to relieve them of that money and fatten my bank account because everybody knows when you work hard, you fight hard, you should be paid well. And brother, I hope, Eddie Gilbert, I hope, Paulie Dangerously, that your alligator mouse don't overload your hummingbird rear ends because I intend to take that $25,000 away from you. Hey, Jerry line. Yeah, I want to ask you this. There's been a situation where you have been aligned with, uh, where they, Ken Wayne is aligned with Paul yeah. Dangerously. Hey, hey, Would you please get out Hey, you get away from me. Don't you get me, pal. A woman shows up and attacks Danny Davis, which they see who it is. They see as Kim Wayne. So now Kim Wayne's talking to Charlie Platt, still wearing the dress. The wig has come off by now. So, yeah. Had had they shown the woman walking around earlier? No. No, because it comes out of nowhere. It's not like it's not like most yes. of those types of angles where you see them in the crowd earlier on, just to or, or the gorilla. Ken Wayne comes down here, masquerading. Welcome to the year of living dangerously, Danny Davis. This is what happens when we have a new member of the Dangerous Alliance. This is what happens when he asks us for a favor. This is what happens when he says, let's take care of a little business. We take care of our own business. And the Dangerous Alliance is going to prove that 1988 Charlie Platt is indeed the year of living dangerous. All right, we get it. All right. By the way, it, it, this just reminds me, since uh, we're hearing White Wedding again, uh, we're recording this on was it, the uh, 32nd anniversary of the release of uh, Terminator 2, and I was reading a long Twitter thread about this this morning. I did not realize that uh, the original idea for uh, T-1000 was uh, Billy Idol and not Robert Patrick. Huh. I had heard that years ago, but now I have forgot. Yeah, like the original concept sketches and everything are of Billy Idol. But this well, is well, he had the, done some acting. Yes, but this is post motorcycle accident era, so he couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, because they would have been filming that in '90, and that's when he had the accident. Because uh, the video for uh, Cradle of Love, you never see Billy Idol. It, he's in a always in some type of uh, like monitor type deal, right? But yes. you, you never see him live in the video because yes. of the recovery of the accident. You know who the director of that video is? Uh, not top of my head, no. David Fincher. No, well, that makes sense. Fincher did a lot of music videos in that era. Yes, that was his original thing. Was a music was as a music video director. Mm-hmm. 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 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, that Charlie Charlie Plateau and Mrs. the peroxide went to her brain. <laughs> Again, there she is healing it up when she was a babyface earlier in the TV show. Well, she's playing favorites with her uh, her boyfriend. But like she's a member of the Hart family in Canada or something, you know, trying to play <laughs> yeah. both sides. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, there's our Continental for the week. All right, let's go to Memphis. It's Memphis Wrestling. It's the summer of 1988. You know what that means. Stud stable all over television. So Phil Hickerson has now won the CWA Heavyweight title, and it's time for a celebration, bitches. Let's go to the clip. Okay. By the way, Dave, we have got... You. you call yourself such a great announcer. I used to think you were good, but he's mad at you. The biggest announcement in the history of the CWA. You won't even come out here and make it. Robert Fuller is so upset at you. Hey, Bruno, late. we don't you need to what? start a show we like this. We don't need to start a show. Hey, hey let's take a break. Fun? We'll be back into the ring. Lance is wearing one of Vince or Pat's suits from 1981. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so go to the brain, come back. <laughs> match coming up here. Please let us get on with the match. I'm not standing up for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I don't want to hear anything. We have some very distinguished Distinguished visitors, is this the week of a Philly bus trip or something? Uh, I think so. And it's the right time of year, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. This is Thank you very much. Can we just get on with the match? Let me have the mic over here for just a second because it seems as usual. How many different gimmicks does Gary Young have in 1988, by the way? <laughs> a few. We, we've got honorary adopted Gilbert son, Gary Young. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Ernest Angel choir boy, Gary Young. Mm-hmm. Got stud stable Gary Young. Anything else? Mm-hmm. That's about it. So a lot. But you're stubbling your toes getting into the program here because there's something of interest that all of these people want to know, and you're holding back the news. The news is, gentlemen, right here, Mr. Gary Young, looking the finest he's ever looked right here. We got Buckhouse Brown on top of the world right there. Let me introduce you to Sylvia on the other side, prettiest lady in America, and then my man downtown Bruno. You'll see that there's a couple of them missing, and one of them is the finest man of the hour. I'm talking about, man, my baby. Delaro in the back. I'm talking about Phil Hickerson. Bring him out here. He's the new CWA. Speed this up a little bit, please. What? He is the new CWA heavyweight champion. We were going to make the announcement. I'm telling you. You don't want to be late about it. Let's get his hand up, guys. That's the man right there. What do you think about Max Payne there? What do you think about Max Payne? That was great. You know, I said, I just told everybody I was going to beat him like a dog and everything. Two minutes and 47 seconds. No. I'll beat that guy like a dog. Let me tell you something. Let me say this. Max Payne, if you're anywhere and you can hear this, Max Payne, I don't know who, I don't know what they named him Max Payne for because he didn't show me nothing. I'll tell you exactly what you showed me. You showed me that you should change your name from Max Payne to Maxi Pad because that's exactly what he is. He's like yesterday's Now, just to show you what I'm going to do, you run around to these promoters 
Jesus and everything, and you want another rematch. Well, just to show you that I'm the champion that I am, that I'm going to give you a rematch, and I'll guarantee you I'll beat your brains out in a one minute well, and 51 seconds, Lance Russell. It's easy to talk because, about. Because, hey, everybody knows that I'm a fighting champion, right? Yeah. I am a fighting champion. I'm not like Paul. I don't fight back and wait for people to come to me. I go to people. I'll fight anybody anywhere. Yeah. I'll fight a, I'll fight a oh, tiger sure. in a telephone booth. I got it was just this morning. Let me tell you what I do when I get up in the mornings. Man, I get up, and I got a big gorilla. And every morning, I go out in the back, and I beat that the gorilla's brains out. And that gorilla's bad, too, brother. And I get so bad, I beat him so bad that my wife has to come out there and pull get me off that gorilla. But to show you the type of terrible man I am, yeah. who am I wrestling today? Just who am I wrestling today? Sean Baxter, I think. You're going to have to stick it out. Sean Baxter. Sean Baxter. Rock and roll. I hate rock and roll music, Landro. I despise it. I hate it. But let me tell you something. I'll tell you exactly how terrible I am so good. I'm going to beat this kid's brains out. I'll give this punk a championship match right now. Right here on TV. I'll put this belt up. You will make this match a championship match and put the CWA belt on the line. Hey, I, it's not that I doubt your word or anything, but I doubt your word. Uh, I'm going to see if Eddie Marlin is out here. If Eddie is back there, I'd like to get him out here. That's so, second-generation star Sean Baxter. That's right, yeah. Tarzan Baxter's father. Yep. Yep. Um, Bill Hickerson's one of those guys. Again, we talked about it on the show many times. If he would have devoted his full time to wrestling, he'd be one of the most memorable guys in, in Memphis by more people because whenever he showed up, he was always awesome. He just didn't show up often. But does the fact that he wasn't there all the time add to the awesomeness? If he's there all the time, it's, uh, it's the same shtick. Uh, I, with Phil, maybe not. Miss Memphis, because yeah. look at everybody that's always there. That they, they, they reincarnate themselves. You know that they turn in, in different times. So if Memphis is the only place Al, where they where you could get away with homesteading, right? In in a way, because you're you're always doing something different. And, and, you know, it's good to get away. I mean, Dundee got away. Dutch got away for, a, you know, a couple of times. It's good to get away and refresh yourself. But, you, I, I mean, listen, I mean, Phil Hickerson wasn't there from 1980 to 1984. Period. Yeah. I mean, he takes four plus four years off from wrestling. So, I mean, and that is a golden age of Memphis, too. If, if, if he just would have come in here and there, you know. It would have added to his legacy, but I mean, you got a point. There, there is that situation where if they're there too much, too, too much of a good thing can yeah. can sometimes not be a, a good thing. So, but uh, I love me some Phil Hickerson. Oh, just amazing, amazing. Well, it's more of the celebration for the stud stable. Tojo Yomoto has gifts for Robert Fuller and Sylvia. As well, he should. Let's so let's go to uh, to Tojo. Stop several me. I'm I'm in Ally, me and Mr. Robert Fuller Ally. Now I like to call uh, Mr. Robert Fuller and Sylvia. I have something because uh, you know Robert Fuller is a very smart man. I'm, I'm very proud of him. I like to make a presentation to Mr. Robert Fuller uh, Sylvia. You want to make you want to make a presentation. 
to Robert Fuller. Yeah, you see, you, what a memory you got. You've forgotten what This, uh, Roberto Fuller presented, uh, presentation. Do we have any idea what Tojo's actual speaking voice was like? <laughs> um, he didn't sometimes have promos. Because he's mainly baby when, when he was babyface. He's from Hawaii. You got right? more to direct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was babyface, you got you got a Tojo like more the real Tojo voice because he's not doing shtick. He's being a babyface, but he's still putting on a Japanese accent. In a way, yeah. Alright. So what they got. For you, uh, who who's Tojo with flanked by here, brother? That's Sinchi. Great Sinchi. Who is uh Rimaga. Rimaga. Under a man. Was it Go or was it Sato? Um Okay, that that's Sato. That's Sato. Okay. Rimago wasn't yeah, he didn't go to Memphis. Go didn't go. <laughs> go no go. Go no go. That's Sato. Yes. Taking on Jewish aliens somewhere. Well, you know, Rimago would be super ninja in various places and stuff like that, you know. Right. There's no cage match entry for the uh, great Senchi. They don't even know because it's confusing. All right, go ahead. Well, we got to see. It, of course, it may explode when you open it up. You know, Tojo humbles me out here. You know what? He's a great guy. You hear Robert Fuller. You got me something. That's very nice of you, Tojo. Very nice. Very nice. You know, I changed all of my feelings about Japanese people. Lance, you know, I, yeah, I remember some of your other Japanese feelings people. about Tojo. And I've been talking with Tojo. Look at this. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, just what I wanted. <laughs> just what I wanted. Just what I've been wanting. I'll put it on for later. Tojo, thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, fellas. Well done, well done. Yeah, why, why don't we... Yeah, that's marvelous, Robert. Yeah, Tojo seems to have forgotten some of the things that were previously said yeah, uh, about right. uh-huh. uh-huh. Hey, listen, we want to bring to your attention uh, about a video that I think you might be interested in. This is a very special video that has to do with uh, our own Jerry the King Lawler, the new world heavyweight champion. Take a look at this, please. From the beginning of his career, through all his battles. Oh, is this the ad for the uh, video about the title win? Yeah. Okay, let's watch this. All the many wars, all but one title was his, the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, facing the stipulation of retirement, he would journey to the ring to face yet his greatest challenge. Jerry Locker, the king, the challenger. Kurt Henning, the reigning AWA world champion. And special referee, the legendary Jackie Fargo. Now, the most talked about championship match is the most exciting video cassette ever. The battle for the belt. It's all here. The interviews, the entrances, the main events, and the press conference that follows. 60 minutes of true Memphis magic. The night the king climbed the mountain for all the world to see. The crown of a new world champion. And what an unbelievable TV offer.
Remember, if you act now, you'll receive free with your cassette a copy of this 20-page edition of the Warrior Report. The same one sold at the Coliseum that night. It's loaded with action photos and an exclusive interview with the king himself. Plus, as an added bonus, you'll also receive this magnificent full-color poster of the king at no extra charge. Order now. To order by credit card, call 1-800-321-4100. If ordering by mail, send $29.95 plus $3 shipping to Road to the Championship Video. P.O. Box 3020, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, 08034. Sorry, no COD's Allow four weeks for delivery. Was Dennis throwing orders on that? Yes. Well, no. No, 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 no. It was independent media marketing who... Well... They produced the PWI videos but did not distribute them. Um, yeah, but Dennis is involved. Well, there's the whole thing in the ads for the Lawler Idol video a year earlier... That it says note video or orders for, it says something like note orders for Dennis Corluzo will not be fulfilled as a joke. <laughs> yeah, but Dennis is involved. Okay. He's involved in some well, form cool. or fashion. That's, yes, that's like what Sports Illustrated would do when you subscribe. Like right after the World Series, they'd have a special video uh, about the Phillies that season and a special edition of the magazine if you subscribe for a year. Yes, yeah, it, yeah, this is Memphis doing their Sports Illustrated. Yes. Right. Pretty cool. No shoe phone, though. No. And they also showed the the Lawler is now a touring champion music video, too. Well, speaking of Lawler being the touring champion, he's in the studio this week, uh, which is a, not rare, but he's not there every week right now because he's the AWA champion. So he's there. He talks to the fans about, you know, missing being there every week. And there's a group of people there that's not happy that he's there. So let's go to the clip. Complete with what is certainly one of the most prized possessions in the world, the World Heavyweight Championship belt. Jerry. I got it right here, Lance. They said there were some calls. You know, I, I guess I did come out here uh, once without the belt, and uh, all of a sudden people started calling the front desk and said, has he lost the belt? Has he lost the belt? It's right here. No. still uh, still in my possession, and uh, that's where I hope it's going to remain for quite a while. Uh, you know, there have been uh, a lot of, uh, there has been a lot of traveling, a lot of matches around the country and stuff, but the, the thing that I regret the most about the fact is that it's taken my attention away from this area at a time when if you ask me there needs to be some business taken care of right around here and and uh, if you people have been watching the show today you know what I'm talking about this Robert Fuller and uh, the Sylvia in downtown Brooklyn, this whole stud stable, I mean, it's getting a little bit out of hand. I mean, they're, they're basically trying to take over the whole television show. And, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to come out here, I wanted to say a few words about <laughs> the Sylvia. Now, I mean, I mean, now Robert Fuller really thinks that she, I mean, he must think she's a real hot number, you know. But now, she wasn't born yesterday, I can assure you that, because nobody could get that ugly in just 24 hours. I'll tell you something about Sylvia. No, I was, she, she's, it, have you, has anybody noticed how skinny she is? Yeah. She, she isn't overweight. No, she isn't overweight. She is so skinny that if she turns sideways, you can't see her. But when she turns frontways, you wish she had turned sideways again. I want, I'm, I'm telling you, she's skinny. That's I don't know what happened. That's obviously not. That's obviously not a YouTube thing. That's your computer. I don't think I clicked it. How would it have? I definitely didn't press skip because that's not where my cursor was. It's that's it went, it, weird. 
Because it went to a new video, though. It didn't skip ahead in this video, or behind in this video. Well, anyway, all right. Okay. You've seen it up close, that face of hers? I'm telling you, when people are saying it's rough all over, they're talking about Sylvia's skin. I'm gonna, she's, that, she's that rough looking, Lance. I want to tell you. She just uh, she, she, she thinks you. she's great. She's like this. Yeah, don't get me started. Don't even get me started. <laughs> Uh, what was the other ballet they had in here before? Uh, Missy Hyatt. All of these ballets, they think they're really in demand. Sylvia could rob a bank and not even be wanted. That's how bad she is. <laughs> but enough about that. Let me tell you about being the world champion, Lance. It's just there's a lot of traveling. As a matter of fact, this this is this week coming up, I'm going to be in, uh, this coming week, I'm going to be in Wednesday, as a matter of fact, in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm going to be in Anaheim, California on uh, Friday and then back to Las Vegas on Saturday for another uh, ESPN taping. And there is just, like I said, there's a lot of traveling involved. Uh, speaking of... to fix that Sylvia Good when Cinchy jumped in from behind as 
as both of them go out nursing the bruises from the action in there. Okay, we're ready to uh, move on to our next. Let's go to part two of this as we have a little match, and then Jerry and Jeff come out. Jerry and who? Jeff. Thank you. Okay, we're going to be in the ring here in just a moment. Billy Travis and Brickhouse Brown. Jeff? Robert Fuller, I'm talking to you, buddy. I know you're back there. Jeff already has a cast on his arm. That's why they're working on the arm. Oh, I did. Okay, I missed the cast. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it okay. was. Yeah. Now, you've broken Coke bottles, you've uh, strangled me, and you've broken my arm. And I'm not going to forget any of that. And like I said before, I'm not going to let my soul rest. Till I put a cast on you on some part of your body, but you've done something, brother, that you should have never done, and that's get Kingfish hot. And I guarantee you one thing: he's going to be just as mad, just as angry, and he's going to do want to do just as much damage to you, Fuller, brother. I'm coming at, with coming at you with everything I got, and this cast is going to be the first thing to hit you. Mm, 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 Jerry, let me just say one thing: make it short, and I'm going to make it sweet. You just had Fuller, you just had Cinchy, you just had Tojo, you just had Sylvia. You all shot your best shot, Fuller, and I'm still standing right here just the same way I'm going to be when that match is over this week. So come on, Fuller, you and Golden and Tojo and Senshi, all of you, anytime, anywhere, when we get our hands on you, like Jeff said, we're going to hurt somebody, we're going to cripple somebody, and somebody else, namely you, Fuller, and you, Golden, are going to be wearing the casts around here from now on. Okay, Lawler and Jeff Jarrett think it ought to be some kind of a confrontation when they get together in the ring. Speaking of getting into the ring, the referee, oh, Jerry Calhoun, is... Uh... So there you go. King's back. All right, we got a couple of house shows here. Nashville on the, July 9th. Brickhouse Brown over Cat Garrett. Sean Baxter Scott Casey, which cannot be Scott Casey because Scott Casey was working in WF at this time. So that's a mis misname. Gary Young over Tommy Gilbert. Phil Hickerson over Max Payne. Sinshi over Billy Travis. And Gary Young and Robert Fuller went to a double count out with Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Lawler. Maybe someone stole Scott Casey's identity. I hear it's uh, fairly common in that line of work. <laughs> Just a gigolo. <laughs> All right, uh, July 11th, Miss South Coliseum. Cat Garrett over The Beast, Margoline. Brickhouse Brown over Sean Baxter. Gary Young over Tommy Gilbert. Sean Baxter and Cat Garrett over Sid Stryker and Sonny Street. They don't last very long. The, oh, we got the midgets around. Karate Kid and Little Coco over downtown Bruno and Sylvia. That's going to be the greatest match of all time. <laughs> I, that sounds amazing. Uh, Phil Hickerson retains CWA title over Max Payne. In our main event, a six-man tag of Jeff Jarrett, Jerry Lawler, and Jimmy Valiant, meeting Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and Sinchi by disqualification. So Valiant came in for a shot. So you know what they called the team of Jimmy Valiant and Jerry Lawler up in Canada? What they call them? Poutine. <laughs> Robert O'Connor is, is now jealous of you for making that joke. Oh, Gats, co coming hard there. I like it. Poutine. <laughs> that is fantastic. Bob Holly's already returned. What, ha what had happened was Pat Rose got into a dispute with the promotion. And he and Holly walked out last week, but apparently Holly reconsidered his back in prelims as a singles. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sean Baxter's hair. 
Yes, he's very uh, more, like even in, an, in this era when everybody has big hair, Sean somehow it like defies gravity how yeah. high it, it sits. It's so weird looking. CC Deville from Poison was jealous of uh, his hair at this point in time. So there you go. All right. Oh, here we go. Windy City Wrestling, Bix. Uh, who's booking Windy City Wrestling at this time? That would be uh, the best friend of uh... Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. <laughs> yes, one Paul Heyman. All right. So um, Windy City Wrestling drew 250 fans in Rockford on July 9th as. The original Midnight Express, Conjury and Rose, beat the Terminators. And they shot an angle where Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, went up against Larry Cameron, who asked for Eddie Gilbert. Shocking. Ironically, Terminators and Cameron were announced on AWA card in Nebraska that same night, although they don't even work for the AWA. What? Okay. <laughs> Paulie Dangerously was managing both teams, and Terminators turned babyface and attacked Paulie. And they had a mass wrestler working on a car called... The Midnight Rider. Mm. Windy City Wrestling was... <laughs> that's another one that's like like the ultimate smart mark indie of the era here. For like s- six months. Yep. Yes, I wonder why. Because <laughs> Paul, Paul leaves. Yeah, well, and... I love on the Heyman DVD where he's just like, I'm booking Chicago and Eddie's booking Alabama. And if he had needed an idea for Alabama, he would ask me in Chicago. Like, he's not living in Alabama with Eddie and just booking these occasional <laughs> shows for Windy City. I know. Yes. Lord have mercy. Uh, let's go to world class. Very little from this end. Former Dallas Cowboy star Harvey Martin is now doing TV color commentary with Martin Lawrence on the world class tapes. Yeah, someone worse than me now. <laughs> <laughs> July 8th in Dallas, sports order around 1500, which is pretty impressive for the third show in the same building within a week. Yes, because they ran July 1st. They ran July 4th there. You know, it used to be Reunion Arena on July 4th for Will Rogers in Fort Worth. And then they ran the 8th. So three cards at the Sportorium in seven days. Main event was a six-man tag title defense with the bait face of Kevin Von Erich, Steve Simpson, and Michael Hayes. Keeping the titles, beating Buddy Roberts, Iceman, King Parsons, and Kamala when Michael pinned Buddy in the cage match. Kerry Von Erich is a member of the championship team. He failed to show up. It was replaced by Simpson. <sighs> Eric Embry, also in the cage, retained his world-class heavyweight title in the rubber match of the best of three series, beating Steve Casey. So, Bix, we had Steve and Dane in a rubber match. <laughs> I, I I don't think uh, certain YouTube commenters are wanting any rubbers involved in their uh, Stephen Dane fantasies. But if Stephen Dane is 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 working with rubbers, it definitely has to be Magnum. Oh, you mean because you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on him. <laughs> but and he's also wrestling Eric Embry, Vix. <laughs> you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on him. <laughs> Oh, man. All of that said, this is a really fun feud. It is. Well, it wasn't a hard feud to follow, so that Matt helped out. No, 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 but maybe uh, <laughs> maybe he, maybe Steve Casey went to review the videotape in an office uh, 
all cocky like <laughs> while having Lee for 42 full uh, in front of him. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the other highlight I saw at the beginning of the feud with the SSTs against Michael Hayes and Steve do it to a Cox. Well, he wore long boys. <laughs> they don't like him as much. Who made his debut here? Cox wrestled Samu when fought two interfered for the DQ calls on a two on one. Michael Hayes then came out for the same in the two round Samoans, who the promotion's trying to push as their answer to the old heel row warriors. Buddy Roberts is now bad at your dub and claiming they're not Samoans, but Freebirds. Actually, this thing was pretty funny. Buddy is claiming that since he's the oldest, he has the right to the name Freebird and threatening to sue Michael Hayes or Terry Gordy if they use the name. Obviously, when Gordy gets right from Japan, this leads to a feud between the two teams, which should result in very good matches, since the SSTs are surprisingly good. Surprisingly good, Dave says. Roberts is also claiming he wrote all the songs on the Bastion USA album, and then Michael Hayes owes him royalty checks. Uh, we never get Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy as a tag team here in Dallas. No. When Gordy comes back from Japan, he's separated from the Freebird drama. And he's really not in world class a whole lot. No, he's in and out. He has his little thing with Botswana Beast. That's yeah. Yeah. So is every successive generation of some of the Alpha and Sika family tree better than the previous one? It looks that way, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a literal progression as you go, as you go from generation to generation. That, uh, no offense to Alpha and Sika, but, you know, they were not... They were not Roman Reigns. Well, okay, no, yes, but remember, though, Roman Reigns is actually the same generation as Samuel and Fatu. Ooh, all right, hmm, interesting. It's a Chavo Eddie kind of thing with right, him, that's, a Vito yeah, Eddie that's, kind of thing with yeah. the Usos and him. Yeah. Um, but still, yeah, I mean, if you go from Afonsica to, you know, Reigns, Umaga, Samu, Fatu... Yoko. And, yeah, and then Usos. Usos. Solo. Jacob Fatu. Jacob Fatu. Well, maybe, maybe it ends with Jacob Fatu. Jacob Fatu is, what a, well, he is good, but boy, you talk about a bag fumbler. Uh, oh, you mean now, <laughs> now that it comes out that he's no-showing charity shows after taking his deposit? Yes. Oh. Alright, so let's talk about uh, some world class. We got July 8th, there's four tour and TV taping. Iceman Keen Parson over Bob Bradley, Jimmy Jeff over Tom Jones. Not unusual. Yes. Yes, not unusual, but yes, Tom Jones, who Al at this point, what? Oof. Pushing 50? Yeah. Gotta be? Yeah. Sounds about right. Tom Jones yeah. is still working here. And then Eric Embry retains the, the lightweight on the cage over Steve Casey. Then we have Steve Simpson over Kill Tim Brooks, Wobbler over Jimmy Jack Funk by DQ, Missing Link over Craig Whitford, Cox and Hayes over the Samoans by DQ, and then the six-man tag title match. Now then they uh, go to San Antonio two days later at the Freeman Coliseum. We have Manuel Villalobos over Bob the Cat Bradley, SST over Matt Bourne and Jeff Rattlesnake Rates, Embry over Stephen Casey, Irwin and Jimmy Jack no contest, Hayes over Kamala, then Hayes, summon for Carrie, no, no, no show, over Iceman by DQ. And then a triple dome of terror match the same night as the Great American Bash, won by Manuel Villalobos. <laughs> what was the prize there? And he still needed all this. He got his house back. Gifted to he him. Got his house back. <laughs> that 
was an angle that was run that was running global some years later. I was uh, talking <laughs> four about years a later, real angle. Much exactly four years later. Yeah. A real angle, yes. Well, th- that's not Al being cute. Well, no, he had lost his home, and then he uh, went on TV to show off uh, that new house he was proud of that he had gotten in public housing. Yes. And then, meanwhile, uh, the local Toyota dealer gifted him a nice car, which was then, of course, destroyed by uh, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. Of course it was. Who, of course, is the booker at the time. Well, Tom, J- Tom Jones was 48, so you're, uh, you're exactly right. I knew he was pushing 50, yep, and looked every second of it. All right, AWA, that car, remember we talked about that car in Nebraska? They made a success on July 9th in Columbus, Nebraska. Drawing 2,180 fans as part of the Platte County Fair. As Wahoo McDaniel and Baron Von Raschke beat T. Joe Kahn and sold that Houston off. Starfire Derek Dukes went to a draw with T. Joe Kahn. Ricky Rice were a pat and about his qualification when Paul Diamond interfered. Houston off beat Baron Von Raschke when T. Joe interfered in a real dud. And Ricky Rice and John Paul, top guns, beat Tanaka and Diamond, bad company by DQ in the main event. Show are a lot of repeat matches here, or repeat people. Well, here's why. Kurt Henning no show for a scheduled man against Wahoo. Henning was building the program as a former ADBA champion. Although the pre-match was listed, listed this as a, t- as a title match. Oops. It's been too much. No shows, for, no shows for the original lineup were just about everyone from DJ Peterson to the Rock and Roll Express to the Terminators to the Nasty Boys. Although in the program, the only no shows were Jerry Sass, Kurt Henning, and Brad Rangans, the latter of whom they deemed was back in the AWA. But we also have uh, the guys we mentioned earlier with, with, with Larry Cameron. And the Terminators are here, but Larry Cameron was part of this too. What so, this is, here's what this is, Al. I noticed this in newspapers in 88 with AWA stuff. There would be lineups for AWA shows, uh, sold shows, two months before the show happened. Hmm. Okay. So you put a lineup out there two months before you have your show, what do you expect's going to fucking happen? Yeah. When well, you're that, 1988 AWA, the... yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that that happened the next year in the in 89 and 90 in the WWF. They would send the same ad copy, you know, for three months worth of a house show tour, and and by the second month, a couple of the guys were injured. You know, Jake Jake yeah. was injured, and Dusty would take his place on the house shows before he was supposed to debut on the road. Things like that, but yeah. so if this is a fair show, is it? Are they? Why are they calling it a major success? It, like, was this a separate entry? I'm sure you don't know this, but I mean, usually the fact fair that shows fans, are just, I guess you know, success. you come you come to the fair and it includes uh, you get to watch the wrestling. I guess the fact that they had that many fans, I don't know. <laughs> I've I've been on fair shows, you know, with with you know, no matches announced that you know more than that because it was just whoever, whoever's at the fair comes watch the sh- comes and watches the show. And then uh, in August, they're on the uh, Montana State Fair, Bill. Yeah. As I I see looking at uh, newspapers.com. The Flair women's group has not disbanded, as Dave incorrectly reported last week. In fact, they've got a July 23rd TV taping in Houston. The show is being taped strictly for foreign markets as a TV show with no arena cards planned for now or ever except to take TV shows. Uh, Yes, fantastic ladies in international rings. And uh, we got this stuff here because it aired in Pedicino's blog for a very short time. Is that the only place it aired in the States? <laughs> I think it probably was. Oh, no, because fantastic ladies appearing in international rings. Because I think Pedicino did some announcing for them. 
I've never heard of this. Who were they using? The usual suspects. Okay. Uh, Heidi Lee Morgan, uh, Brandy May. Was the Misty uh, Blue tight. crew? Misty Blue's crew. <laughs> Not Blue's Clues, but Misty <laughs> Blue's crew was there. Hold on. I'm going to brave yeah. Man's or Man's website to see if I can find any <laughs> listings. Of, uh... It sounds like you don't go there every day. Will you stop? <laughs> but yeah, it was a very, very short time on TV. Uh, this is we literally the, the first I've heard of it. We always got the women's promotions. Somehow, some way, I always got them on TV. Whether it was Joe, 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 Joe had a knack of uh, Joe always seemed to get the the, the pretty women. Oh, well, was goodness. he friends with Lee Marshall? <laughs> he was friends with Dave McLean. So that's one thing that helped him. Well, a not a Dave McLean uh, promotion, though. Dave McLean was involved in Flair, if I'm not mistaken. Well, is he? Which one? Well, what was the other one that he was Pow. involved with? Pow. Pow was yes, the Glow uh, Splinter Group. Right. Glow. We Pow. had Pow on TV here. I think Bambi were Flair. So that would be uh, another hook for being here. But yeah, I mean, we had all that shit. All the different types of women's wrestling that was going around this time. So, all right, let's go to Portland, and we have the Portland wrestling war going on at this time. We'll start with Don Owen, the Grappler and the Terminator. Rick Hazard under the mask won the Northwest Tag Titles on July 9th since the stills were that both would retire if they lost the match. Results of this show: Mike Golden over Steve Austin. No, this is somebody else working at Steve Austin. Colonel the Beers and Buddy Rose over Art Bar and Billy Two Eagles. The Avalanche, Paul New over uh, C.W. Bergstrom. Mexican Deathmatch, Mike Golden over Alberto uh, Madrill. <clears throat> and then Tag Titles versus Retirement. The Southern Rockers, excuse, the results are, are backwards. Southern Rockers lost to Gar- Grappler and Terminator. Southern Rockers being Steve Dahl and Scott Peterson. Peterson. So... Uh, Yes, Rick Hazard. This is the era that Rick Hazard's wrestling. He wrestles in Continental. He is the mask and is the Terminator. Yeah. Former world-class referee, Rick Hazard. So that's Don Owen's version of, of the war. Let's go to Billy Jack Haynes' version of the war in the, in the Oregon Wrestling Federation, a subsidiary, subsidiary of the World Wrestling Federation, according to Billy Jack Haynes. Uh, Gresham, Oregon, on July the 8th, drew 65 fans. That's right, 65 fans. We had the Terminator, Mark Laurinaitis over Joey Jackson with the most luxurious hair in wrestling at the time. Coco Samoa over Brock Gardner, which sounds like a name that would have been an OVW in 2006. Then we have uh, Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly over JT Southern. Some great hey, the monster package. Corporal Kirshner, who was probably out of his mind on drugs, over Lex Luthor. Then we have Brian Adams over Hercules Haggerty. The future tugboat, typhoon, big steel man, shopmaster, Uncle Fred, superstar, brother. and then our main event, yeah, and, and then our main event, Tiger Chung Lee over me, Mike Miller. Sure, that's a main event anywhere in Gresham, Oregon. <laughs> now the next night in Oregon City, we had Billy Jack Haynes working on the show, beating Corporal Kirshner in the main event, plus Tiger Chung Lee and Coco Samoa over Mike Miller and Brian Adams, Kevin Kelly over the tournament that retained the the OWF title. Lex Luthor over Joey Jackson and JT Southern over Hercules Haggerty by disqualification. 
Now, Luther is a baby face after saving Mike Miller when he was attacked by Coco Samoa. Of course he is. Sure. What's Kevin Kelly and the Billy... scrotal package? <laughs> Kevin Kelly and Billy Jack are feeding over the WF title and over who has the best full Nelson finishing hole. Of course they are. Gone from the circuit are Black Stud Williams, Ray Candy, back uh... on the Georgia. Rip the Crippler Oliver and Ricky Santana, who lasted less than a week. And Steve Gatorwolf. Oh, I'm sure he would have loved that territory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that territory, uh, yeah, that territory seems like it had a problem that he would uh, not consider a problem. <laughs> Johnny Ace was is also gone, but scheduled to return in August. Ugh, no comment. Rip Oliver was the booker, but he was let go. So Dale Gagner and Mike Miller are now handling the booking. So long, everybody. <laughs> I forgot he worked here. Yeah. So obviously Rob Jack- Russin is the one responsible for the AWA spot shows at this point. And Billy Jack only works TV tapes in Oregon City, but doesn't work the road shows. Well, he's got all these administrative duties. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to deal with paperwork-wise <laughs> when you're the only uh, regional promotion affiliated with the World Wrestling Federation, which, as everyone can tell, is true because they both have Wrestling Federation in their name. Both promotions had a Terminator. <laughs> the fuck? Yes. One mass, one not. <laughs> Al, you've covered a lot of, uh, in recent memory, you've covered a lot of these promotion wars. Wait, was one the original to- Terminator and the new Terminator? Like, is this like the spoiler in Dallas a year earlier? No, no, they just Terminator. I mean, so the question I'm asking here is you, you've covered promotional wars going back, way back in decades. This is, you know, one right here that was really contentious for a time there with Billy Jack and Don Owen. But uh, we are thoughts on this promotional war in particular. Uh, yeah, this one, you know, they're, they're at this point, they're fighting over scraps. And there's just there's, you know, whoever wins this, are they really the winner or are they the loser? Because now they're stuck promoting in Oregon for the next couple of years. Well, here's the thing, though. The thing is, is that after this ends is when Portland heats up. That's and that's that's usually the way it works. Usually the usually the war itself leads to um, increasing attendance for, for both. Um, and then whoever's left standing ends up in the better position because in, in a perfect world, they get the best talent from both, you know, promotions. Well, what happens with, with Portland wrestling is Piper takes more of a con, you know, right. booking control with Lynn Denton and just transforms the territory. So that happens. But but, yeah, I mean, it's fresh off the promotional war, though. So. But this, you know, between the, the group, you know, the between the wrestlers working in both companies you've got a hell of you have one really good territory you mm-hmm. don't have you you don't have two there's there, there's stretch left so who is who was lex luther is that that's not dr luther is it no no, no. that would have been cool I don't, if it was. I don't know who lex luther was okay i don't think it's anybody that's really recognizable right i mean i can look but I mean, yeah, there, there's a solid crew, one crew, when you, when you take the best uh, from both these promotions. But yeah, 65 fans yeah, to a not show. Good. That, that's and and you you know and you know you've got you know you've got talent. You've got you know, well, you have wrestlers. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, there's I, there there were guys here who many people thought had potential. Well, there were guys that had main evented. I mean, Mike Miller. I mean, had main was a main event guy in Portland. Right. Uh, Coco Samoa had been a main event guy in Portland. Top guy. And, and guys like Jack yeah. and Corporal Carson have been on TV. Ken Kelly's been on TV. Uh, Brian Adams was a young guy that had been pushed for Don Owen. Right. Um, Tiger Chung Lee been on television. Tiger Chung Lee's a billion. Yeah. Uh, so talking about ago. Billy Jack. So I've in my years in the independent wrestling, I've met many, many, many wrestlers. The scariest motherfucker I ever met was Billy Jack Haynes. I can believe that. <laughs> Absolutely can believe that. For many reasons. Yeah. Just, just scary. Just seeing him walking by is scary as fuck. Yeah, he's a he's a menacing looking dude, yep. and you know he's crazy and legit. Right. So he's got he's he's more nuts than Doctor D. Yeah. So I would yeah. think differently, but sure. <laughs> but yeah, what a wild time in Oregon! If you've never seen any OWF television, go find it on YouTube. It is quite the watch. But you, you should search Oregon Wrestling Federation spelled out because if you search for OWF, it's not labeled that. <laughs> no. Jesus Christ, these kids with their firecrackers. Fuck. These damn kids. <laughs> these kids today. All right, let's close it out with the World Wrestling Federation, and we start with television. Wait, you mean the World Wrestling Federation, the only national wrestling promotion affiliated with the Oregon Wrestling Federation? <laughs> yes. So uh, <laughs> we have a coronation during our week, as Harley Race has been absent of course, due to health issues since March, we're in July, and we need a new king. But we don't know who that's going to be yet. So let's go to Bobby the Brain Heenan and all the heels as we have a coronation. And of course, play, pay close attention to just how many times they act like Carly Race is dead. to witness the crowning of a new world wrestling federation king. We know it's not rude. Let's see who else we see in there. Is Dino Bravo in there? Now, how do you know it's not one of the people in the ring? May I present to you your new king and the new king of the World Wrestling Federation. Here he comes. Well, it's not someone in the ring. At least it's not you. You're still here at Mike's side. I mean, Lord Littlebrook, uh, at this point, he hasn't left yet due to, uh, in his own words, not wanting one of his kids to get homosexualed. <laughs> yes. Not making that up, everybody. But no, we thought about them. Those are his own words, yes. Look at the Haku got a haircut for this. Look at how nice trim his hair is. And, and 
Smith. Speaking about the King Harley Race. The King well, certainly a had very his day. dark day has fallen on professional wrestling. As the King Harley Race lay right now in his sick convalescent bed. Uh-oh. Can you imagine the people cheer over something like that, McMahon? Hey, was it a nice guy? I'm sorry, Jesse. You're pleased? Recovering say that. from surgery at the hands of Hulk Hogan. Wait a minute. Is Hulk Hogan a surgeon? He said recovering from surgery at the hands of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I think what he means is that he's blaming Hulk Hogan for the injury of Harley Rex. Which is obvious. Thank you for explaining that, McMahon. <laughs> Harley Race has had to abdicate the crown and the cape and the throne. But I want you all to... I just hate that they're not showing the uh, the picture of Harley Race in heaven yet at this point, as they would start <laughs> doing when he gets mentioned on TV in the coming months. Which always got Gorilla's goat. <laughs> it's literally a picture of Harley Race with his head superimposed over clouds that would just suddenly pop up on screen like he was dead <laughs> if his name came on. <laughs> Gorilla, uh, it, it would crack me up for Gorilla's reaction to that every time that happened. One of the weirdest things this company has ever done, and that covers a lot of ground. <laughs> It would be unrelated matches, too, and then all of a sudden someone would say Harley Race, and boom. (laughs) All of a sudden, Harley's on screen in heaven. (laughs) Will you stop? Remember something, not once. Was there one card? Was there one letter? Was there one show of remorse from Hulk Hogan? No, not one show of remorse. Why should there have been any show of remorse? Because Hogan's supposed to be an all-American boy, isn't he? It is time for the passing of the throne. The gentleman you are watching right now, sitting on the throne, <laughs> qualifies <laughs> Sorry, Jess. to be king of the... Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Goddamn, pal, it's like you take your shit. <laughs> ah, you sit on the throne. Ah, it's expelling feces. <laughs> Moving his bowels. Miss <laughs> <laughs> just cracking himself up. It's funny. I want to hear that again. <laughs> I forget who it was that said once as we hear more fireworks. I hope it's not too bad. That, uh. Jeez. Al said. Out there. You think it's ambiance? 
it's a it's a patriotic episode between the sheets. Al called it. Where was yeah. I even going with that before I was? Uh, it's about this. Oh. It, it, I forget who it was that said years ago, but I've always thought about it since when I hear the Vince laugh. Is that like Vince laughs like someone who has never laughed and is trying to approximate what he thinks laughter sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is that, that that's not that's like a real Vince laugh there. You know, that's the thing. Mm. Sitting on the throne <laughs> qualifies <laughs> Sorry, Jess. to be king of the World Wrestling What's Federation so funny? for many, many reasons. Well, he His just said he was sitting on the throne. Honesty. Honesty? A keen sense of fair play. You've got to be kidding. He's describing Loyalty. Haku. <laughs> Sportsmanship. Huh. And a keen love. For his fellow man. This is ridiculous. I want you now to stand up. Stand up. And I want a moment of silence. For the... For the crowning of the new king of the World Wrestling Federation. He will now be known as, from now on, King Haku. He sneezed or something. King Haku about to be crowned resounding booze here, welcoming the crowning of the new king. You know, McMahon, you're awful brave because you sit way back here and nobody can hear what you say. Well, I'd be interested to have you right there at ringside and make some of those comments and see what would happen to you. No, thank you. Not with this show of support. Bobby the Brain Heenan crowning the new king, King Haku. And look at the show of the support. Bobby the Brain Heenan, boy Andre the Giant, they all turned out for the crowning of the new king. What kind of king is Haku going to make, Jesse? I think he's going to make a good one. Look at him. Like I said, he looks like that king on Mutiny on the Bounty. I don't remember that all that well. Sure, remember they went to Tahiti. Now. Captain Y and Fletcher Christian and all them. Important words. Long live the king! Long live the king! Long live the king! Look at how proud Bobby Heenan is out there. You know the fireworks after boats for the celebration of the new king. That's right. He had any financial backing in this? There's no telling. What is this going to do to Haku psychologically? No question, Haku, one of the preeminent World Wrestling Federation stars, but is this going to help him psychologically? Certainly, he's the king now. I think he looks darn good, McMahon. Look at that. Handsome. Love the look of the robe on him. Beautiful throne. Well, there he is, sitting on the throne, as Bobby Heenan said earlier. (laughs) However, I must say, as far as credibility is concerned. Look at he, has, he has Andre opening the ropes for him. Now, if that don't make him king, I don't know what does. Okay, are we done? Yeah. As the are. fireworks get closer. <laughs> um, I always thought he looked a little bit like the king of cartoons as king of Haku, too. <laughs> my, thing, uh, my thing is, is that uh, of all the coronations, this is probably the least of the ones. <laughs> Because Harley's was was better, Savages 
was the best. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but this was like the least, of, at least of them. It does have a um, uh, headbanger Joe LaDuke, though. It does. Or he's Butcher LaDuke here, Biggs. Butcher. No, he's Headbanger Joe LaDuke. No, he's Butcher LaDuke. Wasn't it Headbanger LaDuke in WWF? Mm-mm, Butcher. Look at your house show uh, lineups. Okay. I could have sworn they called him Headbanger Joe LaDuke. Look at HistoryWD.com. They, they, they don't even call him Joe. They just call him Butcher. Okay. Yep, well, Butcher LaDuke. He was working the bottom of the cards anyway. <laughs> No pun intended. <laughs> I mean, sure, if you say so. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Um, so we have that. Also on TV during our week, we have uh, the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth bit interviewed by uh, Gene Okerlund. And Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant show up. Summer signs around the corner. So let's go to the clip. HistoryWWE.com just says Joe LaDuke. You say Butcher. It says Joe on the all the results here. Hmm. I'm sure you say Butcher, but oh well. well I, guess, I guess Landy did a find and replace when he took it over. <laughs> Is he like this? Because he's Vince. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, knock me out. (sighs) You don't need to keep putting it over and hammering it home. Just like, okay, we get it. He is the champ. That's a crazy bomb. Yeah, that's a crazy bomb. He's on stage and not went face first to the floor. 
As we were talking about that, that's a really big bump for for Savage to take. He's standing on a stage a few feet up, and uh, he gets knocked from behind, and he basically falls face first onto the concrete. I, like I, when I first saw it being set up, I thought maybe Andre was supposed to catch him or something, but uh, that didn't seem to be the case, and Andre definitely didn't catch him. Um, but yeah, that's that was a that was a good angle. The fans picked up on it, chanting for Hogan, Hogan. So they're setting up. Uh, some tag matches for the for the pay-per-view coming up. Yeah, I mean, that's the intended reaction. Yeah. They're getting the intended reaction they wanted. Uh, it's working. So is, is Hogan working out shows regularly at this point, or is he, quote-unquote, away in storyline? I think he's filming a whole um, card, isn't he? Yeah. So that 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 now it's even better because they're they're trading for Hogan, but Hogan won't isn't there to save him. So yeah, yeah. Your thoughts, Vix? Yeah, nothing really to add that you guys didn't say. Um, Vince Vince is particularly over the top at this point, though. Um, he is very Vince. I I wonder 
if you watch it all together, I'm curious if he ramps it up after they start doing the commentary and post-production, because that's only a few months old at this point. He does. There is a marked difference. He's cutting loose now that he's in, that since he's just in the studio as opposed to yeah out in the building. That's when a lot of his stuff changes, yeah. And there's no Bruno anymore, too. Well, it's not like he said anything. No, but I'm just saying... There's no Bruno. So Vince is more animated without Bruno there, too. Okay, so Hogan has one match in July, no match... I mean, excuse me, one match in, a, in April, no matches May or June, one match in July, and then he starts back up on a more regular schedule in August and is back on his regular schedule in September. Yeah. Because he's in Atlanta. Yeah, not not a dead uh, Ted Turner or anything affiliated with him. So, well, other than that, the movie is supposed to be making fun of Ted Turner. But yeah, yeah. All right, so we have a uh, Matt Watch. A one place source told Matt Watch this week that some Titan wrestlers on balloon payment contracts are receiving seventy five dollars pay nights, seventy five dollars pay nights, because crowds outside Masquerade Guard have dropped so sharply. Who in oh, so Titan two- had balloon payment contracts? So we have two promotions that are having wrestlers pissed off at their balloon payments. <laughs> but who would even be on a guaranteed contract at this point? Idea, but that's what Steve's putting out there. And we're not talking top guys. And the story just could be wrong, too, or specifics have been inaccurate. But, yeah, like, that's... As far as we know, other than Hogan and maybe a select other one or two very tip-top guys, as far as people on the actual roster, no one had any kind of real guarantee until 1996, right? I guess. So what's this about? Well, Miss Steve's hearing, Bix. Hey, well, the source was well-placed, Bix. It's a well-placed source. That's right, Al. Well-placed. Yeah, his uh, girlfriend was in WWF for a few months a year ago. <laughs> yeah, but that's... I'm kidding. Th- th- no, but that's not this era, so... I know, I know, I know. Well Maybe it's Terry Taylor. Service. Oh, because he just got there? He's around, yeah, he's going there, or not there, I'm not there yet, yet, yet. Man, there's I mean, he's, he's fireworks well shooting up around me. For, yeah. He's well-placed to know what prelim guys are getting paid. yeah. All right, let's go to the house shows. So July 7th in Toledo, Drew 3,500. As the Iron Sheik, Penn Scott Casey, negative star. Big Boss Man over Sam Houston, star and a half. Rockers over Conquistadors, star and a half. British Bulldogs over the Bolsheviks, done. Dom Rock over Great Valentine, Betty Q, and surprise a good match for those two, two stars. Rude over Jake, Betty Q, star and a half. And Savage over DiBiase, two stars. Owen Hart debuted this past week on their Masters, the Blue Angel. Working C-team shows here in California. Let's talk about those. Redding, California on July 8th. Drew 2,500 fans. A sellout as the Blue Angel beat Terry Gibbs. Sensational sheriff and Rockin' Robin. The Rougeaus over the Killer Killer well, Bees. No, it's the Killer Z's as in sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, but still Zzz. Animal Warrior over Hercules. And Coco Beware of One Man Game by his qualification. Now, story of this show, Hercules needed 76 stitches in his arm 
To close the cut, he received falling on the table in Reading. Hercules and Warrior got in trouble that night because they were knocking TV monitors over left and right as they brought outside the ring. Well, here's my question. Why are there TV monitors in, at this show in Reading? Hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's a good question. This is not TV taping. Warrior's already being pushed, so it's not like it's to take out his prog. I mean, I'm... I mean, the only person that would be you would be like videotaping to check out how he's doing, I guess, would be Owen working under a mask. So maybe it's that. Maybe. Kind of makes you wonder how much they had this type of stuff they got. Oh, God. we'll never know. I mean, you know, look, I mean, in different times, they would have just like a camcorder running for insurance and stuff. But we never know. I mean, I remember. Gee, that one was close. Um. I've got a lot of them going by me, too. I mean, it, I'll put it this way. If it was my last apartment, it would have been even louder. Because, I mean, we never recorded on July 4th, I think, really that much before. But, like, my last apartment. So, my mine was, like, four stories, my building. The, one, the other, like, brownstones around me were three stories. And the, like... You know, you could go on the roof and watch fireworks, you know, because you could see the East River and stuff. But also there were people on other roofs of brownstones nearby that you could see, like, setting off fireworks. So it was it was a lot. It was overwhelming. I, I did not end up watching the fireworks really there as much as I would have liked because there's so many people, like, right next to you setting off fireworks. But Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, did we do Chico yet? No, we have none done, Chico. Chico on the ninth, dressed out of 1,200. For the same results, except Warrior over Iron Mike Sharp, something for Hercules, who injured his arm. Then Santa Rosa on the 10th, or 2,200. as Blue Angel over Gibbs. Sheriff Robin, Rujo's over the Bees. Warrior over Sharp. Egg Cook over Gay by DQ. And then Modesto on the 11th, dressed out of 1,700. as Angel over Gibbs. Warrior over Sharp. Cook over Gay by DQ. Sheriff Robin, Rujo's over the Bees. By the way, the reports they've got on Owen's matches are they're mostly stalling with none of the spectacular moves he's known for. Which is just about what everyone's seen to expect going in. Well, maybe needs a better opponent. Um, the other thing about this, Al, is this is the era of WF and 88 where they are running sea shows. Where they're running these smaller um, venues in smaller towns. And... Uh, what are your thoughts on going to a third crew? You think it was a necessary thing, or you think they should just state it too? Uh, I mean, they had enough wrestlers. I mean, not only did they have enough wrestlers, but if you ca- catch this, uh, M- Mike Sharp was part of the C crew and was, you know, brought in as an extra because he yeah. didn't. He, he was only in because Hercules got hurt. I mean, they have enough guys to do it, and and realistically, historically, wrestling promoters, if they could have the opportunity to run an additional show. They would, you know, you think about some territories that, that usually had split crews, but their one big show of the week was usually all hands on deck. Like Amarillo would run Amarillo on Thursday nights. Kansas City would run Kansas City on Thursday nights. But still, if they had the opportunity to run a spot show that night, they'd shoot four to six guys out there and, and do it because any well, extra money coming in is extra money. And going back in the day, Florida, you know, Tampa. On Tuesday, it was always one of the big nights, but they also have Fort Myers on Tuesday. Yeah, well, that that territory was always two two shows per night, um, except I think Thursdays Jacksonville because there was all um, 
But yeah, the, but that being said, some sometimes territories would, would do a mix where it was two shows a night most of the week, and then one night they'd just have the one big show. But again, they had the opportunity. And the nights they're running two shows, if some little school in the middle of nowhere says we want a show and the only night we can do it is Monday – even though McGurk's already running Shreveport and Tulsa, he'll send four to six guys to this little high school gym. Um, also, that's a lot of times they would do that when they would have these special attractions, the women or the little persons or Haystack or the world champion. That often gave them enough additional wrestlers to run those additional shows. So here, the WWF has enough wrestlers. They probably have enough to run four shows if you really, you know. And they did at times, didn't they? It wasn't a lot, but they had four crews if if they had the opportunity to run yeah. four shows, they damn sure would have. Yeah. And it, well, also, at this point, there's not as much of it. It's not like it was like a year earlier when the sea shows were like very distinct. And that was where like everyone went to like just get their feet wet before getting their gimmick and going on TV and stuff. But like at this point, there's still a big disparity between A, B and C. Um, yeah, and these are they're, these are definitely C shows, <laughs> right? Whereas, oh, yes, you go into like eighty nine, ninety. It seems like they're making a concerted effort to where even though there's an A, B, and C, they you don't feel like you're completely devoid of stars as you move down. No, and you're and you're definitely not because I've looked at eighty nine and ninety uh, a lot uh, in the last year or so for. Uh, a project I'm doing for someone else. And, and yeah, uh, the, the shows, obviously the A show is the A show, but the other shows have something, you know, that is pushed as one of the big, you know, feuds on TV. Yeah. Now for a move on real quick. So had, how much had Dave been getting in the way of C show results before this? Uh, some. And then all of a sudden he has this loop. Um, What's California? I know, but also it's a Wrestling Observer subscriber uh, debuting. Of course. But it's also California. Yeah. So, you know, there's that uh, too. He has his connections, yes. All right, so the other crews in the bigger cities, Boston, the Guide, on July 9th in front of 5,000, Sheiky over at Sky Case with a camel clutch, dud. Bulldogs are bullshit by count out, one star. Bossman over Sam Houston, two stars. Macho over DiBiase by DQ and Virgil and Fear, four stars. Uh, Valentine over Morocco after hitting with Jimmy Hart's megaphone, one star. That ending is overused with some of Dusty's finishes. Rockers over Conquistores and Match No Heat, one star. And Jake over Rude and Match Manly Arrest Holds, one star. 5,000 fans in Boston is not good for this yeah. time frame. Meadowlands. On the 10th, no crowd listed. So DiBiase were three times in the first match. He pinned Morocco. Then he won about a Royal, which winner would get a shot of Savage. And he lost by DQ against Savage and Virgil and Fear. Other results saw Root over Jake, was filling the ropes, Bulldogs over Bolsheviks by Canal, Valentine over Steve Jones, Rujos over Conquistadors, and Sheik over Casey, and Boston over Houston. Vegas on the 10th. This is another crew from 4,000. Saw Butcher LaDuke over Jerry Allen. Dino Bravo over Kempatera using the ropes. Powers of Pain over Demolition by Pinfall. Honkies over uh, Beefcake. Honky over Beefcake by DQ. When Jimmy Hart and as Peggy Sue interfered in a terrible match. Bad News over the Anvil in a terrible match. Tito over Terry Taylor cleaning the middle with a flying form. Only good match on the card where Taylor turned heel midway through the match. And there's your well-placed source in the WWF. 
And uh, Andre Edward Jim Duggan. Oh, you mean the friend of Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> well, then July 11th, San Francisco's drew a $58,000 game, just under 5000 paid. As Butcher Joe LaDuke beat a masked Avenger. Dino Bravo over Kim Patera, Honky over Beefcake, Andre over Duggan, a match described as disgraceful. Terry Taylor over Jerry Allen. Bad News over The Anvil. The best match on the card, and Dave was told only one and a half stars. And this is San Francisco. So he didn't go. So Dave, he didn't go, but he had people there that was telling him shit. Powers Payne and Tito over Demolition Miss Fuji less than five minutes. Dave was told this was a pitiful card, although the crowd heat was of the matches. That's not a complete sentence. And they return. They return August the twelfth in Oakland, where Savage and Andre are going main event. Which Dave says enough to keep me home that night. Grandfather <laughs> and Modesto were run on the same night. They're ninety miles apart. There you go. I mean, they usually you know ran in the same general area, but they, this is a lot. You know that that. Those two crews, the one working Vegas and San Fran and the other one working California are brushing right up on one another. Yeah. Hmm. Brother Love um, is a newer character on WA television. So let's go to uh, Brother Love with Ravishing Rick Rude on television. Yeah, on Wrestling Challenge. Brother! Mike McGurk introducing her former uh, commentary colleague, Bruce Christian. That's right. So how many weeks in aren't we, by the way, with Brother Love? Uh, like less than a month? I'm searching. Uh, okay, so they say he's going to make his debut... On June 12th, he makes his actual debut <laughs> on, uh, on June 19th. Uh, so, yeah, he's been That's there. Yeah. Fourth week. The, okay, this is the first one from this taping. So it's the first, It's his second taping, and this is the first Brother Love show of his second tape. You mean in terms of the makeup and the facials are not yet like at the yeah. level of uh, Ultimate Warrior dresses him up in drag, uh, Brother Love? No. Yeah. Thank you. You know, love is special. Well, the promo isn't even as exaggerated. Share. 
brother Brian. Brother Ravishing. Now, Brother Rick, I know something that you know. And that is the fact that Cheryl Roberts, the wife of Jake the Snake Roberts, is only pretending that she does not want your love. Is that right? <laughs> That's right, brother love. The fact of the matter is this. I would have loved to give my love to Cheryl Roberts. And Cheryl Roberts would have loved to receive my love. Where? But due to the jealousy of her husband, Jake the Snake Roberts, Cheryl Roberts has been denied a lifetime of wild fantasies and sweet memories of Ravishing Rick Rude. Well, Brother Ravishing, I also am a sharing man. And I have a present for you. And, and I would like to bring her on right now. Come on up here, darling. This is a present, Brother Love? Yeah. Ravishing? Yeah, yeah. Now, this woman is not a cheap bimbo harlot like Cheryl Roberts, is she? No, no. Same no, kind of she hair, is though. Not. I would not have anything to do with that was very 80s hair. Ill moral yes. dog, would you? No, Brother Brain, you know me better than that. She is all for Brother Ravishing. Brother Love, you're too much. Oh. Fireworks going no, off with these two together. <laughs> he loves her. <laughs> he loves her. <laughs> he sure does. Just like brother love loves you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, she's got her hands all over his butt. <laughs> she's into it. And, but not vice versa. Um, <laughs> you know, the intro is still dragged out, but honestly, I like this in various ways better than the later Brother Love stuff. The overly cartoon. And that thing, too, is you don't have uh, notice no announcer interplay during that. No announcer interplay, not really piping in much in the way of canned crown reactions. Um... It's a little more... It works better that Brother Love is not openly disdainful of the audience. It's better that he's like this disingenuous prick who's pretending he loves us, as opposed to just being an asshole who also happens to say, I love you. Yeah. Yeah, it just, the gimmick works better. And then, of course, you have the here, of course, it's perfect, because it's like, see, he loves her. Yeah. That's great. I like that. Um, All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was about to read Dave's thoughts. All right, Dave, so I finally got to see Brother Love after all the commotion. 
It's probably the most talked about gimmick of the past few months with most people hating everything about it and a few thinking Bruce Pritchard does a good job but still hating the idea. They've only saw one, the Rick Rude one, which you just watched. Pritchard's real good, but it reminded Dave of a bad Saturday Night Live sketch. They got one good idea, create a sketch from it, but don't have enough material to keep the sketch from getting boring after their one good idea is shown. Dave said, I can see this getting very tiresome in the long run. The one with Rude was good by WF standards, which means bad, but simplistic enough to get the gimmicks over to the fast food mentality fans. In other words, it seems effective. As for those who take offense to it because of the way that it parodies religion, just remember that the entertainment is parody of life and WWE's parody of entertainment. Besides, that's exactly the reaction they want you to have. Also, Brother Love never talks about religion. No, but the line here that gets me, Al, is the fast food mentality fan. So is this Dave saying that he is a filet mignon mentality fan here? (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting because Dave always, you know, tries to claim that wrestling fans as a whole are smarter than, you know, most people think. Uh, and they all know it's a show and, and things like that. So he's always trying to, in my opinion, justify his fandom by saying, oh, we all know it's fake. You know, um, uh, you know, as, as a young wrestling fan growing up, a, a lot of kids, you know, would, you know, make fun of you for, you know, it's fake, right? You know, this and that. So a lot of times you develop that defense mechanism, say everybody, you know, everybody that watches it knows it's fake. We're not stupid as a way of making yourself feel better about watching this dreck. Um, it's schlock entertainment. And I love it just the same way I love cheesy horror movies and soap operas and some reality TV. It's, you know, it's designed as lowbrow entertainment. And there's just because you enjoy it doesn't make you less, you know, less intelligent than you are. You just you just like what you like. So, I, yeah, I, but Dave, I've always found Dave he seems to at times pick on fans of some of the matches, shows, products that he never liked. As say, you know, uh, but then the stuff he likes is more highbrow and everyone's in on it. So, hoity toity. Yeah. Hoity toity. Yes. And on a nice note, too, how about the, for those who may not have heard about this, you know, all these years later, Jake and Cheryl are back together and sober and happy and apparently planning on getting remarried. What in the hell? <laughs> all this shit's by, by my door. I see. I'm not hearing any of yours, really. Like, I'm having a good look right now. I thought you were reacting to the Cheryl Roberts thing for a second. No, it's right here by my fucking door. Are we? Are we leaving this in? Yeah, we're leaving it. Your listeners need to know that there are fireworks going on right outside Chris's it's door. Firecrackers. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Fire. These kids. Jesus. I well but yes the Robertses Chris well I mean good for them good for them I mean it's good yeah I on that note that's it for us this week on between the sheets Al I know you got a lot of stuff going on my friend so go ahead and plug away uh, plug away so you can find me on the Twitter at Al Gets Wrestling that's Al G E T Z Wrestling. Uh, charting the territories at chartingtheterritories.com covers uh, wrestling territories in the early 1970s. And this year, we're actually doing a different territory every month for the year 1971. 
So you can check that out at chartingtheterritories.com or on our monthly podcast where John Boucher and I go over uh, territories, uh, one per month. Uh, later, It comes out the second Thursday of every month. This month, we're going to be looking at the Heart of America territory, also known as Central States Wrestling. And uh, speaking of that territory, later this month, I will be in Waterloo, Iowa oh. at the uh, Trago Synthes Hall of Fame induction weekend. And while while I'm there, you'll actually have the opportunity to buy one of my two books or ideally both of my two books under the Charting the Territories name. The books, uh, one which came out last October and one which just came out last month, cover Leroy McGurk's Wrestling Territory. The first, uh, the first book covers 1971 through 1973. The second book covers 1974 through 1976. And while I'm at the Tregos Hall of Fame, Induction weekend, uh, July 20th through the 23rd, I'm going to announce the subject of my next book, which will be released in the fall of 2023. And it's not going to be Leroy McGurk's territory. Uh huh. What about that? Yeah. So check that out again, chartingtheterritories.com. Uh, you can also buy the books uh, at the website or on amazon.com worldwide. And to find the books or our podcast, just search for Charting the Territories, Al Getz. Yes, and uh, Al does tremendous work on these books, folks. Uh, very, uh, very resourceful and uh, cool to look at all the research that Al does uh, to tell a different story on the wrestling through uh, analytics and the, and the, and the like. So, uh, yeah, great stuff. So everybody uh, check Al out on all his various platforms okay the multimedia now, empire yes yes now i have a question exactly. before we so as we get to the plug for next week so in these now past three shows including this one we had a carino someone who was going to be on a show that weekend with that carino and also someone who watched blues clues with that carino when that carino was a child do we have do we have another carino adjacent episode next week with our guest six six degrees of steve carino the the crazy (laughs) new game each and every week on between the sheets (laughs) uh no (laughs) no uh there were there's no carino uh involvement uh, in next week's show but uh next week's show will go to the 90s so we get to the 90s again, and we go to 1994, where in the World Wrestling Federation, we have a, a debut vignette of Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, which means the baseball strike's coming. We'll have WWF running shows in some interesting parts of the world. <laughs> They're going all over the place. As uh, Our week is the week that the steroid trial is going on, but there's no steroid trial shit in this show. Um, we got um, an interesting Monday Night Raw. Leslie Nielsen is is about to start up, so we'll talk about that. We'll have um, USWA featuring a big title change on television in an odd way. So we'll have that next week. We got a Smoky Mountain Wrestling where a big angle gets squashed because of Japanese commitments, among other things. So we'll talk about that. Heat Wave 94 in the NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling. So we'll talk about that show featuring uh, Public Enemy and the Funks in a barbed wire match. 
and a lot more. So we'll have that next week on Between the Sheets. We got uh, news in, in Mexico. Interesting AAA story that to talk about. We got um, Japan, got the, the indie scum. We got a big Japanese women's show to talk about. Um, we got... Uh, is it a big show featuring Japanese women or is it a show featuring big Japanese women? <laughs> it's a big show featuring Japanese women. Okay. And, and then maybe oh, are we going to get any comments one. about them gaining weight like we did this week? No. no. We got a big six-man tournament in war. So you know that's going to be fun. Yes. Uh, uh, and we got other random Japanese results. And we also have World Championship Wrestling Bash at the Beach 94. Yeah, we've never done this before. So we'll have Bash at the Beach 94. And uh, we'll have, uh, of course, a lot of clips from that. Hulk Hogan making the media rounds, including uh, on the Tonight Show. So we'll have Hogan on the Tonight Show next week and all kinds of other uh, funny stuff. So uh, should be quite a show next week. Guest, don't know yet. The offer is out there. So it could be someone in the Carino verse. Uh, this person is not in the Carino verse. <laughs> but, uh, well, well, if it, what is it, if it's John Muse, I mean, he almost ended up in WCW with Steve Carino, didn't he? <laughs> well, I, it's not direct. Uh, I mean, uh, who knows? I mean, who knows? There could have been somebody involved with Carino. You never know. But anyway, so that's next week on Between the Sheets. We'll see. Franz? Uh, no. <laughs> Not C.W. Anderson, not Jacko Victory. No. But anyway, Al, thank you as always for being with us. Always enjoy having you on. Vix, of course, thank you. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris, and so long from the Peach State of Georgia.